Hey, Michael Knowles here, and do I have a treat for you. The latest episode of Daily Wire Backstage is right around the corner, and you do not want to miss it. Don't miss me, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Andrew Klavan, and the God King, Jeremy Boring, as we discuss the latest news and cultural events, all while enjoying some fine whiskey and cigars. It is going to be all that and more. Take a listen. Welcome to the backstage coverage of the 2022 midterm elections. This is the Daily Wire Plus. We're really glad that you're here with us. Back in the olden times, when we first started this company, we would gather for a thing called Election Day. And in our Election Day coverage, we would just stay with you until the results were known. But that's back when this was a thriving republic. Now (laughs) that we've descended into third world madness, I cannot promise that we will still be with you. 72 to 120 hours from now when the final results are actually tallied before they're contested and then tallied again. But we plan to be with you for a damn long time. I'm joined tonight by my good friend, Ben Shapiro, my old friend, Andrew Clavin. I mean, we've been friends a long time, and he's very old. Matt Walsh. And here tonight to replace Clay Travis, who was the only, one of, uh, the only man on the panel brave enough to wear red, to really put, to lead with confidence. Now, Candace, showing us all how it's done. I just felt like I had to wear this. It was the only way to guarantee a red wave. So I'm just showing up. Fabulous. Tell us, you're, you've been watching. We've been, we've been here. You've been backstage. You're probably a little bit more up to date on what's happening out there yeah. than we are. How are you feeling about the night? I feel great about the night. I mean, obviously, like, just, I'm sure you guys have already discussed it, so I don't want to be redundant, but no. the Maricopa thing is just, like, what? We actually have not <laughs> talked about How is it always Maricopa? Well, you know, it's really important, Candace, to, to remember, for all Americans, do not take your right to vote for granted, because there are people who live in places like North Korea and Afghanistan, <laughs> and Maricopa County who don't have that right, so right, that's right. cherish it. So 20% of the voting machines are not able to tabulate the votes. 20% in the entire county. That's just, it's unbelievable. It doesn't even... It took them by surprise. The, yeah. the election took they them just, by surprise. They just don't know what they're going to do about it, and they're working on the issues, and of course, people are already ahead saying, this is just the Republicans trying to pretend that there's some cheating. Why don't you give us an understanding, a good explanation, for why 20% of machines throughout an entire county in the free and fair elections that we have in America are not working and they've had years to work on these issues knowing that that was the place where all of the election lawsuits took place when Trump said that there was, you know, trouble during the 2020 election. You would why think are we resolve the issues. Why are we so invested now in these electronic voting machines in the first place? They're, they're terrible. Britain doesn't use them and they have a much better system. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've got the answer, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> some go. people keep asking, they say, they say, well, you know, we know that paper ballots work and we know that there are no questions and you get the answer on election night. So why do we keep using these voting machines where it drags out for days and weeks and, oh, I got my answer, okay, never I mean, mind. So uh, forgive me because I haven't actually followed like what the actual machines in Arizona are. So is it like you punch a screen or is it like you take a ballot, you so I kid you not, and, you, and, you feed, and then you feed it. You feed that in Florida too. I voted early, like, three weeks ago. It was exactly that machine. They got the results the same night. It's just incompetence. Yeah. It's just incompetence. It's not about how the machines are stupid or something. It's yeah. incompetence. The people who are there don't know what the hell they're doing. I thought it was funny. The, the, the White House uh, White House spokeswoman said today, or yesterday, when she was preparing everyone for the fact that it's going to take weeks to, yeah. to count the ballots, she said, well, this is, uh, this is how it should work in, a, in modern elections. And I'm like... <laughs> in, so in modern time, in 2022, it should take longer to count the ballots than it took in 1802. Yeah. Can we go back to some medieval elections, please? <laughs> right, To be exactly. a little uh, more yeah. efficient. By the way, a quick update on uh, the Virginia 7th. That is the Abigail Spanberger race. She's yeah. currently losing by 10 points in that race. Yeah. Wow. It's the Virginia 7th. So that, that, that's a bellwether race. And the Virginia 2nd District, it looks like Elaine Laurie is going to go down to defeat in that district as well. It's, yeah. it's going to be a good night. Yeah. That is. And, you know, also, I mean, on this point, you raise it, Candace, of how everyone's talking about 
voter fraud, whether it's going to, it's going to be, if the Republicans have a great night, then the Democrats are going to say that we rigged the election. And if the Democrats pull out some cru crucial races, then we're going to say that they rigged the election. And that's just a fact that everyone is, everyone is an election denier. And it's for two reasons. The Democrats say that it's illegitimate when the Republicans win because the Democrats don't consider us legitimate participants in our democracy. <laughs> and uh, Biden says that we're terrorists and fascists and our very existence poses a threat to the country. And then we don't believe it when they win close elections because they, they rig the elections <laughs> and brag about it. <laughs> well, the distinction, though, is that Democrats, the Democrats don't talk about voter fraud for them, it's voter suppression. Suppression. They're yeah. already talking. And, that, and the thing about voter suppression, it's, it's a much more unfalsifiable theory. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because you can always just say, well, more people would have turned out if you hadn't suppressed even with, the vote. Even with very high voter <laughs> participation. <laughs> they Stacey actually Abrams, said. Stacey Abrams said, you, know, yeah. that you, high, you can have a high voter participation and voter suppression at the same time. They're already letting their people in that state. It's one of the reasons why their whole war on democracy nonsense is just not being paid attention to. Because the same Democrats who are out to say, oh, you denied an election. Oh, you're saying voter fraud. We all know. I mean, they already started. Jason Johnson on MSNBC was already going nuts like three hours ago because he knew which way this yeah. night is going to go. He was already going absolutely ape bleep over the notion that there was voter suppression in Georgia. There's no voter suppression in Georgia. There were simultaneous articles that were coming out saying the wait time at Georgia polling places is three minutes. Three. Yeah. It but sounds it would, like just like a rock 2005 with the purple fingers in the air. Well, wow. We should also but underscore what they consider there. to be voter suppression because it's actually humorous and it's good to laugh at. It's like black Americans don't know how to get ID. Yep. That's, no, that's the thing <laughs> that's that we really should talk about how difficult latest? it is. The latest one, they, they say that voters are being starved and not given water because you're not, oh, yeah. you can't get, and I kid you, I'm walking to the polls today with sweet little Alisa, and she turns to me totally deadpan. She goes, Mac, I'm just so hungry. Where's my steak? Where's my caviar? You know. If you can't bribe them outside of the polling place, it's voter fraud. <laughs> the actual Democrat position, if you cannot, well, how are they supposed to stand there without free Cigarettes. By the way, yeah. you're going to stand in line and not get free As long as we're talking about the, the soft bigotry of low expectations, can we talk about what a racist Joe Biden is for a second? So Joe Biden was asked the other day, he's like, what did you do for black voters? He's like, well, I did get rid of marijuana convictions. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, like, oh. what? Like, that's your first... And, and then he went to a historically black college and university, and he's like, you know, you guys can be just as smart. He literally said this. He's like, what? Huh? You guys can be just, just as, as smart. Just as smart as yeah. the... He, he's like, as everybody else can be just as smart. What? Wow. How does he get, I mean, like, granted, he's, he's senile, but like, but he's, also what? A, he's also a terrible person. He's always been a terrible he person. Been. Yeah. He's been yeah, dishonest, right. he's been venal. I'm sure he's taking 10% of everything on Thursday. <laughs> yeah. And he lies and lies and lies. And to talk about throwing him under the bus, the New York Times actually fact-checked him, checked him the other day and said, you know, Everything he says is actually untrue. Like almost everything, they actually debunked almost everything. And, and the Washington Post now has the uh, infinite Pinocchios for him. You know, so they're they're done with the, the they're done with the Joe. Joe gets opened, right? I mean, yeah. George will. When it, you saw how he went after with like a claw hammer, yeah. uh, oh, it was after a brutal Biden. Piece. It was one of the most brutal pieces I've ever seen, for, especially for a guy who voted for Biden. Right? He went after Biden, and then he went for Kamala too. Kamala's just standing there, and he's just like, <laughs> "Well, Mathis, I'm just going to take you out because you're terrible." It's amazing. And all he does for the Kamala Harris stuff is he just quotes her. He just literally quotes her. It's amazing. <laughs> hey, by the way, it was, it was just a couple of days ago, Biden he lashed out at some people that were holding signs outside of his speech yeah. and called them idiots. And like, that's actually <laughs> that's the kind of thing that Trump never did. I mean, Trump will go after the media, that's go right. after his political opponents, yeah. and he's ruthless. But he never actually attacked just normal people. Yeah, right. And this, this is something that Biden does all the time. He goes after just regular hey, people. Hey, fat. Right. But those are the people they hate. They hate the regular people. Right. Because that's the truth is that the, the people that Trump hates tend to be 
elites that he hangs out with, but he actually kind of hates them and scorns them. But he actually <laughs> yeah. kind of likes like the welders and the firefighters. Yeah. And the people that Biden actually likes are all the people he pretends to hate, which are like the rich people in those rooms. Yeah. But he hates the common man. He, oh he, like he scorns the common man. Those people are dullards and idiots. Those are the people that you that you use as the rubes and the suckers so that you can get ahead. By the way, uh, exit poll from my favorite state, Florida. Ron DeSantis <laughs> won Latino voters by 13 points. Wow. By yeah. 30 Latinos. I don't know how he did among Latinx. He, he though. won them by, yeah, 13, he points, not by one 13 points. Yeah, 56 to 43. He won Holy Latinos shit. outright 56 Holy to 33. Now, it is true. It is true that in points right now. It isn't it oh, is true that in Florida a lot of the Latino vote is made up by Cubans. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, the, the, but yeah, but there's a heavy Venezuelan population yeah, and, in and a million yeah. population. Yeah. I don't know what is. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that you can't South really Te- by the way, South Texas is about to see a red wave also and South Texas is that's not right. Cuban. So the, the Hispanic vote is not not only is it not a reliably democratic vote. This is the thing. This comes back to what you do, Matt. You know, the the fact is and, and also what you do, Candace. The, I think two things people have missed about the Hispanic vote. One, they don't like trans and kids. As it turns out, Latinos are socially very, very, very conservative, very conservative. And two, the Democratic Party in embracing Black Lives Matter and basically suggesting that all people of color are exactly the same. And therefore, you could, you could group into one group, the people of color. And the Hispanics would also be in favor of defund... But, but black people weren't in favor of defund the police. Only Democrats were in favor of defund the police. So they treat blacks as a voter block. And then they treat blacks and Hispanics as a voter block. And then they treat blacks, Hispanics, and Asians as a voter block while simultaneously saying that Asians should not be able to get into college. It's like, I, I can't imagine why you guys are losing. Maybe it's because you just keep... <laughs> creating these labels that no one actually ca- by maybe, the way, maybe. Hispanics don't even categorize themselves that way. If you ask a Hispanic yeah. person where they are from, they will say, what country? Right? The, the, yeah, that's like right. The, it's, nobody says, I'm Hispanic. They say, I'm from Cuba. I mean, even that categorization didn't really exist until the 1970s. It was yes. sort of a Ford Foundation creation, you know. As a, I wonder if now Joe Biden will run for re-election and build the wall, I think. Yeah. That's what, that's <laughs> keep those What is the push? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Like, what is their push for open borders? Because it's, it's showing you that the country, <laughs> Latino voters, are going right. So what is their push? Like, what are they trying to do? I think what they're going to try to do eventually is to welfareize people over the border. They're not going to have any idea. You know, they're not going to have anything and they'll say, oh, we're just going to make you a citizen overnight if you vote for us. And then that will be the big push, you know, mm-hmm. like they'll they'll vote illegally and then they'll they'll promise them a bunch of things and kind of turn them into black America circa 1960s. You know what I mean? Hilarious. It's the only kind work, of thing. Yeah. Offer them welfare handouts because well, they don't really the, have anything. By the way, remember that time that Ron DeSantis was going to lose the election because he sent some Hispanic illegal immigrants up to Martha Center. Yeah, yeah. and, and now he's winning by 16 points. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Sean Trendy has uh, an update on Georgia. So he says that right now Walker is running about four points behind Kemp. Uh, if that holds consistently, then Kemp has to get more than 54% of the raw vote in order for Walker to surpass the 50%. That's necessary. That could happen. Which is possible. That's, that's yeah, possible, yeah. but that's close. That's a close thing. And yeah. again, candidate quality matters. Yeah. yeah, I think that part of what we're seeing is that the Democrats, starting in the 60s, ran a very cynical play to, cons- to categorize people in the country, divide them off from one, a- one another, and then try to build a coalition out of the pieces. The sort of not, let's call it non-majoritarian pieces. So divide you by race, divide you by gender, uh, divide you by income bracket, take everything that's not majority and build a majority out of that. But it turns out people don't like being categorized and people don't like being treated like chess <laughs> They pieces. don't like racism, you mean? And during, you know, one of, one of Donald Trump's positive effects on the electorate is that he essentially reached over and just took some of those categories that they had consolidated for themselves and he offered them an alternative. And now, the, now these blocks that the left created are no longer their blocks anymore. And I think what you'll see is that, the, that more and more the Democrats are just going to be the party of 
college-educated white elites. Mm -hmm. Yes, They're already there. I also think that when when you think about how Democrats think about Hispanics or or how they think about black Americans, or Jews, for that matter, whenever they think of these groups, they think of like a single person that they know who is black or is Hispanic, and then they think, well, all of them must be like that. So they know a Hispanic person. Like, that Hispanic person, they love illegal immigration. So so if we run on illegal immigration, we'll totally win all the Hispanics. And it turns out that by polling data, Hispanics don't love illegal immigration. They actually don't like it very much at all, which is why the big surprise of 2016 is that Donald Trump runs a campaign where he's like, that Mexican judge is terrible. And then he wins exactly the same percentages that Mitt Romney won in 2012, running not that way. And, and the same thing is true with, with black Americans. The, the Democrats, they're like, you know, my black friend also hates the police. And my black friend, who I went to Wellesley with, thinks that we should defund the police. And meanwhile, they're like, people in Baltimore are like, what the... Like, the, we need what? some police around here. Well, yeah, exactly. Where are the police? It, it, this is not the way that, that you do this stuff. But I'll go back to a point that I made earlier. The Twitterization of our politics has hurt Democrats so much worse than it's hurt Republicans because they've created this bubble for themselves. The media... Their Praetorian Guard have protected them to such an extent they have no immune system. Democrats have no immune system at this point. It's basically like the, the rich kids who would get polio really easily back in the 1920s because they'd never been exposed to mud. And then all the poor kids wouldn't get polio because they'd be out like playing and they'd have an immune system that had actually developed. But they also don't understand how porous the Internet is because, because toward the end, for the beginning of the Internet age, when TV was basically dominant, they really had sealed off yeah. the information system. They really were living in that bubble. But the internet is pretty hard to seal off. It's everywhere. Actually, it's, you know, I, I was, the thing about the thing about the internet too is that if you're using it, you need to have a VPN. <laughs> Whoa, man! Wow, that was, that was, that was, that was like an hour you passed. I just ruined it by celebrating. It's okay. Have you noticed all these big tech companies masquerading as privacy companies? Every now and again, Google, Apple, or Facebook will release a security feature in an attempt to convince you that they're not actually collecting and selling off your data. This is just not true. Free big tech platforms make their money by selling your information to advertisers. They know when you're online, what kind of content you're engaging with, and even the transactions you're making. To protect myself against big tech's prying eyes, I use ExpressVPN. When you use the ExpressVPN app on your computer or phone, you're hiding your unique IP address. That means that websites can't find your real location or track what you do online. In addition, ExpressVPN encrypts and reroutes 100% of your online activity, which means hackers can't see it. What I love about ExpressVPN is how easy it is to use. All I have to do is tap one button to protect all my devices. One ExpressVPN subscription covers up to five devices at the same time, so you can protect your entire family, too. Don't just take my word for it. ExpressVPN is rated number one by CNET, Wired, TechRadar, and countless others. Get the VPN that I trust to protect my online privacy when big, bad tech is at the door. Visit expressvpn.com slash election and find out how you could get three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash election, expressvpn.com slash election to learn more. Uh, I wanted to say something about the Twitter thing, which is really interesting, and maybe, Matt, you noticed this as well, because one of the things that boggled my mind before Elon got there and kind of made everybody run and spread some light um, was that the trends on Twitter never made sense. Like, El- how, what, were the possibil- <laughs> what was the chances that Trans Visibility Day was trending three times a week? Right? And I would go, this, these trends make no sense. It's so clear that they're manufacturing trends that aren't actually 72 trends. likes. Yes, yeah. right, 72 <laughs> likes. But then now, all of a sudden, you look, and I'm looking at the trends today, and it's all like... Red tsunami, like you know, uh, Maricopa County. Yes, it's it's all suddenly very conservative trends all the time. So yeah. I thought that was really fascinating, and it's very clear that they were manufacturing those trends. It's what? never and been lost on me that the that the three people, three of the people at this table, Matt, Ben, and Candace, 
would literally trend three times a week. Yes. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter what you guys did. And they had a methodology. But, for but always also. negatively. Always. Every, always. Always. Except, every except one account, he like tweets one 10 second video of us and then suddenly it's trending. Well, what would happen, to, the, the pattern I noticed, and it was actually kind of fun because you could see it, is that you'd have, a good, you'd have a good day, right? You'd have like a good day, a good, good story would come out and it would get a lot of coverage. And then you wouldn't trend. And then the next day, there'd be like a tiny story with no coverage. Right. And then they would trend that. That would be the thing that they, that mm -hmm. they trended. They would like glom onto the old trend in order to create the new trend. Have Actually, you, I'm kind has of curious, how many followers have you, have you randomly picked up since oh. Elon took over Twitter? Oh, oh my gosh, so I, many. I'm all of them. 85,000. 200,000? Or, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, when, when What Is a Woman came out, we were climbing, What Is a Woman was trending. It was climbing into the top five. And then just magically it disappeared. And never returned to the top mm. trends ever. Oh, they also killed trends. Right. Yeah, it just—it was just—it was there, and then the next second it was gone. Mm. And no matter what happened, it never went back again. Just like but your gender. <laughs> I was going to ask: Did any have any of you trended for a good reason before? I guess in, you didn't make a trend at least out of what is a woman in that first. Right. Until they and they got rid of it. They said you can't trend for that. That's good. Never, not once. And I used to play this game because I knew they were manufacturing trends. Is that when they would force me to trend over something really stupid, I would pretend I didn't understand what I was trending over, and I would be like, "Thank you so much. I'm so glad to see that I'm trending over my new documentary." And they instantly would kill the trend. <laughs> Thank you so much. My documentary is trending. And update from, from VA10. So VA10 is that district I mentioned earlier that is a D plus 18 district. Currently, Hung Kao, who is, as the name might suggest, not a white man, um, <laughs> he, is, he is currently up slightly on Jennifer Wexton, the Democrat incumbent. That is, a, that is a D plus 18 district. There's a reason why. People were wondering, why is Jill Biden and Joe, they, they actually went and campaigned there like in the last two days. Like, why are they campaigning in a D plus 18 district? That doesn't make any sense. Wow. That's the reason they were campaigning in mm. a D plus wow. 18 district. Well, let's get an update on what's going on in some of these races by going to our election wire team. We've got John Bickley and Cabot Phillips here uh, to let us know. They're following this a lot more closely than we can because they're not, you know, eating popcorn and gab festing <laughs> and talking about how great it is that we trend, trend on Twitter all the time. These guys will never trend on Twitter. That is an absolute They're fact. working for a living. Yeah, they're working for a living. <laughs> and they're here to let us know what's going on. Here's an update from the state of Arkansas. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is officially the next governor of Arkansas. That race has been called. Not a huge surprise, but definitely a big name for Republicans. Going out to Georgia, the latest polling results were about 36% in. Raphael Warnock is at 53. Herschel Walker, 45.4. Abrams, 49.7. Kemp, 49.7. Now, these numbers are a bit deceiving. The reason we're seeing it skewed for Democrats right now, Fulton County, which includes Atlanta, and it's by far the most populous county in the state, is at 62% reporting right now. So most of those numbers are coming from there. We're also seeing a good number of votes come in from Gwinnett, DeKalb, Cobb, all those counties surrounding Atlanta. So definitely expect it to get tighter in Georgia. The big number we're tracking right now is how close to Governor Kemp Herschel Walker can stay. Right now he's down by about 4.3 points. So if you expect Kemp to get around 55 points, Walker, you would expect also to get above 50% based on the trends that we've seen so far. So keep an eye on that. As long as Walker's within four to five points, it should bode well for Republican chances there in the Senate. Just a little bit of a, uh, you know, look back at Florida. Obviously, the race has already been called for DeSantis. He's about 57% right now. For context, in 2018, Ron DeSantis won the governor's race by 30,000 votes. He is up 1.1 million votes right now. 30,000 to 1.1 million. Charlie Crist, also the first candidate to lose statewide uh, race at all three parties, independent, Republican, and Democrat now. Uh, just a, a notable uh, award there. And finally, there have been four House pickups so far that have been called. All four have been among Republicans, and all four have been in the state of Florida. 
So Florida is, as you guys said earlier, it's looking more and more like a red state, solid pickups there. But we'll keep an eye on Georgia right now. Pennsylvania results also starting to come in. We'll have an update a little later from there. Thank you, Cabot. And do we have any word yet on who will be the next pope? <laughs> you know? Uh, uh, well, Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams has declared no, she was the last pope. Yeah. Yeah. Name the pope. You mean the, the current pope? Right. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have not mentioned that the moon, have we mentioned the moon is literally red? It's turning, turning yeah. blood right now. Yeah. Is, I did not know a that. Blood moon. Got a blood moon, moon today. Yeah, it's actually a bad moon on the red. Yeah. <laughs> are, are we the baddies? <laughs> <laughs> did you see the CBS News clip that was going around a little bit earlier today where CBS News went around Florida looking for a Charlie Chris supporter? Oh, and they literally could not find a Charlie Chris supporter. It's super funny they're like walking around the reporters like do any of you support Charlie?" they're like who like, charlie what yeah they said we could only find him at charlie chris rallies yeah. <laughs> at least they charlie chris has run out of parties they, they like he literally has run every party on the ballot there are no more parties for, for charlie chris to, to he, he tweeted earlier today today is the day we vote ron DeSantis out this one goes alongside the congratulations <laughs> to the happy birthday president. to this future president yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> amazingly bad tweets they are I do love the Democrats because they won't quit on a candidate just because they've got a few losses to their name. Like, <laughs> Beto is a genuinely terrible candidate. Yeah. <laughs> there isn't, there is not a human being on earth who isn't like a 28 year old disgruntled housewife mm-hmm. <laughs> who thinks that Beto O'Rourke could be elected to any office. Yeah. In- and he's never been anything. He <laughs> was a backbench congressman, then he lost a bunch of races, and, he, and he's not even a great skateboarder. Yeah, how many times <laughs> do you like, try out for the team before you realize you just don't have it? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. But it is, it is, I'm just guessing. Say, because the Democrats have a habit of making stars out of complete incompetence, yeah, yeah. they then dump endless sums of money into these races. I mean, you know how much money they put behind Stacey Abrams? Well, that's, why, that's, like why, they it. that's why they keep running, because that's Stacey actually a way to sustain your lifestyle when sure. you just keep running. She's, sure. the, she's the much more egregious than Beto, I think, because at least Beto has something of a, of a personality, I suppose. But Stacey Abrams is just nothing. She has nothing at all. She doesn't even have charisma, and they keep trying to insist. They demand that we believe that she is some sort of political sensation. It's the other side of the fact that, that Republicans or conservatives don't pay enough attention to storytelling because they believe the yeah. facts will carry us through. But the other side is they don't pay attention to the facts at all. They, and they believe the story is all that matters. We're not, we haven't got the messaging. We're not telling our story. That, Your story stinks. That's I have a question. Can you feel democracy dying right now? I, just, I, I, I can it, feel I, it. It's I, in the I, air. It's MSNBC. It's best. I tried to kill it at the polls. Democracy is dying. This will be the last. I mean, the good news is we won't have to do this again, right? I mean, this will be the last election. I've been reliable. Informed. There will be no more elections. What, after what's this, really interesting ever again. about this is that the emergency never ends. So that, like, when when global cooling becomes global warming, there's absolutely no break in people saying, "Well, maybe global nothing. Maybe we're fine." Right. You know? And when when democracy doesn't die, if Republicans yeah. win and democracy doesn't die, there will be no change in the state of emergency. Well, th- we'll this I think is especially pronounced in this race. We're talking about this absolute vacuity, this vapidity in these in the Democrat candidates, and the same cannot. I, be I don't even know what vacuity or vapidity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they sound really nice, and they're uh, alliterative. Uh, so the you're not seeing that with the Republicans this year. The Republicans have a clear message. Some people aren't going to like the clear message, but you look at a candidate like J.D. Vance in Ohio, he's not just giving you the same tired old, well, you know, I'm going to cut your taxes kind of stuff. He's saying we need to have an, a, a pro-family policy. No, he's uh, like talking about Victor Orban that, on the that, campaign trail. He's got a vision. This is what I mean. This is a new Republican Party yeah. coming in. It's not the same old guys. And I think it's better. And I think that they, the old Republican Party should give way and let them start to oh, come in. Totally. And what's interesting... Come on! Okay, this is, yeah. What? 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna nay you now. Okay, you're gonna nay me. That's when I'm usually because more right. <laughs> so you tell me what yeah. unifies the Dr. Oz campaign. And no, the, the doctor, uh, or, or what, what unifies the, what unifies the, Donald the campaigns of the, Ted Budd no, not, in North not, Carolina not, and J.D. Vance. Those not, are both competitive races, and Ted Budd's going to win. But, the, the answer is that this entire campaign, like all midterm campaigns, is Donald Sutherland at the end of Body Snatchers pointing at the Democrats and going, like, <laughs> that's all that's happening right here. And you no, can peg no, on no, that. that there's, a, there's, a, there's a full... Well, fine, let's see how Blake Masters does in Arizona before we triumph. No, no, I, it, I said if, I said if, but, but the thing is, what, what Noel says... I like Blake, by the way. I want Blake to win. No, what, my point is what that, says is, that the nationalist conservative agenda has now been completely justified by... No, no, I'm not... No, 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 no come on, come like on. That's, that's, that's not it. What, what Noel said is, is, I think, half true, is it's not Trump. It's what Trump represents. Yes. This is, that is the voice of the people. It yeah, is yeah. the voice of the people. They do want, uh, they want some government... Spending, as uh, Henry Olson said years and years ago, yep. Republicans are going to have to accept that there's such a thing as a welfare state and stop talking about something that's not coming back. But, but they do not want this radical, crazed agenda that has been put forward, and the Republicans have not been strong enough. I mean, this is the thing. You Never know, you, you know, John McCain. John McCain uh, Jeb Bush, who they thought was going to be their candidate of all people, Brief. Mitt Romney. These guys have got to go. These guys are not do not represent anybody but a yeah. party in the middle of Washington. They don't represent the the people. And the, the reason the reason I mention uh, JD and Blake too. I hope Blake, I really hope Blake pulls it out. But that's going to be a tougher race. But the reason I mention this and I say maybe you like the vision, maybe you don't like the vision. But when you look at the Democrats, what is the Democrats' position on crime? Let all the criminals out of jail, and also we're going to be really tough on crime. What's their position on immigration? Open up. <laughs> the borders. We're going to be really tough on the borders. What's their position on foreign policy? What's their position on anything? They have no position. They are actually represented by Joe Biden wandering around aimlessly <laughs> on stage. They have no governing agenda. And I was going to say they were just releasing, I mean, essentially they were going to run on abortion, right? And they were just releasing scary movie trailers, which right. <laughs> were actually funny. Like that yeah. they were. Ac I was like, this must be an SNL skit, but it was really them being like, "This is what's going to happen if you allow Republicans to win." And it turned out that it was totally weird. I was like, "This is actually this is going to be their big pitch." And it turned out, which is really interesting. And I said this when people were, you know, talking about the Supreme Court and Roe v. Wade. I said, "This is going to be inconsequential. This is going to be inconsequential because I, when it, what is going to matter is people, the prices at the grocery store, yeah. what's happening." at the gas pump, the pain. This is going to not even be secondary or tertiary. It's not yeah, even yeah. going to be a thought when they show up, and that's exactly what we're seeing tonight. I think that the reality is we're not very good at articulating a vision. There's a lot of conflict of vision going on right now in the Republican Party. All, I agree that all that is true, but I think the impact of it is somewhat marginal. I think for the most part, people vote against. And it's, there, there are a few moments in history where that isn't true. But for the, I would actually say Obama. that the ascension of Obama in 2008 Certainly. was an aspirational. Yeah, no one was voting against John right. McCain. That was an aspirational moment. That's <laughs> in the primaries. <laughs> but for but for the most part, Americans vote against, and this is why I think it was a huge mistake for Donald Trump to make himself central to his own reelection uh, efforts in 2008. He he, you know, by sort of constitutionally, he puts his name in big gold letters on the side of things. The 2008 election would have been a good time for him not to have put his name in big gold letters on the side of things because it should have been uh, a referendum on what the Democrats had just did around COVID around the country, what they had just did around BLM uh, with the riots around the country. President Trump, though, he, he couldn't let it not be about himself. This election is not about Donald Trump and it's not really about the Republicans at all. It's about the very real consequences of democratic policies on very real human beings for the last 24 
and really we have to oh, say 36 months. Oh, I, I agree with that. All I'm pointing out is that the people who are coming in are a new generation with actually new vision, yeah. and that's going to yeah. continue. That's not going to stop. I agree yeah. with that. I mean, I, I, I agree that people are voting against the Democrats. They would have to be. I mentioned earlier those exit polls. The shift in Florida 2020 2022 in Latino exit polls, that's a 20-point shift. That's that is amazing. a full 20-point shift. That's and and if, if, if the black vote shifts to 20%, the Democrats, oh I, I don't they're, know they're, where the Democrats are. They're 15%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, other thing about the, the other thing about the Hispanic vote, too, is that, they, that in the Hispanic community, if we could even call it that, as we talked about this, kind of a made-up label, but that's, they also have multi-generational households. These are very family-oriented people. And so when you have the Democrats making this explicit run against the family itself, against the family unit, I mean, the Black Lives Matter for a while on their website had the destruction of the, whatever the phrasing was. The nuclear family. Right. They want to take down the nuclear family. They're explicitly saying that. Mm -hmm. Well, you're not going to appeal to Hispanics with a, or, or, you know, any, any culture that values the family still. You're not going to appeal to them with a message like that. Which, by the way, shout out to Anna Paulina in Florida, a yes. friend of ours. She won, which is super exciting. She worked really hard for years lost in, in the past, and now she's won, and just congrats to Anna Paulina. She's a wonderful person. Republicans picked up three seats in Florida so far. That's amazing. Wow. That's great. I want to get a little reaction from social media because, well, we make a lot of our living on social media, and it's a very, very silly place. And so we have Daily Wire's uh, crack social media team monitoring the situation, and they're going to come to us now and give us a little insight. Hey guys, this is your social media team here. I'm Gracie. And I'm Regan. And we have been monitoring Twitter literally since the sun came up. The entire day. It's been um, what was expected, a dumpster fire. Of course, as per usual. It's almost like to the level of when Elon took over Twitter and the liberals were losing it, saying like, you know, yes. what's happening to Twitter? <laughs> They keep freaking out. And we expected that online, obviously, which is kind of why we're here, to kind of give you guys a little bit of insight. Um, and we think it's kind of ironic that they're, they're hating on democracy, right? That's, that's the biggest thing. There's, well, actually, there's a threat to democracy. That's so dramatic. <laughs> yes, so dramatic. That is to be expected. One of the things they said is this. People of America, if there was ever a time to vote blue, now is it. Dramatic. Prove the polls wrong. Yes. Prove the media wrong. Yeah. Prove Putin wrong. What's Putin? I I love, I love how they call us the extremists, but the language that they use is like ex so extreme. Yes, it's wild. And they just keep pulling things out of thin air. Prove Elon Musk wrong. Reject fascism. Reject greed. Extremism. Extremism, yes, to the degree. And uh, vote blue to save America. So we just keep seeing that trend. Vote blue to save America. Vote blue to save democracy. And it's kind of getting old, right? It's kind of getting old. <laughs> and it's, it's literally everyone. But something I love about Twitter... There are some positives, some silver linings. Of course. Is that there have been some good tweets, some good memes that have come out of yes. this. People being funny, of course, as per usual. And so one of the things that we like is to try to find some based takes, right? Because yeah. a lot of times there's not a lot of logic that's happening on Twitter. And so when we can find a little glimpse of logic, we love it, right? Hopefully we'll see more of that coming yes. up. In, in theory. Yeah. So here's someone that this actually makes sense. The same ones threatening you about the death of democracy are the same people who had no problem with the NSA mass surveillance accurate, engaged in mass censorship, locked people down. Seem, seems extreme. Yes, yes, exactly. Fired people for not getting the vax and kept kids out of school for nearly two years. Two years. So this guy is spot on, right? We're, we're finally seeing a little bit of base takes, but again, it's hard to find here on Twitter, um, as most of y'all know watching this. <laughs> also, we wanted to give a little bit of, uh, you know, one other kind of leftist that I thought was funny. All right, can I share him? Okay. He said... If election day, it's election day, y'all. Who's ready to save democracy by voting, voting blue down the ballot? And what I think about funny is with him is 
his uh, his bio has you know the American flag, which I was kind of impressed. Surprise. Okay, so good good start. Good start. But then of course it says supports Ukraine because all of these leftists seem to have the Ukrainian flag in the bio. Kind of reminds me of Jen Ro- Jen Rubin, who her username for a while was like Jennifer Pro Democracy Rubin or yes, something. Exactly. Exactly. It's got to be in your bio. And um, something that's also just interesting with woke entertainment, uh, Rob Reiner said, don't let democracy die. Vote blue. Yes, exactly. It's just it's a lot of vote blue, vote blue. It's everywhere. The irony, though, is they keep talking about democracy. But the, the, the weird thing is they're all out voting. So they are doing... Participating. Exactly, participating safely, effectively. So it's, it's very ironic. Again, that's the theme we keep seeing with what they're saying versus what's actually happening out there in the world right now. Kind of reminds me of last week when all the leftists were absolutely freaking out about Twitter being yeah. like, you know, the worst thing ever, but they're complaining about free speech on Twitter. Yes. The irony is not lost in us. I assume you guys as well. Now, obviously, we wanted to share a few other ones that we just thought was funny. Ben, of course, because Ben is obviously having the most based takes on Twitter. Keep it up. We're expecting a lot. We keep reading your tweets. And we will admit that this is a homer take. Yes. We're we're cheating a little bit, but we just wanted to read Ben's. He said, just remember, if you don't vote today, the clown from it will haunt your dreams. So he's keeping the drama alive because if the left's going to be this dramatic, the right better pull out some drama as well. Seriously. (laughs) Keep it up, Ben. (laughs) All right, guys. Back to you. I'll be completely honest and say if Ben had, text, had tweeted that exact same tweet last election, it would have gotten labeled with a warning. I don't think, 100%. I don't think I'm going to. That's exactly 100%. right. 100%. Yes, you're right. Sadly. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Gracie and Reagan. You guys keep us posted on what goes on throughout the rest of the night. We'll be checking back in. We're, we're about to win a seat in Rhode Island. Come on. Rhode Island, which, which hasn't happened since I believe the earth began turning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, Ro- the Rhode Island 2nd Congressional District. Alan Fung, who is a Republican mayor over there, is about to defeat, it looks like, a, an incoming state general treasurer, the Democrat nominee. A Democrat retired in this seat. A uh, Republican is leading in that seat, which is not a sane result. That is a, that is a crazy result. Meanwhile, the New York Times is now tweeting out, I kid you not, five ways to soothe election stress. What? Because, what? Yeah. Election deniers? Oh, yeah, they, uh, there's, election uh, they, they, there's so much election stress. So here's, here are the five ways they recommend to soothe election stress. We should all try these. <laughs> try five finger breathing. Trace the outside of your hand with your pointer finger. Wait, slow down. When you trace up, breathe in. When you trace down, breathe out, guys. That feels great. (laughs) I feel so much better. Cool down. I don't think we can do this one. Plunge your face into a bowl with ice water for 15 to 30 seconds. Give me a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Move, even walk around the block and offer some relief for an uneasy mind. This one, (laughs) breathe like a baby. I'm not kidding. That's what it says. It says breathe like a baby. Focus on expanding your belly as you breathe. Which can send more oxygen to your brain. I thought it was like, have a doctor swatch you on the ass. <laughs> how, does, how does whiskey and not Did they publish the this right now, or did this just, like, this can't be, like, recently published. This is, this is within the last hour and a half. I can't believe but that. But you know what you do? If, <laughs> I just if, cannot if believe that. winning the election, that. then the way like to soothe yourself is to do a stogie breathing and plunge your face into a glass of whiskey. <laughs> that, that, that works for me. Even better. No matter what's happening. Last hour, that is so, I, I don't know what to say about the state you, of journalism. By the way, you know what goes really great with stogies <laughs> and whiskey, in my experience? Some delicious red meat from Good Ranchers, baby. <laughs> the stakes are high tonight. We don't know for sure. Hold on. Is- are you, do- you going to make a steak pun? Go, go. The stakes are high. A delicious medium rare. Do you, yeah, do you get it, guys? The stakes. Do you get it? They're very high. We don't know for sure that there's going to be a red political wave, but we do know that the red meat wave <laughs> Baby, good ranchers. Best commercial ever. Good ranchers is kicking foreign meat out of American homes and replacing it with America's best 
meat and seafood. If you have not already, now is the time to join the red meat wave because Good Ranchers early Black Friday special is going on now. Right now, you can get two Black Angus New York strip steaks free with your order at goodranchers.com slash election. These are two 12-ounce steakhouse quality cuts, a $70 value for free. Good Ranchers just has the best stuff. I absolutely love it. You don't want to miss this offer. Let me tell you why Black Angus tastes better and is more tender than any other beef. Black Angus meat is marbled in such a way that the fat is distributed thinly and evenly. This marbling gives it a consistent flavor that you don't get with other meats. Plus, the Black Angus from Good Ranchers is hand-cut and trimmed by expert butchers. I'm salivating just reading this. <laughs> so you know that every piece is going to be exquisite. Join the red meat Woo! wave and treat yourself. You know, these guys did a thing. When we did, we did a promo one time, and it was called a meat and greet. Good Ranchers has the very best puns and the very best meat. So head on over right now, this holiday season. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash election. Use code election at checkout for this uh, special early Black Friday offer. GoodRanchers.com slash election for two Black Angus New York strip steaks free with your order. Good Ranchers. American meat delivered. So our friend Jordan Peterson only eats steak. <laughs> yes. So uh, it's not a joke. Uh, for breakfast, he will eat 30 ounces of ribeye. Holy Moses. So, if you go to Amarillo, Texas and eat the famous steak where they'll give it to you for free if you can finish, it's 72 ounces. That's a average Tuesday. That's just a Tuesday yeah. for Dr. Yeah. Jordan Peterson. He eats so much steak. I'm, I want to get through the holidays before <laughs> I try it, but I'm really tempted. You know, once you get past all the delicious treats that come uh, around Christmas. And I think Good Ranchers needs to sponsor the Jeremy Goes on the Carnivore <laughs> Diet. Oh, yeah. They make great steaks. Mm -hmm. I have... Well, no online following, but yeah. you know, I'm, I sit near people with a huge online following. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like course. it should just be good ranchers mm -hmm. nonstop. They'll lose about a million dollars in meat, but <laughs> yeah, that's right. we'll have a good time. Yeah. Exactly. And that, I just want to mention on that Rhode Island 2nd Congressional District, that district went by, uh, for the Democrat, by 17 points last time. No. Wow. Yeah, so You're looking like are, a 20% swing across the board here I mean, in some it, of these it could be. I mean, some of these races, and again, right now, we're still waiting on, on returns at all, basically, from Pennsylvania. They're counting the mail-in ballots. The mail-in right now is showing Fetterman only trailing... Uh, the performance of Josh Shapiro, who's widely expected to win that gubernatorial race by about four points. If that were to hold, Fetterman would win the Senate fairly easily, or either that or Shapiro is not running that far ahead of Mastriano, right? One of those two things has yeah. to be true, but there's wide gaps uh, is what... This Shapiro's speech this week, Oof. the whole left was praising it as like the second coming of Barack Obama. I found the whole thing, other than something of the energy and something of yeah, the Yeah, he had some energy. He yeah. some energy. The substance of the speech was horrifying. But I always felt Obama had no substance, too. I mean, Obama, his whole, you know, oh, there's not a red America, there's not a blue America. There. I always thought it was so vapid. Are, you, try amazing, are you trying to get us kicked yeah, off? Yeah, I know. We're going to totally... <laughs> I just, I always thought his rhetoric, though it sounded kind of pretty, I always thought that was totally empty. And so, mm. in that in that regard, maybe uh, yeah, Josh Shapiro is the next guy. full sentences. That's a lot for the left right now. So yeah, why don't right? you guys stop being so harsh? We've yeah. got, <laughs> got Joe Biden. I'll be honest. In my lifetime, it's a lot for any American president. <laughs> speak a full sentence. Let's give them that. Kemp is up on Abrams by about five points. He's up 52 to 47, as we suggested before. If Walker is going to win or at least avoid losing tonight, you know, at least could be a runoff. Run he, he, Kemp really needs to be up in the 54% range. How many, so, are, how many uh, what percent reporting? Yeah, that, that's 44% reporting. Could theoretically happen, but that's, that's, that's like some, almost 2 million votes. Has the made. early voting been... Uh, I don't know how it works in Georgia, whether they pre-count the early vote. I'll check. Why don't we go to our election wire 
uh, friends and see if they have any insight into what's happening down in Georgia, what it's going to take to win there. We've got Cabot Phillips and uh, John Bickley over at Election Wire. Hey. Over at Election Wire. I'm on. Uh, I'm joined by Robert Cahaley from Trafalgar Group. That was fun, you know. Um, we partnered with Trafalgar Group for a bunch of exclusive polls. They do a lot of, you know, digging in deep to these, these polls, talk to a lot of Americans. Always have polls that are at least 1,000 voters. What are we seeing so far? Do, any insights from particularly Florida and Georgia? <laughs> Florida is very different than the rest, the rest of the uh, country. And then I've been categorizing Florida for the, most of this entire campaign is not really a swing state anymore. Uh, so what we are seeing in Georgia is Walker is behind um, Kemp, but he isn't behind far enough that if Kemp gets the numbers we're expecting, which is, you know, an eight to nine point victory. And if Walker stays within five or six, then that's a victory without a runoff for Walker. So if Walker can maintain that small distance behind Kemp, that's pretty good. Uh, it puts him in a pretty good position to have a good night. Yeah, some of the gaps we're looking at now are just about 2% maybe behind Kemp, which is really good for Walker. That's tremendous if he stays. If that can hold up, that'd be impressive. And as Cabot noted, we've seen a lot of the, the pretty heavily blue counties coming in. Another good sign for Republicans there. Well, and also what a lot of the early vote. And, and the early yeah. vote this year in Georgia is not quite as lopsided as it has been in the past. But, I mean, when you're, when you're half of the vote in and the Republicans aren't getting destroyed, that, is a very, that's, that points to a very big night. One more question. You know, with the early vote, we can, the states look different in terms of how they're going to count them. Pennsylvania, we've been warned by all the Democrats, it's going to take a long time to count those. It's different, though, obviously in Florida, where we have, what, 80% of the vote in already. What about Georgia? Well, Georgia, the new election law is certainly making it easier with, with the way that there's demanded a little more accountability. And, and frankly, there's a lot of people watching now. And the requirement for the, for the signatures and the ID verification is going to mean a little bit less of what was in the past. But also because this in-person early vote is much easier to count than the than absentee ballots. Now, we have had as usual problems. I think Cobb County had 1,100 absentee ballots that were mailed the day before the election. Yeah. And there's already a lawsuit on that. Surprise, surprise, a lawsuit in Georgia. Maybe people aren't happy with yeah. the way it might turn so out. So lawsuit in Georgia, two or so lawsuits in Arizona. It's already getting you know, controversial. But Absolutely. thanks a lot. We'll be Thank back you. with uh, Robert in the future. Thank you guys very much. It's uh, too early to say if we have a red wave, but it's certainly a strong night for Republicans you know, right out of the gate. Did you? I voted early, too, because I was going to be here, and I had to vote in person. Uh, I, I walked in. They checked my ID. They asked me my middle name, which isn't on my driver's license, hmm. uh, because they had it in their And then they showed me on the computer. They said, we are now saying that you have voted on the computer. It was actually, I felt pretty secure. I mean, it was well done. Same in Tennessee. I did not vote early because I'm an American, but I <laughs> went to the local Presbyterian church this morning and I walked in, the, I, I, because I've been in California for over 20 years, I walked up and said, you know, Jeremy Boring, I'm here to vote. And she said, oh, sweetie, I just need your ID. And I was a little taken aback for a moment. <laughs> yeah. I thought I was going to have to call the diversity police or something and you know, shut this operation down. But no, it turns out it was incredibly simple. Once I handed them my ID, 
they were very quickly able to identify who I am. Could if you, if you voted What's at the... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll explain it to you later. As a black woman, yeah. I don't expect yeah. you to understand. You have to, you have to explain stocks lower. Jeremy, if you voted in a Presbyterian church, did you even need to cast your vote, or was it all just sort of predestined to occur? As it... <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Drive safely. So, yeah. <laughs> so we, we've talked a little bit about this tonight, but not since Candace was, was with us, and I think it's incredibly important. Uh, you know, a lot of people that are watching right now, they're optimistic, they're hopeful that we're going to win, but they, they're wondering, what does it mean if we win? Republicans, okay, we, we pick up seats in the House, okay, we get a majority in the Senate. What are the, in my actual life that I'm actually living, where gasoline is too expensive, the dollar is not worth what it's supposed to be, food prices are going up, I don't want to just eat Chef Boyardee, as Michael said, <laughs> uh, and as Democrat politicians have actually <laughs> suggested. Uh, what, what is the practical effect of a win tonight? Well, you know, I, I don't think that we're going to see much uh, change at the pump, but that's, that's one thing. There's nothing that is going to move these guys off the dime of climate emergency. It is, yeah. they are, they have, are all in on this idea, which even the New York Times, actually, if you're reading the small print in the New York Times, even they are admitting that this existential climate emergency doesn't exist. It, yeah. it, it hasn't, it never has, and it's all uh, an illusion. So I don't think it's going to have the kinds of effects on the, on the things that matter, the, the uh, crime wave. The reason it's not is because ever since Obama, the, the Democrats have taken the position that if the voters get it wrong, they are going to continue on their path. It used to be, take Bill Clinton, we got, you know, shellacked, whatever the word he used was. was I think that was Obama's, but he got, uh, you know, also shellacked. And he said, we're going to change. And they moved to the center. That no longer happens in the Democrat Party. They are so dominated by their base. So I don't think we're going to see the kind of uh, change we want to see. But if the Democrats continue doing what they're doing, we're going to see a lot of change come two years from now. You know, there is also a story that people are not talking about, but it was a news alert that popped up today, which is that uh, Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky said he'd be willing to negotiate a peace with Russia if <laughs> certain uh, criteria are met. And uh, the fact that this came on the American Election Day, I think, is no coincidence. Yep. Everyone around the world watches the American polls <laughs> because we are the global hegemon. We are the empire. They are all vassal states in some, in some way or other. And, uh, and th that actually... Politely put, Noles. Well, yes, you know, to be, to be really subtle about it. And, and it, it matters because the Republicans are coming in as much more skeptical of, a, of an open check on Ukraine. And so we'll see how the Republicans play it. I don't think they're going to come out as anti-Ukraine, but I think you're going to see a lot more scrutiny into, in, scrutiny into how that money is being spent. And so that could add a lot of pressure for a resolution in that war. And that actually could affect energy prices, and it, it certainly would no, probably make it. And also, while, while Candace is here, I feel like I can count on you to be with me about impeaching Biden immediately. I am 100% on board to <laughs> Biden immediately. Candace already impeached him. Hold, 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 I, I just have Biden. one. This, I don't want to get too caught up on technicalities. For what? <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. It's a ridiculous question. Doesn't matter. Just impeach well, him. Impeach him, and we'll figure it out afterwards. <laughs> uh, you, got, you got to impeach him to find out what you. you got to get yeah. Exactly I mean, how it works. Why do you guys want Kamala Harris so bad? I, honestly, I, I do. I think I do. I, like I said before, I didn't realize how stupid she was. Like, I, I, I honestly, I was so focused on, like, the Trump versus Biden allowed thing to say that. that she I'm flew not... under the radar for me. <laughs> and I am so impressed with her stupidity that I do want her to have a, a bigger other, platform. I do. Also, Kamala Harris, 
has this thing about Venn diagrams. Uh, I love, I, I love loves, nuclear football. She loves Venn diagrams. My favorite big president, you get, just get nuclear footballs. <laughs> and I love footballs, and I love nuclear. Who doesn't love football? Also, what's so bizarre is, like. the two circles and the three. Yeah. in the middle circles. What's fascinating is how much black America hates Kamala Harris. It's incredible. I mean, they just have to make think anyone of her. Anyone at any risk of being lumped in or labeled on the basis of a Kamala Harris is going to hate her. And so that's going to be all women. That's going to be black America. And if you guys have your way and win with impeaching Joe Biden, it will be all Americans <laughs> who are suddenly being lumped in together with this. She's just so unlikable. And every time oh. she opens her mouth, I'm like, that was really dumb. Well, well, yeah. my, my favorite thing, I do love the My Favorite Things tour. It's like Julie Andrews' My Favorite Things tour. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. It's like, you know, oh, drops and, and <laughs> raindrops on roses. Right, she, Venn diagrams. Yeah. School buses. Electric school buses. When the dog bites. Outer space. When Joe Biden sniffs. Sorry, I had to. Actually, that was Right that there. was related when she was uh, when she was at the DMV <laughs> talking to like some random officers about outer space, uh, like looking at so North Korea. That was my favorite. So I found that very relatable, actually. Like this is my. I do like her. I don't know. I it's don't it's know. my consolation tonight <laughs> on Pennsylvania because if things don't go well for Dr. Oz, if we have the majority in the Senate and Dr. Oz loses, and John Fetterman wins, I know Republicans are going to be pulling their hair out. I. I do think it will be kind of funny. I will get a kick out of it because we'll get control of the Senate and I'll get pretty good content for like six years. <laughs> so I'm not terribly upset about it. Also, Dr. Oz is not a good candidate, but no, that's, I know we have to be unified tonight. Go out and vote for Dr. Oz, but he just is not a good candidate. And so if we can keep control of the Senate and still get you know Kamala as president, John Fetterman as senator. That's kind of and hilarious. that's my pitch because it's yep. good for our shows to have content. <laughs> yes. and we need yep. Kamala Harris. Got rid of Tiffany so Cross, and we do have to fill. Right? I mean, without without yep. Tiffany Cross, that's like at least five to seven percent of my content. Right, yeah. that's on a regular saying. basis. So just a supply demand problem. I, I hear you. Rex I'm Chapman Harris. has a very important response to what's happening tonight. Mm -hmm. um, it involves some cursing. Mm -hmm. um, Effing no bleeps. Yeah, no just bleeps. do it. Really. No. No. But the impulse bleep is, in fact, my yeah. brand. You have a point. The, the funny thing about bleeping my brand is if my producers know, <laughs> basically at the studio, it's been after dark pretty much all the time. <laughs> like, everybody who knows me off the air knows yeah, yeah. that. Like, yeah, it can be very important. Anyway, Rex Chapman, effing Rand Paul, effing Ron DeSantis, effing Marco Rubio, our democracy is absolutely positively effed. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's Rex Chapman. But he'll always has his, have his bizarre love for Nancy Pelosi's big, big brain. Mm. So that's, yeah, that's that the important thing. Sexy. Very so, so much. What a sexy brain. Well, as he, as he points out, though, nothing says democracy is effed quite like the majority of people <laughs> making their opinion known at the polls and then getting what they by want. Vote, by voting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's totally sold down. You know, one thing that I really do want to see on a more serious note, though, like, and I know that a lot of parents feel me on this, like some accountability regarding COVID, some shrinking oh. of the oh, bureaucrats, yeah, like the idea that they just took two years of everybody's lives and tortured children. And I go back to Stacey mm -hmm. Abrams where, I mean, for me, etched into my mind is that photo of her sitting in front of kindergartners. With Wait, she's the only one not wearing a mask. I cannot wait. It's like, to forgive them. I cannot wait to forget. <laughs> mm -hmm. I cannot wait to move forward yeah. in a country with amnesty for all COVID. <laughs> it's like we I just all don't think you can't hold you can't hold people accountable for the things for the do. things they do to others <laughs> yeah, yeah. for their own benefit. That's by, a, you, by the way, Jeremy, these articles now. It's not Christian. Yeah. We all did stuff like they tormented us, sure, but it's like we were tormented. It's like we all did stuff, you know. And we got crazy and whatever. We yelled at our grandmas and told yeah. them they should all die alone. But let's just we, we just need a COVID. Yeah, we're always whining yeah. about oh, you're yeah. letting my grandmother die alone. All that whining, you know. It's, mm -hmm. yeah. it's genuinely, it is genuinely unChristian 
to forgive and give this blanket amnesty <laughs> yeah. for COVID policy. Because it was, to say that we have some sort of moral obligation to treat people who have power over us <laughs> with the grace that Christ shows to those whom he has power over is a complete inversion of Christian doctrine. And also justice is a part of Christian yeah. thought also. also. Yeah. I mean, the forgiveness has to follow upon an apology and a recognition. Repent. Of like repentance? Yeah. Like, yeah. like you have to repent. Repent your sin. And then maybe, <laughs> yeah. like, it's, it is amazing to, to, to watch as all these people who wish to do the same thing over again. Of course they do. They, they, yeah, they, they, they do they, it tomorrow. Like in the same article where Emily Oster was, was saying we should all have repentance and all this. She was saying, well, maybe we should still vax the kids. And it's like, what the? What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. Maybe the what? newborn infants need a vax or two, mm -hmm. but, yeah. you know, a little COVID vax. It's totally safe and effective for now. Totally safe and effective <laughs> as long as... And also the, the things they're claiming like. they did. In that article, she also <laughs> says that, well, you know, in, in April of that year, I was hiking with masks on with my family in the woods. And, and we, we didn't know. We didn't know. It's like, no, well, I, we all, everyone just yeah, here knew. So well, like, why, didn't you, why didn't you know? We protected against bears. That's why yeah. you hide with the face yeah. mask in the woods. Yeah, well, but only, <laughs> only the, in 90. Right. Yeah. The bear can't recognize you. So we have uh, a guest who's ready to join us now. I'm very excited, uh, not only because she's a friend, um, but she's also an absolute champion. And they're telling me in my ear, not quite yet. So this is just like... What a tease. <laughs> this is wow. the night. Yeah. This is absolutely the night in which uh, all things that can go wrong will, and the person who's humiliated will always be me. No, no, it's fine. You guys have big following. No one will ever blame you. Oh, oh, Ben's so great. Oh, we love Candace. Oh, Matt's documentary, this. Oh, every time Jeremy talks, he says something's going to happen, and it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know why they have him here. It's a bummer. Just terrible. Can you tell me who she is? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and talk about her for a minute. Yeah, all right. It's our friend Harmeet Dillon, who, in addition to being just a champion for justice, who helped represent us at the Supreme Court, uh, in our, not at the Supreme Court, but in our battle in the courts against uh, Biden's unconstitutional vaccine mandates, which is something that we don't brag on ourselves about often enough. The first, in, first company in the nation to sue Joe Biden to stop the mandates. I've, I've seen Harmeet in all of these situations just be an absolute stone cold killer. killer. Mm -hmm. uh, she's 100% not ready to join us yet. Yeah. <laughs> but I just want to say nice. That's a great I do tease. want to say that she was on my also in the BLM documentary that we did. She is just an incredible human being. I actually I didn't know she was joining and I'm very excited that she's joining. Oh, she's not joining. Oh, yeah. no, never, at this point, yeah. the chances of that happening. Yeah. Let us down again. The frickin' Maricopa County voting machines are right? more reliable. But I was going to say, she, she's, she's on that right now, too. She's tweeting about yeah. that, talking about filing early lawsuits. I actually, can, can, we, can we cut to somebody to who's not ready, though, yet? Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually did say, though, I told our technical team here, I said, guys, do not get the Maricopa County cameras and switchboard. It's not going to turn out That's well. That's always where you go wrong. Mm -hmm. Right now, by the way, I'll just give you a quick Georgia update since we're just sitting here anyway. Thanks, yeah. 54 percent reporting. Warnock is up 51-47 over Walker. So mm -hmm. he's running a little bit stronger than I think people would want him to. I'd love to hear what Harmeet has to say about that. We're not going to. <laughs> we never will. No. Never will. Yeah, but the, it would the be race, The other race yeah. that, that is surprisingly tight, hopefully it'll open up a little bit, is the North Carolina Senate race. Ted Budd right now is running very close to Sherry Beasley. He was supposed to beat her in most of the polls by somewhere between four and six points. Mm. Uh, right now he's only up by 0.3. He's up by approximately 6,000 votes out of 2.6 million cast, mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, you would expect that, that the rural votes come in a little bit later, usually yeah. after What's the city votes. reporting? So my, right now that's only 58% reporting, so you'd expect that to widen a little bit, but that's a closer race than I think people had, had sort of foreseen at this point. It's, it's kind of a mixed bag, right? Like the, the areas where Republicans have done like an amazing job, 
they're kicking ass. And in places where they're kind of like nobody knows, then yeah. they're kind of meh. So Have it's you tried it, breathing like a baby. Yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> it, it's also it's also I think challenging because. We have controlled media, essentially, in this country. The left absolutely dominates almost all of our major institutions. And the reason that they were running so hard on the red wave story 14 days ago is to create fear among Democrats and motivate them to go to the polls. That's true. If you were looking at a blue wave two weeks ago, they would have been downplaying it in all the institutional press. Right. Because they wouldn't have wanted to create a fear response right. uh, among conservatives. And, you know, that, that's just... Every, every election, conservatives have to overcome the institutional deficit. And that institutional deficit, I think, has gotten worse and worse and worse over the years. Now, may, one of the encouraging things is that conservatives tend to adapt quickly. So the Democrats, you know, we were talking about this earlier, the Democrats will create some new mechanism yeah. within two, four years when they, social media, conservatives dominated social media in the early days, oh, yeah. which is why they had to start actually shadow banning and banning uh, conservatives. So I think that we... We do a good job of overcoming all those institutional hurdles, but what do you think they cost us? Five? Is it five points? Is it ten points in every single election? Well, just, I mean, just by banning the New York Post story, it cost uh, yeah. Trump twelve the presidency. Points. Yeah, the presidency. Yeah, the presidency. By a lot. By a lot, actually. You know. Yeah. Uh, so that that's obviously a huge problem. It's interesting, though. You mentioned this mixed bag that we're getting. It, it it seems like a red wave. It seems like a red tsunami. But then you know, ah man, we should have had Georgia. Ah man, we should have you know. Yeah. And and the I really the only state that I'm really focused on right now, and I know that we don't have numbers for it yet, is New York. I know you're. I know you're. I can't. I'm I'm all about New York. I actually think Lee Zeldin could pull it out. As corrupt as New York is. I mean, there are, you know, we were, we were joking, not really joking, about Philadelphia is a corrupt city and they mess with the votes and that's gone on for decades. New York is actually not as bad. As corrupt as New York is, usually you get the numbers in relatively you know, yeah. quickly. And so you could get, I think you could get a Lee Zeldin win. I think you probably will get a win in New York 17. There, but we don't have the numbers yet, Zeld- like Hermes. Zeldin's strong run is going to help the down market candidates, but I, I cannot picture him win, actually winning because just the numbers alone, you know, it used to be that upstate New York was heavily Republican, but it's not anymore. So if he wins even 30% in the city, he is going to have an uphill climb uh, making, yeah. making a majority. You know, well, right now, coming to, us from, no, coming to us from Arizona <laughs> uh, at the Cary Lake campaign, I can't believe it. We actually have Harmeet K. Dillon here with us. Oh, we're not. Harmeet, we see you. Lying again, Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy. Listen, I don't know who you want to blame. The signal Not is a little Jeremy. interrupted. Hi, guys. <laughs> Not yeah, Jeremy. There we go. Hey, Harmeet. There you are. Huh? How are you? Hi. Hi. I'm sorry. I'm in a crowded uh, conference room here just at, at the end of a hearing, so there may be a lot of uh, other noise here. Sorry about that. Not at all. Tell us what's happening there. All right, we're going to try to yeah. get Harmeet back here in a little bit, but we're going to move on right now because we have a bad... Harmeet is at a hearing in Iraq right now, so... Yeah. so if you're going to captain this ship, man. Listen, <laughs> it is not Harmeet's fault. She's in a third world country. <laughs> she's trying to, yeah, she's in Maricopa County here. You can't expect anything to work there. I, I want to go back to my happy place, Florida. Ron DeSantis is currently up by 20 points. <laughs> right. This is now getting embarrassing. He, he's, he's up 59 to 40 over Charlie Crist. Oh. 4.3 million votes to 2.9 million votes. He's up off 1.4 million votes. And at his victory party, 
people are chanting two more years, which is... <laughs> I mean, what, what is this the argument? actually hysterically funny. That's really funny. What is the argument against him in 2024? I, I don't even, I don't see it. What's the argument? It's not against? Donald Trump. That's, that's Donald the, Trump yeah. is the argument and, and against will, him. And will, yeah. Trump's, will Trump's voters follow him if he wins the primary? And, and does Ron DeSantis play retail nationally? I'm not saying he doesn't. He's done an incredible job in Florida. He's like the greatest governor of my lifetime. But Donald Trump is a singular individual. He is the biggest rock star in, a, in the last 40 years. He's got a magnetic quality to him. I know he's got lots of negatives that everyone hates, but the guy is just a unique case. I, I, but like I, I, all rock stars, I'm not worried about DeSantis on the... Right, yeah, right. <laughs> I will say that he, he, there's a thing that he's done over the past four days. He's been attacking DeSantis, yeah. Yeah. and it's not playing. Not effective. It is no. not playing yeah, the yeah. way that, that his attacks played in 2016. Maybe it's because it's early. Maybe it's because we're in the middle of a midterm. The timing, the pun wasn't the timing that is terrible. Yeah. Ron DeSanctimonious is a terrible nickname. I'm just going to put it out there. Yeah. Trump is really good at branding, and that's a bad... Uh, that that yeah. one is never going to see the light of day again. He's never going back to Ron DeSanctimonious. It stinks. Yeah. It's a terrible brand. Um, but it doesn't the, even apply. Is that, you don't yeah. think of sanctimonious. As a, right, exactly. well, so the, thing you, the thing you miss, though, many of Trump's nicknames don't work. But what he's always had is the feedback loop of Twitter. And so he, he mm. rolls them out. He, well, he had one for Hillary, like... Not uh, no stamina no Hillary. No stamina Hillary. That didn't go anywhere. He, he throws them out, yep. like improv, and he measures the reaction. Yep. But they've cut him off from his feedback mechanism. Yep. He still has the live audiences when he does his rallies, and that's important. But his real feedback mechanism was Twitter. Yep. I think that, you know, it's, it's not for nothing that they banned him. I, I, also, I also think that's one, one of the things that's been happening... Here and he like today he attacked DeSantis by saying if he runs in 2024 then you know I know more about it. I'm gonna go out, I know more about him than anybody except his wife which is a real no he said he him. said except maybe perhaps, perhaps his wife, his wife. which so like we see what he's weird saying. if true yeah weird if true that, if, that Donald <laughs> yeah. Trump knows Ron DeSantis better than anyone except his wife like a weird <laughs> I wouldn't have predicted it. <laughs> uh, d- didn't have that on my bingo I'm curious. card. For, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Strangely curious. Yeah. But um, the, the the reason that, that that's not playing is because again. Ron DeSantis, unlike everybody else who ran against Trump in 2016, except for, did, was, was Perry running in 2016? Was, it, was that 2012? I think it was 2012. Perry was 2012. 2012. So, so yeah. the, the, everyone else who was running against Trump was a senator. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the fact, hmm. Jeb, Jeb had been a governor 1,000 years ago. Right. So what that means is that he wasn't running from anyone who had a national brand in terms of being very, very good at governing things. Yeah, yeah. And DeSantis has a very good record of being able to govern. And so it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. There's another Trump is going to make the argument, I was a good president, I did good things as president. And DeSantis is going to say, that's true, all of that's true. It's time for a new approach. I know how to govern a state. I know how to fire everybody who needs to be fired. I know how to run these yeah. things the way they need to be run. I took a state that, again, 30,000 vote advantage in the last election, 1.4 million vote advantage in the next They're trying election. to build this narrative about DeSantis, too. The, the, the thing, a- after Trump launched his attack on DeSantis, there were some Trump supporters on Twitter that were trying to build this narrative of the problem with DeSantis is the, the establishment. The establishment is behind him. They had all these unsourced, anonymous sources saying that Paul Ryan and Kevin, you know, all, all these, uh, dis- all these uh, establishment guys are, are getting behind uh, DeSantis. But the problem with that is, first of all, it's unsourced. Who cares? Second, it's like the other problem you run into with Trump is that he's endorsed all these guys, and he also hired a lot of them when he was president. So, But the, uh, the, the more perceptive, I think, version of that attack is that, and it's a unique challenge for Ron DeSantis right now, DeSantis's big plus 
and, and his chief sales pitch is he's the bigger, better Trump. He's Trump 2.0. He's Trump with all the positives, none of the negatives, right? A very competent, very bright. Okay, that's the pitch for him. But his role in the race right now is for the anti-Trump vote. So there are a lot of yeah, people who difficult. hated Trump, who have hated Trump for a long time, who like DeSantis. And it, that's not DeSantis's fault. He, so it could be a, an advantage to him because he could unite the party in a unique way. Or... If Trump keeps going headlong against... a lot of people who are the most ardent for, for DeSantis are actually former Trumpers. I mean, yeah, no. I have to have the inside track on this story, so I can drop a little, yeah. little gossip. <laughs> yeah. But so basically what's happened is that, obviously, DeSantis barely won his race for governor, yeah. the gubernatorial race first time. It was because Trump flew down and he saved him and really dragged him over the finish line, which is a fact. And because Trump dragged him over the finish line, when Trump has been, like, obviously fighting 2020 election stuff, and DeSantis has kind of really asserted himself as a governor, by the way, the real reason, DeSantis, if you want to give me a thank you for taking down Andrew Gillum on the one that broke that story <laughs> yeah. about him, yeah, yeah, yeah. anytime you want to call DeSantis, say thank you. That's two things I've done for him. we got to keep a, a little thing. But um, Ambassador to the Bahamas. Yeah, right? Exactly. That's all I'm saying. Ambassador to Guam. Right? <laughs> Unless it tips into the sea. Yeah. But, <laughs> but um, anyways, I- I'm kidding. But... So uh, it, it's really interesting because he basically feels that because he got him over the finish line that it would be r- the right thing for Sanders to do is to concede and allow him to run again in 2024. Now, we can talk politics, talk about what's proper. We can talk about the royal family and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And Ron DeSantis has not come out or, and said, I'm not going to run because I appreciate you and that I really kind of wouldn't be here without you. And that, in the background, has really gotten Trump quite angry. Now, what I also will say, here's what I'm an expert on also, is I think I do more on-the-ground traveling than all of you guys in terms of speeches that I do every week, everywhere. It is changing. Ben is correct. Trump supporters are starting to lean into DeSantis. Yep. Um, and they're starting to say... And these are, by the way, some of his biggest donors as well behind closed doors who have said to me that, you know, they are, you know, what do you think about DeSantis? What do you think about DeSantis? There's something that they like better about DeSantis because he's less reactive. He sometimes lets certain things go. And it seems like a better oiled machine that's happening down in Florida. And I will say just my personal experience, and I, I, could, I don't think I could have been more of a vocal Trump supporter, but I was deeply upset with him when we did that interview and I went down there, Mar-a-Lago. I could not have given him a more fair interview. Obviously, everybody knows my stance on vaccines. I couldn't be more vocal about the fact that I don't vax my children, I don't vax myself. And I asked him a question about vaccines, and he was like, they're the best things, they're so amazing. And then his own base got upset with that. His own base got upset with that. He said it. And then he was mad at me because his base got mad at what he said. And I thought to myself, that's a bit arrogant, okay? You got your, I, I literally gave you the nicest interview ever. You're mad at how what you said, because this is when he kind of wasn't understanding that his base was not pro-vaccine. Like there was like this, this random period where he wasn't quite understanding that getting on stage and saying, and there's go, we're gonna give more vaccines. And I'm the one, because he was so proud that he rushed the vaccines, but there was a disconnect between like, we're not happy about that. We don't, and, and then he sort of blamed it on me. He, he got very upset with me. Um, for I don't know what, like what not se- like censoring what he said on my show. Like, I just say that the, the also the, the I thought problem. I was a bit arrogant. Yeah, the problem with this idea that well, DeSantis can run in 2028, and Trump will be the guy in 2024. Well, the the, the, yeah. the assumption is that a Republican will be able to win after another Trump right. term, which which is like. That's a pretty big assumption that, that will necessarily Or another Trump loss. I mean, there, there are a few. So there are a few. We, we talked about the upsides of DeSantis. One of the downsides of Trump that nobody's mentioning is it doesn't have to do with him as a person at all. He's only eligible for one more term, and he's going to be 82 in 2020, 2028. Okay, which means that he is very old. 
And again, even if he ran and he won, you were foregoing the possibility of an eight-year span for a popular president. Even if Trump were to be reelected in, in 2024, he's constitutionally barred from running for, for a third term. But the and idea would be a 12-year Reagan but Bush. But he's a lame duck the second you... Right. He, that, that's correct. And so he doesn't have the ability to actually... The real thing is in campaigning, no one has yet figured out how to defeat Trump's vicious, his viciousness, his, his cruelty, his ability yeah. to brand people. <laughs> but his, he's good. His ability, and no, he's, Dennis is not good on the really, campaign trail. He's really good at it. You know, and, and Biden only won because Trump kind of defeated himself, kind of positioned himself wrongly, and because of COVID. And they changed all the rules. Yeah, 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 and they changed all the rules. And they suppressed the laptop store. I'm not saying saying DeSantis can't do it. I'm just saying he's going to have to find a way. There's a skeleton key to debating Trump because Trump debates kind of like a seventh grader, right? He kind of hits you with an insult, and then there's no comeback to it. Like, how do you you respond to a guy saying your wife's ugly? What are you supposed to do with that? Rant on him? Like, what do you do exactly? And so, but. It really is genius. You either punch him, in which case you lose, you lose. Right. or you don't punch him, I mean, which, in which, which case you lose. Right? Exactly. He is an entertainer, and that, that is part of it. Oh, but I yeah. think, but here's the thing. <laughs> him attacking, again, any of the other figures in 2016 who looked like Lilliputians next to him because he was very famous, and, because, and mostly because the media had decided that Trump was the enemy in 2016. Yep. And so the base was like, well, if he's the enemy, then he's my man. Mm-hmm. And right now, the base perceives that the media hate DeSantis, if not as much as Trump, nearly. I mean, they, they made DeSantis... And Trump didn't have a record either. I mean, it, right. what, what DeSantis can do in a primary, is say, you handed the country over to Fauci. Yes, that's right. And, and, that, and, and, and that's pretty much all he has to say. Yeah, and that's Mr. President, be... you had a good three years. Right. Year four, you gave the country to, to Fauci. Right. Uh, by, by the way, a couple of disappointments tonight. They're, they're now calling the races. I'd, I'd said VA7, VA10, RI2, right? That's the Rhode Island seat. Uh, that those look like they might swing Republican. It looks like they're now calling all three of those for the Democrats. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe... so. We should start thinking, is it red tsunami or red wave? Maybe red wave to red tide, right? We'll, we'll see how this all Should plays I change out. my dress? Yeah. No, we're still going to take the house. We took the house. Or a fuchsia. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just making sure. There, there is also, you know, one, just one last point on the weirdness of the Trump-DeSantis thing. It's the first time that I have noticed that DeSantis, to, or that Trump rather, took the first shot at someone. One of Trump's defining features is he doesn't strike first. That's he right. he gets a, even a minor insult and then just clobbers the person on the head. But Rosie O'Donnell hit him first. You know, yeah. all, uh, little Marco and uh, you know, low energy jab and all the rest hit him first and then he hits him back. DeSantis has not hit Trump. By the way, so, yeah. that, that, that is, I, I think, it feels like campaigning out of fear. From Trump. It, it, it does. No, it does. It, like it, it feels like what he's trying to do. Because if you think about strategically, what you figure is, it's still 2020. Like, I may not be an expert on a lot of things, but I know what a calendar is. <laughs> and it's currently November of 2022. And the election is not until November of 2024. No one announces the day after the midterm or the week after the midterm. The only reason you're doing that is because you're trying to preemptively crowd out the field. It's, yeah. like, it's like if you're playing poker and, the, and you're playing Texas Hold'em, somebody gives you your, your pocket. And the first thing you do is you go all in. Mm-hmm. Right, the only reason you're doing that is because you're trying to buy everybody out of the pot, right? You're just trying to make sure that everybody dumps out because they don't want to take the risk. That's why he's doing that. If he really felt like he was in solid position, what he would do is he'd wait for everybody else to jump in, and then he'd just clean them. Yeah. And he'd just wait for six months, wait for other people to jump in, and then just move them out. All right, so let's make it fun. Election is today. DeSantis and Trump are on the ballot. Ben, you first. You only know what you know about them right now. Uh, who would I vote for yeah, in the primary? Yeah. I'd vote for DeSantis in the primary. I'd vote for DeSantis, yeah. Yeah, I would take DeSantis, yeah. I don't endorse in primaries. <laughs> Wait, are you a chicken? Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I just won't throw Trump under the bus. I just love the guy. I don't. Uh, I know he did all these bad things, but he did so many good things. He he got us Roe v. Wade, and so I just think I'm, I can't throw the guy under the bus. 
It's not under the bus. I mean, DeSantis is the only guy. I asked you guy. what button you were putting. <laughs> I'll eat that delicious you jelly can't, bean. You can't, you can't talk to yeah. you know, the ballots. you got to like actually just make a decision, <laughs> Trump or DeSantis. No, I, I don't deal in hypotheticals, Candace. <laughs> who do you think would Other be, than every day on my Who do you think would be more effective in a general election? Not who would you vote for? I'm not, con- Trump. I'm not convinced. Trump yeah. in, a, in a general election. And I, that's what I was going you to say. You think Trump would be more effective DeSantis in a general election? DeSantis is could be. better in the actual office, I think. And Trump, you're talking about campaigning and going out there. Trump is going to be able to move people. DeSantis, do not forget how bad he was next Except to Andrew Gillum. Andrew Gillum was like selling salt to a slug. Like I was like, man, I might vote for the socialists. I mean, DeSantis was uncomfortable. He wasn't likable. I've also seen him in private circles as governor. And he just kind of comes across as like a frustrated and angry sometimes and doesn't play well on stage. But on the general election, you're not factoring in. This is one of the reasons why I would, why I would go with DeSantis in the primary if this was the option. Is that if if it's Trump, then like Ben is what Ben's been saying is that now the election is about Trump rather than being about Biden, and and right. I and I want twenty twenty four to be oh, about Biden election. and his Sorry, failures. Trump gets in, then it's about him. But it probably yeah, won't yeah, be about okay. Biden, period, because uh, Biden probably won't run again. Ooh. No, but it, but the question is who's. But it'll, it'll still be about Biden, even, even I, if he doesn't. Do you know a single person in the United States who doesn't already have a set opinion on Donald Trump? No, of course. Not. Who's the independent? Yeah. The independence does not exist with Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't exist. I mean, it's not, it's, not, it's not even a voting possibility. Every single person has their mind made up about Donald Trump. But what about right Biden? Uh, has Biden been so bad that now those people that really hated Trump are now missing him? Because my sisters are for now, sure. For sure. you know, people that were over in blue land are suddenly like, I do not care. Give us Trump back. I'm seeing the yeah. post. And like, I don't care It'll what be, you I mean, say about him. That would be fascinating. Him. But, the, the, but the, the thing is, the, the push to get them over from Biden to DeSantis is less than the push necessary to get them over from Biden to Trump. Sure. Because there's a built-in sort of hatred of Trump. Watch those gas prices. I mean, I, I think either one of them would, would win, especially if they're running against Biden. But I, I, I like DeSantis' chances a little bit more. I think that the chances right now of Donald Trump and Hillary or Hillary Clinton being president are almost equal. Like, <laughs> Donald Trump Not too bad, lost. Mean? Yeah, Donald Trump lost the election to Joe Biden. We can talk about why. We can talk about the vote, the rigging of the election. We can talk about the uh, suppression of the Hunter's laptop story. But there are... The, the very peculiar circumstances around COVID, obviously. Yep. But it did happen. There was an election. Donald Trump was the loser of the election. And to say, well, we, wanna, we, wanna re, we want that rematch, I think is bad. To say that, uh, I think the Democrats will say, well, let's rematch with Hillary. Yeah. And I she has love a, that. And she has an actual chance of being elected president because those 100,000 people up in the Rust Belt who didn't vote last time because they thought that she was going to win. That's not going to happen now. Trump is the most polarizing political figure in my lifetime in public life. That is not to say that he can't win. He can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he won That's last time. He won 2016. He can win. But, but he can also lose. We, know, we yeah. know that he can lose an election. We know that he can lose an election against Joe Biden. I think that Donald Trump should be disqualified from being the Republican nominee because of, his, because of the way that he deliberately caused the Republican Party to lose the runoffs in Georgia. He campaigned at the end. He, he campaigned for them at the he end. He spent a month saying, do not vote. Keep throwing do, do not <laughs> Good. vote. I <laughs> the idea that you would ascend someone to be the head of your party who cost you, not cost you because of incompetence, cost you by deliberately telling people not to vote for the Republicans in the Senate is unconscionable to me, but he is not disqualified. Yep. So I, I, th- I think he should be disqualified. He's not disqualified. So when people say, you would vote for Donald Trump, yes. Ron or DeSantis? Ron I, DeSantis? 
In the primary, I would support DeSantis because DeSantis did not deliberately give away the state of Georgia. But if Donald Trump is the nominee, will I vote for him to be president? Yes, I can both believe that Donald Trump should be disqualified and also acknowledge the reality that he is not disqualified. And because he's not disqualified, he may ascend again to be the nominee. And if he's the nominee running against these Democrats... It's not going to be very hard to go into the booth and pull I the disagree. lever for I disagree that he's more likely to win the general. First of all, the idea of him running against Biden is almost unimaginable. The guy yeah. can barely talk anymore. He can't. He can't. Yeah, Biden's not going to run again. Biden's not going to run again. So we don't know who he's going to be running against, which, of course, makes all the difference. But I think DeSantis is much more likely to win the general. He's somebody that you can recognize as a politician. Being a politician is a profession. It yep. is something that people who do it do it better than other people who are not professional. He's very good at it and, and very effective. And I think Trump, Trump, you know, he won the first time by a sliver by creating a, you know, a collection of states that people didn't see coming and Hillary very much didn't see coming. <laughs> he hasn't been, he wasn't able to repeat it in 2020, and I don't think he'll be able to. But, but the argument, like, yes, I'm not disagreeing. I know it's, it sounds like I'm sort of down on DeSantis here. I'm not. The guy is just a, a star, and he's doing a great job. But so much of DeSantis comes out of Trump, not just the election victory, some of the mannerisms oh, I mean, and, and some I of the vision. Yeah. And so when, when people say, well, DeSantis is just a sort of new and improved version, Sure, that might be the case in a normal year, but in a normal year, you don't have a one-term president who's running again. And so there is this question of, one, he's way up in the polls for now, though that could, obviously could change. And, yeah. you know, if... And I am somewhat persuaded by our friend Alan Estrin's argument yes. that Which, well, yes. this is the Trump show, that we were all, yeah. we all turned on the rally he's last the night thing. because there was a rumor that he might announce that... that it doesn't matter if you wanted him to announce last night, if you didn't want him to announce last night. It's, I think Alan's exact words in a, in a text thread with, with Michael and I were something along the lines of, it doesn't matter. You need to pee, but the commercial break is almost over, and the master storyteller is almost back on the screen, and you will not get up out of your chair. It is, it is Trump. So here's the thing. I don't think it's Trump's world. I don't know that DeSantis can defeat Trump. I think exhaustion can defeat Trump. Mm. Meaning, I think that there are a lot of Republicans, I think a lot of the support that you're talking about, people moving from Trump to DeSantis, is not because they're looking at DeSantis and they're like, this guy's the greatest politician in the history of humanity. He is really good at what he does. But you're right, as a retail politician, he's not unbelievable at retail politics by any stretch of the imagination. I think there's a certain level of exhaustion that has set in with people. And you see it in the reaction to the way that he has gone after DeSantis, which is like, God, just... Can you, like, some discipline? Like, just a little bit. Can yeah. you, like, at some point, can you just stop? Just stop. Just stop what you're doing. Please stop. put the party first right. just, in an election that you're not even in. Right, exactly. Like, Sometimes please. I wonder who is advising him, you know, because I do think that he would have definitely benefited from a period of silence after everything. And then I started seeing traces, because I was, when, you know, when I sat down with him and I was trying to get something out of him of, like, what is your vision? Like, COVID's happened. He was just so obsessed with the election in the same way that Hillary was obsessed with the election. And I thought, okay, I understand this happened. I'm on your side. I'm furious about the election. We're all furious about the election. But people's children are being masked in schools, and I now need you to be here in right. this, yeah. in this That's the year. Thing. That's the thing. Right. That's the big And one. I didn't know what his vision was for the future. He's, I knew what his vision was for in 2020 and why he's angry about 2020. And he's going to have to be able to pivot and maneuver that. And this comes from someone who, I mean, I could not have been a bigger Trump fan. Of course, yeah. I, no, I still sure. love Trump. I think he's amazing. I agree with you that he's electric. DeSantis is just not going to be able to create that electricity. Virtually no one him. Virtually no one can come back from losing a general election in this country. Really it does psychic damage to you. It is different than, than losing in a primary, right? When you are in the actual show and you yeah. lose, 
you become man pig bear or whatever yeah. like yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it it i mean mitt romney is half of the man that he was before 2012. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's Hillary. She still talks about it. The, the, the appeal of Trump in 2016 was he's taking the bullet so that you don't have to. Yeah. Right? They, they loved him until five seconds ago, and now he's running and they hate his guts. And the reason they hate his guts is not really because they hate his guts, it's because they hate you. Yep. They despise you, and he's standing out front, and he's taking the arrow for you. And in his presidency, that was the impression that you got. It's like they keep aiming at you, but they keep hitting him. He's taking the bullet for you. And then after 2020, and his obsession with the election, it became, now I need all of you guys to take the bullet for me. You guys, I want you to talk nonstop, not about Joe Biden, not about inflation, not about Afghanistan, not about transing the kids. I want you to talk about the election. Like, you need, he's, he's calling up Blake Masters in the middle of an election cycle and being like, but Blake, you're not doing enough to, to, to talk about the election of 2020. And it's like, well, but that's not Blake Masters' job right now. His job is to win a Senate seat, and it's your job to help him win this election. That's a really, that is a really great insight, Ben, that, yeah. that he was taking the bullet for us, and then he asked us to take but, the bullet for him. But we're being joined right now uh, by Rich Barrett, the People's Pundit. Uh, we're really glad to have him here. And he's, he's tracking some of these elections down at the precinct level in a way that we haven't been tonight. And I think people are probably very interested. Rich, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Tell us what's happening on the ground. You know, it, it's a little bit odd, actually. You know, it's not exactly what uh, you'd expect looking at some of the national exit polls. But, you know, they shift and they change over time. It does look like to me that Republicans are underperforming expectations in some of the Sun Belt areas while doing fantastically well in areas that people thought probably were a little out of reach in some areas in Virginia, some areas in the, in the Northeast. So it is still early and we'll see how it shakes out. But uh, I'd be really surprised if Republicans underperformed in Georgia or North Carolina and overperformed in Nevada. So as a pollster, uh, that's a state that terrifies me. It's the one and only state where polls typically uh, overstate Republican support. And we, you know, we, we may have understated it, uh, but we'll just have to see. Votes count more than than polls. What races are you watching right now that you think are going to be the indicators for the evening? Right now, I'm looking at as far as the Senate, I'm looking at North Carolina and Georgia. I, I mean, of course, Pennsylvania as well, and I will be looking at Arizona and, and Nevada when we get there. But I, I'll tell you, in Georgia, Walker is running further behind Kemp than polls uh, expected. And it's really much of it is coming from the Atlanta metro area and in the counties outside of Savannah. So uh, if that doesn't pick up, which it could, you know, there could be uh, it's going to tighten, but there could be a little bit of a surprise there. And then in North Carolina, Ted Budd has a lead. But going into this election, it did look like, and I pulled it myself a month and a half ago, it did look like Ted Budd had a pretty strong advantage. There are a lot of blue votes left out there. Budd is leading. He's got a couple, 10, 10 you know, 32,000, it looks like right now. Uh, you know, and that's when you're a Republican in a midterm election in a state like North Carolina, uh, you want to have a widened out, at least at this point. And in areas like Wake County, it doesn't look like, and that's in North Carolina, you have to get in the 30s in Wake County. When that election day vote comes in, it will it will you know bring him up. But you know it's just a little bit funny to me to see uh, you know, tighter than expected in North Carolina, but Republicans looking like they're going to take at least two out of three of the races that we were looking at in Virginia, which is two, seven, and ten. Hung Cow was giving it one heck of a run, but Wexton has pulled ahead. And there's a blue vote out that remains. It's it's not over, but, you know, the trajectory has changed. Rich, thank you. We're going to be checking back in with you a little bit later in the evening. Appreciate your insights. Hey, thanks for having me. All the best.
Thank you. And it's been a little bit since we showed off. So, and mostly because I think some of us could probably use a bathroom break. <laughs> I want to introduce the world to uh, a little bit more great content that you can expect from the Daily Wire Plus. Why in the world did I start working with the Daily Wire? I join forces with the platform that affords me the opportunity to say whatever I want and to put out whatever content I wish to make with no caveats, stipulations, permissions, or finger-wagging. We could not be more pumped up and ecstatic about having Jordan Peterson at Daily Wire Plus. Working with them has allowed me to embark on a series of documentaries and specials. This conservative media company is allowing all of my ideas to flourish or wither on the vine in accordance with their merit. Marriage is one of those all-in games. One of the unacceptable ideas with gender fluidity is that identity is subjectively defined because that's preposterous. I thought of the Museum of the Bible as kind of a backwoods fundamentalist enterprise and that turned out to be unbelievably wrong. And you have to say to yourself, I will do good. Nonetheless, join the real counterculture. To be bound together in marriage is a very difficult thing. There are many forces that will pull you apart. I'm going to tell you the truth. It can be completely anarchic. Neither of you ever know what the hell's going on. And so now you're bored by your partner. That's you. That's you. You gotta put some effort into it. This isn't nothing. When you fall in love with someone, you see that infinite wellspring of mystery. It's granted to you as a gift. You'll find that that one person you're with is way more interesting than any plethora of short-term shallow relationships that you could possibly imagine. How can we set this up that's better than either of us initially envisioned? I was a therapist for a long time and I talked to a lot of people about their marriages. I've been married 33 years as of two days ago and it's gone pretty damn well. As a married couple, you're going to face together everything that life can throw at you. You're hard pressed to find anything better in life. Coming Coming out of our Backstage Live uh, this June when we first announced that Dr. Peterson was going to be joining Daily Wire Plus, uh, one of the big questions that everyone had is how much content will there be? And it's taken us a minute to create this really premium. I mean, if you think back to when the company first started, you weren't there. Back in the, <laughs> back in the pool house, right, in Sherman Oaks, mm -hmm. we, we basically shot everything either in front of black curtains or, or on a green screen. Now we have Dr. Jordan Peterson doing content all over the world. You look at the production value of this, spare, of this special on marriage. I think it's an incredibly special piece of content. By the end of this year, we will have created more premium uh, Daily Wire Plus original content that you can't find anywhere else with Dr. Peterson than we actually have with all of our talent combined in the history of the company. It's been an, a monumental effort over these last several months to create this amazing new catalog of content. And if you'll remember the best conversation we had at Backstage Live, and I think the best conversation we've ever had as a company was on this very topic of marriage. I think it's something that's so incredibly important to our audience. And on nights like tonight, where we spend a lot of our time, obviously, and appropriately uh, on politics, I think it's just important not to lose sight of the fact that the work that we're doing at Daily Wire Plus is not all political. 
you know, politics is uh, an important function of a citizen in a democracy. Uh, it's an important thing that we do to try to safeguard our culture, but culture is not politics. Culture is not defined by politics. If anything, politics is defined by culture. Some of our fans were talking this afternoon about uh, you know, the, the rise of ideas like transgenderism, the rise of ideas like uh, gay marriage, and they were saying, you know, we're, we're destroying our culture with these things. And that's, I don't actually think that that's the accurate point of view. I think we are destroying our culture. And these things are growing in some ways out of that destruction, the way that algae grows on a dirty aquarium. The algae doesn't make the aquarium dirty. The algae is a, a reaction to how dirty the aquarium is. You know, there have been, for example, people with gender dysphoria uh, engaging in cross-dressing or, or trying to, trying to um, uh, what's the term they used to use, pass? Or, yeah, yeah. Try, trying to, to pass. pass as women. Yeah, yeah for, for hundreds of years. I mean, that's always. For, forever. Yeah. Forever. Uh, we, as a culture, we generally were very tolerant of it. We generally didn't take. Though it was against the law in a lot of places, including San Francisco. It was against the law, but it was one of those things that, for the most part, people ignored. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if anything, people had pity for. They sort of understood that there are going to be certain people who are broken in a, in a fallen world. There are going to be a certain number of broken people, and a healthy society should be able to absorb uh, those broken people for the most part. What we're seeing now is uh, all of those things that a healthy society can absorb cannot be absorbed by an unhealthy society. And those things start to grow sort of on the carcass of what your culture used to be. You don't fix your culture through politics and you don't fix your culture even through fighting the symptoms within the culture. You have to fight your culture, you have to save your culture at the level of culture. And that's right. I, that, no, I, I think changing the law, though, is not a terrible thing. Too. I mean, the law is also a teacher, you know. So I agree with you. Sure. Of course, you know, there are these cultural things that bubble up and that affects the, our law. But but the law also affects the way that people behave and it creates different. You know, we always talk about government incentives. Well, people react to incentives. And so obviously that's true. But if the government comes in and says, you know, parents, you need to trans your kids or else we're going to take them away from you. That is going to create more transgender people. For sure. But I don't think it's an accurate look at what's happened here. What? What's fundamentally happened isn't that the government said, trans your kids or we're going to take them away. What happened is trans started to explode in the culture and then the government races, the, in particular leftists in the government's race, to catch up and try to sort of codify. I don't think that that's quite right either, though. I, I, think that, I think the thing is, when you talk about the law this way, you have to remember you're talking about a free country. If the law becomes oppressive, yeah. then the law is not doing its job in a free country. We want to remain free. The first thing we want to do... Am I talking about a free country? I, well, I, well <laughs> you know. but the first thing we want is to remain a free country. So you do have to change cultural uh, matters by cultural means in order to remain free. You, can't, you cannot say to people suddenly, you know, we're going to... We're going to take your children away if you don't trans them, which is what the, the yeah. woman... But, we, but, but when I raise the point of laws against transvestitism, we had laws against that forever. And, I mean, in San Francisco and in lots of but places. But Jeremy's point is right. We didn't really enforce a lot of these things, and they just, they just gave the government a power that it shouldn't have Jay had. J. Edgar Hoover it, was a cross-dresser, just that's that right. Out. That's Might right. Might be relevant. The, the government should not have the power to choose, oh, I'm not going to go after this person, J. Edgar Hoover, who's cross-dressing, but I am going to go after you because I don't like you. They should not have that. Arbitrary, expre arbitrary, arbitrary expression. Yes, government and, and the thing is, the th okay. but the big thing is, the big thing is you can't have tolerance without a norm. If, if you do not have, you can't yeah. tolerate people yeah. if you're not, you haven't got a solid norm from which you are saying, yes, you're not part of the norm, but we tolerate. I, I think politics and that's, is. And that's the Nietzschean argument that the, the left has been making, that there should be no norm. Yeah. I think politics is, is 
more dynamic than I think either of the, the views that have been expressed. It's not like culture predates the law or the law predates culture. It's culture predates law, which predates of culture. Course, predates right, of course. No, I, I agree. And, and so the, the first thing that has to be done in many of these cases is to stop the law in its tracks and then to start rolling back the law. Uh, and and that's, that's pushing in almost Sisyphean ways, the, the boulder back up the hill. And that's, that's what you're starting to see from Republicans on the transing of the kids, right? Yeah. Because it's actually not in the states where they are forcibly trying to take the kids away from parents that you're starting to see sort of this push. It's starting with, you, if you stop it early, you can roll it back, yep. right? Tennessee is not a place where, culturally speaking, you're going to be able to pass a law in the state legislature like you would in California, yeah, yeah. where it's like, well, if you're unwilling to transfer kids, we're taking your kids. Like, that, that crap ain't going to fly in Tennessee. But Virginia, Virginia and, 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 yet, and yet, at Vanderbilt, they were performing these right. no, the, euphemistically gender-affirming That's what I'm saying. Surgery. You have to stop the bleeding edge it's at the bleeding double, edge. It's a, it's a double-pronged approach, right? Which right. is why in, in Tennessee, by the way, tomorrow, they're going to officially file... Uh, the bill, which will ban the transing of kids. Uh, good for you on that one. I mean, that's a, yeah. And also, it will give, uh, it will give victims uh, the chance to, to sue and be compensated. And so that's going to be filed tomorrow. And so it's, it's kind of, it's, you can't neglect one or the other. You have to also. Yeah, but, but we've seen how quickly with the Defense of Marriage Act, for instance, how quickly things can change if the culture is shifting and if people who are leaders and have an effect on the culture shift the, the minds of people. You know, the law, I mean, just like the Constitution isn't going to defend us if we don't believe in the Constitution. Yeah. And that's, that's the only point. But my, my point on it is that we, we are saying now the law is very oppressive and it used to be very free. But on all of these issues, for all of American history until the it 1960s. It oppressive because the culture supported the law. It becomes oppressive when the, culture, when the law is acting against the culture. But in many cases, the law weakened before these things gained popularity. So, the, you know, the Supreme Court comes down and says, you can't have the Bible in schools, you can't have prayer in schools, we're going to basically endorse the sexual revolution from the level of the government. That was before any of those things were mainstream. Right. And then what happens? You get the age of Aquarius in the 60s after I'm that. Not, I'm not sure you're right about this. I think that when you study the Supreme Court more closely, they actually follow that's also true. That's <laughs> yeah. also no, no. I mean, well, to Ben's well, point, though, there is a. There is a I, what I would say is they follow what they believe to be the vanguard of the country. Yeah, so you saw them do this in Obergefell, right? So in Obergefell, there was not a clear majority of the country that was ready to to, to legalize. Of course, no, no, that's not, then, that, that is not no, that's, right. The, most of the states in the country had not legalized, or at least man, but, mandated from the state that the state is going to involve itself in same-sex marriage. The what happened is that the court said there's a trend, and the trend is occurring, and now we're going to force this trend to become the dominant force in American life. Same and thing with see, abortion. Same thing with abortion. But those, are, those, are, the two, those are the take, two bad examples of. But uh, the, the, and the left is very good at forcing a change. And then five seconds later, convincing everyone that it's to take it for granted that, it's right, it's the that, that, that it could never be any other way. Like, Which, by the way, it just, it's, it's been this way for five seconds, but it could never be any way but like, this. You know, like, like, we, we've talked about what, what the United States Senate should do. You want to talk about a place, uh, a place where Republicans are completely cowardly? It is on same-sex marriage. You have Republicans yep. right now who are going to vote in the Senate to enshrine same-sex yep. marriage as part of the law. I'm like sorry, Dr. That's, that's an absurdity. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, an absurdity. This is, they, on all these cultural issues, I think they're, they're spineless. I, actually, I, don't understand, I don't understand why they don't stand for what they stand for. I actually think that, in terms of human history, actually, biolog bio biology underpins everything. Biology determines the culture, and then culture determined the law. And then law saw an opportunity and realized that we could have more law if we impacted the culture. And so now that's what you get when you have these two things that are fighting. Is they're going, oh, wait a minute, culture is actually really powerful. And maybe more still if you impact biology. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, but true. It's, it's like it started here, and then everyone saw an opportunity, and now we're kind of going to the beginning where they're like, yeah, that's do, exactly what's happening. Again, I do think. It again, this changing of the guard 
which has been going on now for 20 years and is going to go on for another 15 at least, is part of all this. Because when you have a a big change like this, it suddenly seems like everything is possible. You go through this, you guys are too young to have gone through a midlife period. (laughs) But when you go through a midlife period, you suddenly think like, maybe I should be a fighter pilot, you know? And I think think we're going through a period like that where people are saying, maybe a man can become a woman. And and like, that's just going to go away because it's just not true. And and ultimately, I think that, that... this moment, which I think is a moment of madness, I think we're seeing the madness of crowds on the sexual issue. I think that that's going to pass away, but it doesn't mean it's going to pass away back into the. Do you think transgenderism just passes away? I think the, the yeah, it uh, has to. Massive, biology always wins. Yes, yeah, so I think the massive the idea of sweeping transgenderism will yeah, pass away. What Jeremy said before is true that this. I, is think, part I think that the, tra- the transing of kids is go- is going away. Yeah, we're beating that. But but, but you're not you're, transgenderism as a concept. I think we've got we've got probably generations before we defeat. But, but on that point, but there's it's self- but I, I, the it's thing self. about it, you will never have a society where there isn't transgenderism. That's right. We've right. never had a society where yeah. there wasn't transgenderism. Well, it exists well, as in there are people who who are confused by their gender, but the idea, like the the, the concept that, that we're validating it as a concept. Yeah. I think we've got. Yeah, I think it will go away. I do. I yeah. think because uh-huh. the kids that are doing the surgeries now are going to grow up and become the adults, and then they're going to be. <laughs> well, but the problem is that the yeah, right, right right now most conservatives most conservatives aren't even making. That was somebody is hurt. That's the red wave. My it's Harmy Dillon. Yeah, my <laughs> secret. <laughs> they just brought the ballots in, actually. For you know, but th- this actually, w- what we're talking about here on transgenderism and self-identity, I think it relates e- at a much deeper level to what we're talking about. And we bring up Owen Barfield on every single episode of this show, and it relates here because we say biology is bedrock. I think there's something even more bedrock, which is representations, how we view ourselves. And so when we, we have this view, you know, post-1960s of we're this free country, do whatever you want, I think that's not historically what America was. I think there were many more stringent social laws that it, for most of American history than we have today. And, so, and, and we can call them oppressive, but the people didn't really view them as oppressive. And so you think of something like now we call ourselves a liberal democracy, where it's our sacred democracy. You always hear about it all the time. That phrase barely appeared in English literature until the 1940s or 50s. That's not how America conceived of itself. It's mostly Lionel Trilling kind of stuff. It's Lionel Trilling stuff. And so, when Drew, when you say there is a changing of the guard here and the party is changing, the vision of the country is changing, that is the most perceptive comment of the whole midterm, as far as I'm concerned, which is, I I go back to Cardinal Manning a lot. He says, there is a day that will come that will change the confident judgment, that will reverse the confident judgments of men. And that's what's happening now. Not just self-identity on gender, self-identity as a nation. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think we're we're going through a midlife crisis. You know, all this stuff about (laughs) whatever you were talking about makes me think... About hallow. That's funny. It does it it yeah, it does. Wow. Yeah, we need faith. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It does. There's a good trend. We need God. Cardinal, I'm telling them, don't make me do these things. Anyway, <laughs> as fun as it is Make to you watch. work for a living? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't have me. Exactly. As fun as it is to watch the left lose their minds tonight, it's worth noting the deeper meaning behind it. Leftists are inherently anti-religious, which means they don't have a higher being to turn to when things don't go their way. They don't have any customs or traditions to keep them on a righteous path. And they certainly don't have an app like Hallow to help them reclaim their peace. Hallow is an audio-guided audio prayer and meditation app. It's the number one Christian prayer app in the U.S. Hallow is like calm or headspace, but without all the woke nonsense, because it's rooted in Christian faith. Hallow has thousands of meditations and prayers that I use to find peace after a long day of being yelled at by blue-haired, zay leftist weirdos. <laughs> With Hallow, you can pray alongside Jim Caviezel, Bishop Barron, Father Mike Schmitz and Mark Wahlberg. They have over 5,000 audio-guided prayers, meditations, and Christian music. In advance of Christmas, you can now join Hallow's Advent Prayer Challenge 
to study stories of the Old Testament leading up to the birth of Christ. Hallow helps me make prayer a priority, and tonight they're going to do the same for you. Try Hallow completely free for three months at hallow.com slash dailywire. This special offer will give you three free months, bringing you through the holiday season and into the new year. That's hallow.com slash dailywire. Reclaim your peace in this crazy world. Download Hallow today. Some sad news. Um, Beto O'Rourke has lost. Oh. No, I know. I didn't want to be the You big. said news. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ben, breathe like a baby. Breathe like a baby. <laughs> so next question, obviously. You're away all my material. How am I supposed to do a show around here? <laughs> Don't worry. This just means he's going to run for president. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, but he already ran for president. He likes to try something different. He did Senate, and then he did president, and now EU. he did governor. EU. 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 UN Secretary General. Mm. Could be Pope. Mm. Pope. He could actually be Pope. Is That's he Popabulae these days, maybe? <laughs> Would he be worse than Francis or better than Francis? You know, what is he? Better. That is a, that's a toss-up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I do. I don't, have we talked on that? We've talked off stage. I don't know if we've talked on the show. What happens if Francis dies before Benedict? Sure would be weird, wouldn't it? What would, what would it mean? What, what would happen? Sure would be weird. Because why are you saying that? Mike? Yeah, why? Well, the way you said that was very... <laughs> in a weird way. Yeah. Well, this is kind of weird because some people think that you can't resign the papacy. You know, and it's kind of weird. And then the Pope, Benedict, resigned for health reasons like 10 years and ago almost. And he kept on living. Yeah. He kept on living and writing some things that look like encyclicals. So anyway, it's just really and dressing, weird. And dressing exactly like he's the Pope? Yeah, it's just weird, is I guess what I'm <laughs> saying. What? what? Hmm? For mental Come on, what? explain huh? it. Why I wouldn't they, even endorse Trump or DeSantis. I'm just saying things are weird, man. <laughs> I don't know. We, live in, we live in interesting times. <laughs> we, so, so wait, first of all, is, this is explain an, an outsider. An outsider. I'll finish before this election special is over. As an outsider, it seems to me that Benedict resigned for no reason, and then the Antichrist took over. Now, is, is, that, is that a fairly accurate... You know, to, to put it more yes. charitably, some have suggested an anti-pope. An but, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's more complicated than all that. But it is it is kind of weird. You know, it's only happened at, at most one other time that a pope has resigned. Well, and you always qualify that. Whenever you talk about it, you say it's only happened at most once. Because I don't know that you can resign the papacy. So you don't I mean, know it's that just, it's ever happened, in other words. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just wouldn't a that very... Though mean, wouldn't that sort of be like... If the divine line of kings is broken, that every pope since then has been not the no, pope? No, no, not, not necessarily. I mean, there, there are long-standing questions of this. And, you know, when the papacy moved to Avignon, there were anti-popes in Rome and all sorts. You know, yeah, it, so the thing like is messy. Was anti-anti-pope? There was, yeah. I mean, there's, when you become an anti-anti-pope, are you just like a pope? It's like anti-Trump, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 anti-Trump, right. like, is that, is that how, how that works? So, you know, it, it, but it, it is... It is an open question, and I, I'm actually not being all that coy in that I, uh, truly my whole opinion on the thing is it's just, it's just kind of weird. And, uh, and ultimately, you know, the thing when, when it comes to the Catholic Church, I believe, is ultimately the Holy Spirit is guiding it and will never leave the church. When it comes to the American presidency, <laughs> you know, I think we might have a little more power. What you're saying is if, if, you're, if you resign the papacy, you have an obligation to just die. I don't know that one can resign, really. You know, I mean, it's kind of odd. The person I would most like to see elected pope is our good friend Stephen Crowder. He's mm -hmm. joining us right now. <laughs> what? In the and what? Listen, he'd be a great pope. He, he does everything that a pope, as a Protestant, <laughs> Stephen Crowder has all the all the qualities of a great pope. Is this an ad? Yeah, he's <laughs> he's yeah, he's got a beard. Yeah. he's genuinely funny. Yeah. 
He wears silly hats, <laughs> and he's always packing heat. <laughs> that should I should be pope. Right? What, is, what am I missing? Anything? Any of that had to do with being a pope, though? Is my so, question. Well, I'm a pro- I, said, I said I'm a Protestant. I don't <laughs> I don't really peddle in like all these like <laughs> virtue and chastity. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. for me. Stephen Crowder from Louder with Crowder here with us, and I think we're also here with him. I think it's kind of a cross stream thing. Oh, I don't boy. fully understand it. I also don't know how long I can keep talking before they just put him on the freaking screen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Stephen Crowder. No, not mine. And this is also important because Kemp. Right when we're talking about Kemp and Abrams, uh, they tried to accuse. Remember, this is the if you go watch that film on HBO, we can say this. Maybe we could even show some of it on Rumble. Kill Chain on HBO. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, a whole yeah. documentary about vote fraud with Stacey Abrams and with Kemp. And guess what? They showed how you could hack Dominion voting machines live <laughs> in that film. And they tried to suggest that Kemp did it, <laughs> and then said, the "By the right way, no, we were so totally we wrong about that." Yeah. Daily Wire. We're watching. Are they ready to go? Are they ready to go? Let's dig her in. I don't want to get pissed off. An amazing job right now. <laughs> Stephen Crowder, I just said that you should be the next pope. Tell All me right, why I'm wrong. Daily Wire, the whole troop. Are you there? <laughs> we are. We, 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 we are. are. We were just talking okay. about how you should be the next pope. Why yeah. should I? What? Well, I couldn't pull off the red shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not, uh, the Prada is not flattering on everybody. That's true. <laughs> Well, Knowles, Knowles and Walsh, obviously, the resident Catholics. Are, what is, is it? Is it? This is my understanding that not only is there someone who makes the shoes for the Pope, which I understand, it's and there is product. someone who makes some other shoes, but someone who, but there's someone who exclusively makes the red shoes. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I don't have a pair, unfortunately. I don't, I'm not uh, sufficiently high up in the uh, hierarchy, but uh, I don't know. Someday, if you if you are in power, Stephen, I hope that I get a pair. Well, I don't know if I'd be a Pope with a nice pair of Vans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Daily Wire, what are you guys, have you guys been following, obviously I know you've been following the election, what have you been uh, covering here on the Arizona uh, uh, stuff? Because I think you guys, I want to. I have to be careful. We're on Rumble here tonight. We're not on mm. YouTube for reasons, yeah. you know, we had Carrie Lake Well, I'd just like to say street. this, Stephen, just for, for YouTube, you know, obviously... There are never any questions about election integrity, and I believe anything that the government tells me. Amen. Yes, is absolutely. That, are we well, good? Well, once Jason, the Senate, Jason Campbell is sitting at his laptop yeah. going, yeah. I've almost got him. I've almost got him. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I'm not going to come on and get you guys in trouble. Believe me, I'm not going to say anything and get you guys in trouble. We'll talk about it afterwards on, uh, on, on Rumble I'm, yeah. uh, because the Arizona stuff is bizarre and we just watched on cnn they said we fixed the problems and did you i don't know if you saw this on cnn hey andrew nice to see you by the way hey and ben and, ben and candace candace you're the smallest from me from the depth of field because i'm looking at a camera and you're also oh hi candace okay looking lovely you make everyone you make all these guys look like shit so, i'm not being facetious at all <laughs> no, I uh, they just uh, on cnn Hold on a second here. I have to bring this up because it's screwing up with uh, screwing up my iPad. On CNN, they send someone out to Nevada. Was it Gerald? It was Nevada. Sorry, what? They send someone out to Nevada on CNN. Las Vegas. You? Nevada. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I'm saying I'm being more specific. I'm sorry, guys. This is a disaster. <laughs> I was so they send someone water. out to Nevada <laughs> to go look at a poll, right? To go look at a voting precinct. And of course, we know Nevada is very likely going to be red uh, by significant margin. And of course, we know that same day voting favors Republicans. Now, I guarantee you this is what happened. And let me explain to you. And you tell me if you think that I'm being presumptuous. <laughs> so he goes out there and he's in a mall that looks like Fast Times at Ridgemont High as one does. And so he goes there and uh, I bet you the CNN producer said, look, it's same day voting. That's going to be heavily Republican. And this is not going to go well for us in Nevada. We need you to find a precinct where same day voting is going to lean heavily blue. And he said, say no more. And he's talking to people in line underneath a Mercado, super Mercado sign. Not a word of English written. Um, that's not a great story. 
<laughs> no, no, you I'm saying the that's story. the only place he could find anyone because the Telemundo uh, offices weren't available. It's the only place that he could find majority Democrat voters. He no, was I just did, like, hey, I did, who are you voting for? I am voting no, for no, Democrat, my, and that was it. The, I think the problem is that I just didn't understand the joke. <laughs> no, it's not a joke. This actually has happened on CNN. He's underneath a sign that says Super Mercado is where he went, an entirely Hispanic that's area. That's a really good Spanish accent you got going there. Super Mercado. <laughs> well, sorry, we can't all be Dominican or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> I d- yeah. We have quite a tail. <laughs> we can't all look like we're walking around in a perfect Dominican brown suede evening gown. Rub it in my face, Candace. <laughs> That's not fair. So, so Stephen, what, 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 who's yes. going to win and who's going to lose? Just tell us that. As the Pope. <laughs> Yes, that's the Vans Pope. Yes, yeah, I'm I'm the new Vans Pope. Uh, I will say this: I would have, ex- I would have expected uh, Arizona, uh, Kerry uh, Lake. You know, if not for all the YouTube questions, uh, irregularities, strange coincidences, excellent voting procedures. Sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think. So I, I will, uh, listen, I, I'm I'm troubled by what's going on in Maricopa County. I think that it's unconscionable that you can't in the United States of America in the year of our Lord. Uh, respectfully, uh, two th- 2022. Uh, Don't that tell you, that to me. Tell that to Ben. Yeah, that you can't. <laughs> that you can't actually uh, effectuate an election successfully is unbelievable. But I still think Kerry Lake's going to win. I think that we're going to spend all evening fretting about Arizona, and Arizona is actually going to be a bright spot by the time that the evening's over. I'm a little bit more concerned about. Herschel Walker down in Georgia. I'm a little bit more concerned about Dr. Oz over in Pennsylvania. Yeah. I, I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit more concerned that we're going to lose races where it isn't because the voting machines aren't working. I have a feeling we're going to still fare. I hope, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit if I'm wrong, but I'm hopeful right. that Arizona is actually going to break our way even with all these irregularities. Well, I, I agree with you. And I was just talking about, you know, obviously you guys are the uh, political experts. I'm just a, I'm a comedian with a horrible Hispanic accent. Uh, but <laughs> I will say I offense to that. This, maybe, someone, no, maybe someone can clarify for me. Explain this to me like I'm a dummy. Without getting banned from YouTube, I was about to say, hold on, they're they're on YouTube. We're not. I know we have they're the on freedom of not. Being yes, there we, right and now, I would, and, so and genuinely, not. I don't want. You, I know you guys are probably on edge because I'm not going to do anything to get you guys in trouble. <laughs> 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 I promise you, that you have my word. But here's my question: They're talking, and, and Jeremy, to what you were just uh, uh, discussing there. Uh, okay, Arizona. I think it'll be a, a bright spot uh, long term. But, and this is something we sort of have all accept, uh, accepted, and I just was discussing this. They're saying, hey, we will have a certain percentage of the vote tonight until we might have 99%. They just said this on CNN by Friday. Uh, once we count the early voting. Now, hold on a second. If my, Just go with me for a second. Yeah. Wouldn't it stand to reason that the early voting could be counted early? I don't understand why the same day voting is counted today and the early voting is counted Friday. Your thoughts, I may be functionally retarded. I've never heard a valid explanation. Yeah, so this is actually idiotic state law in places like Pennsylvania as well. Uh, in Florida, that's not the way it works, right? My, my home, wonderful state of Florida, which I've been praising all night long for being the best state in America. Um, the, yeah. Florida, Florida, they do count all of the election ballots early as they come in, and that's why they're able exactly. to get out all of the election tabulations in like an hour and a half of the polls closing. In Pennsylvania, they are legally not allowed by law to count the early ballots until the polls close. That's it. That's well, well, well hold on. Pennsylvania, they don't follow their own laws. With, okay, but they don't follow their own law. The law. But that, that, that's true. But what I'm saying is that the, a lot of these states just have crap voting procedures. And 
that just didn't get fixed from 2020. And, you know, in some states like Arizona, there's no excuse for it because Republicans were, were, well, actually, Katie Hobbs running the place in Arizona, Katie, yeah, right? Well, Katie Hobbs is Secretary of State. of State, who also has the final say in that. Right. That, that's, a lot that's, of coincidence. That's amazing in Arizona. In Arizona. Yeah. Um, and in Nevada, it's the Democrats who are running the thing. Uh, in, in places like Pennsylvania and Georgia, there really is no excuse for not fixing the voting procedures at this point. Because this, this, this is third, it really is third world crap. But I, isn't I, the problem. It's it, not even third world crap. You dip your finger in the purple ink. Yeah. <laughs> you put your finger on the person you want. That's how they do it in the third world. And then somebody counts the purple dots. Right. Yeah. It, you can do it all in a day. Yeah. But we're worse than the third world. Yeah. Isn't the problem not the counting of the early votes? I, I don't know if we're allowed to say this, but the pro- isn't the problem the early votes? I mean, you shouldn't be voting for two months. I thought you were going to say the problem right. the switching. Yeah, yeah, and all the and all joke. the fraud that takes place. But that's <laughs> a, know, joke, a joke, a joke, a joke. Of course, yeah. we're joking. We're joking. <laughs> but isn't you know we shouldn't have two months of voting, right? I mean we that's a big problem. And Republicans need to come out against it and stop it and stop saying, well, we're just going to fix it around the margins. Don't fix it around the yeah. margins. The stop only it. reason they have early voting is because they exploited COVID to pretend that this cough was the reason why we had to destroy <laughs> all our election laws, and then they kept it in place implausibly in this election, and they're going to keep it until we stop. You have it. two years to, to, to plan your day to, to carve out some time to go vote. Two years to figure that out. Yeah. There's no reason yeah. why you can't do it. Okay, I have another question also, actually. And this one is about the state Republican parties. This is a real, real question. Why is it that the best state in the country, Florida, they could rack up Second. voter registrations for the Republican Party to the point where they were actually out-registering the Democrats by this election cycle? Yep. And in Arizona and in Georgia and in Pennsylvania, yep. apparently everybody just went to sleep for two years this instead is, of actually registering voters. What the hell are you doing? What, is your, is, what do you do for This is why Zeldin can't win in New York, yeah. because they have no organization. They, every single Republican who wins builds his own kind of yep. world for himself, That's where true. every Democrat who wins builds a coalition. You know, yeah. builds yeah. a machine. Builds the machine. Well, I think in Arizona, you have a little, there's a little, uh, obviously, you can't underestimate the idea of, you know, um, Hobbs being Secretary of State, who was planning all along to run uh, for governor. And I do think that Carrie Lake kind of emerged because there weren't, so, there weren't a ton of strong people in Arizona. Once she emerged, she emerged very, very strongly. And you look at that gap that was made up as quickly as it was. Here's my point with Carrie, with Carrie Lake and Hobbs. All right. Uh, you are, you're Hobbs. Okay. You're ahead. Now the gap has tightened. Now you're losing. You're not showing up for media. You're not hitting the ground. So we can talk about Republicans not being very active, but think about this for a second. You're not really hitting the ground running, not a super effective grassroots campaign. And then you don't even show up for a debate when at that point, at best, it was a statistical heat. At worst, she was already. It's like she didn't want to win, but you know, hey, why does that matter? When uh, maybe the voting she machines knew go down she might get lucky out. and have twenty percent of the machines just magically go. Maybe I'm just saying. Maybe she had a dream, and then suddenly she got lucky. Twenty percent of the machines go out. You know, this is YouTube. I want to keep this user friendly. <laughs> no, you're you guys. See, Candace Owens doesn't give a shit about YouTube. That's what I think about you. <laughs> Candace can tell jokes just as funny as Stephen. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yes, yes. I'll have them. I'll have Candace uh, go up uh, with David the Ryman. We'll do it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Except we should warn you, Dave's crowd is a little bit white supremacy. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. It's we're, we're we're from Southern California. It's white supremacist adjacent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ben Shapiro really brings them in. Talk about canvassing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he looks like if Ed Furlong didn't get shot at the end of American History X, <laughs> he would be Ben today. 
You know, <laughs> I love you Your too, move, brother. Candace. <laughs> Try and come on down to my dark corner of the world. And I mean that figuratively, not the beautiful. You know, it, it just every time you make jokes like that, Stephen, it reminds me of one of the great days of my life, the time that you were waterboarded. I <laughs> too. <laughs> I loved that, it. That, that, was a, that was a wonderful time for everybody. <laughs> that was Chris, that just Christmas episode, was it not? It was, it was in, in celebration of... Our Lord and Savior. <laughs> it was, uh, it, you got to watch it be waterboarded, if I recall correctly. So that was, that was Everyone move your chairs back from Ben about six inches. He's going to spontaneously combust. That's true. Did that I tell wasn't you, Ben? A... Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, did I tell you, Ben, that I tried to cheat that, the waterboarding? For people who did don't you? know, I thought I, yeah, what happened is they put the cloth over my face. Remember, it was Tim Kennedy. And I thought that if I stuck my tongue out, I'd create like a pup tent effect and the water wouldn't go, but it's so immediate. I was like, ah, it just makes it worse. <laughs> so it's like, like I thought that I'd figured something out that yeah. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed missed. <laughs> it was one of the great days. I was so excited to see Stephen suffer. Yeah. Uh, and he took it like such yeah. a man. Yeah. But I, I hate to say anything kind about him. <laughs> he he would have lasted at Gitmo. He would have lasted like eleven and a half seconds, which would have been an all-time record. record. And I was so yes. angry that he suffered so little that I went upstairs and clogged his crapper. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to get out ahead of it because he knew I was going to bring that up anyway. Mm. <laughs> In his brand, his brand new beautiful house. Yes. <laughs> Let me hear from you. What are your uh, What are your sort of flyer predictions there? I mean, the one that I sort of I said, um, you know, I think an upset could be Oregon. I think Tempex uh, uh, yep. Cotec could be going down. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I think that Hochul wins, but I said by less than four. Those were kind of the ones that. Oh, and I think that uh, uh, Evers or Evers, sorry, loses in Wisconsin, uh, Democrat there. But what do you guys have as far as long shots or sort of uh, what you would call predictions that maybe are off the beaten path? You know, I, I was a little bit more optimistic. I'll admit, like two hours ago. Uh, and, uh, and I think that as the night wears on and as I have to spend more time with you, um, <laughs> I, I become more pessimistic about the state of the world. And so some no. of my upset predictions, like Hochul, I actually thought had a chance of, of losing that race. Uh, I doubt at this point, given sort of the returns that we've seen, that she's going to lose that race. Uh, also, I, I think that the estimates that Republicans were going to take 53, 54 seats in the Senate, those, those are starting to look a little bit outpaced. Right now in Georgia, Walker and Warnock look like they may go to a runoff. That may be the most, that, that may be the most plausible well, it's a good thing right that he was there. a pro ball player. He can run that shit. Uh, well, I mean, the good news is we can always come up with some extra children who may be of age at this point. Uh, and maybe they can finally tip this thing over into the, into the victory category for, for, for the Republicans in Georgia. Um, but it's... Uh, the joke was right there. I had to take it, guys. No, it's, when you open it, you, you, you have to go for babies. it. You run to daylight. Run to daylight, guys. That's, that's <laughs> but um, we've had an ongoing joke about uh, about Herschel Walker campaigning against demon babies, which makes sense to only people watching this stream. <laughs> yes, that's true. Maybe <laughs> fool me once, demon baby, but not going. Demon baby is not going to fool me again. We need to throw them all in the potomac. The demon babies are <laughs> epidemic in the country. I'm going to take out every last demon baby. Because it sounds like something he would actually do. You think they're not regular baby, but they're not. You look at that baby, you say, that baby look that baby looked like the Gerber baby. I say, you mispronounced demon baby. Your baby look at me cross, I drowned. Yep, that's how we, the only way to handle demon baby. <laughs> Gotta drown the demon baby. And I, when I was sheriff, I drowned every last damn demon baby that I saw. And I'm going to drown every last damn demon baby that I come across. Whether it's a runoff, walk off, demon baby off, I, I, I'll go off with your demon baby. Is your baby crying on an airplane? Uh, you've you've uh, had love, a point, I think. Huh? I, 
I loved the Daily Wire. Too. <laughs> no, it was still some, of the, great time. some of the best times of my life. It was. Is that the vitamin C song playing? Damn it. <laughs> uh, you know, Ben, I, why do you have to be such a pessimist? I mean, aside from the fact that I'm here on your stream, but I, I, uh, I, I don't see any reason I, that we wouldn't be able to... Uh, Pull the old uh, Senate uh, Senate majority here. Really, if if Fetterman wins, we we still uh, right. We still only need two, unless they've called some things during this interview. That's totally within the realm of possibility. Oh, you know, I, I don't think that. I, I think the Republicans. Uh, I think fifty-one is still, you know, very 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 plausible actually. Uh, but I think that fifty-three, fifty-four, which is kind of how the night started, which is oh, we're gonna we're gonna take New Hampshire, we're gonna take Pennsylvania, we're gonna take Arizona, we're gonna take Georgia, we're gonna take Nevada. We may, maybe we'll take uh, Washington State. Like, I, I think that some of those things uh, have started to, you know, reality has started to creep in. Still, it can be a good night for Republicans. Listen, Republicans having the House alone means that Joe Biden's agenda is now over and he's not effectively president anymore because he just yeah. can't get anything through. Um, but with that said, I, it, my, my, you know, it's late at night. We're hanging out with you. <laughs> it's a dark time for all of us. And, uh, and you know, one of the things that, that just occurs to me is that candidate quality actually matters just a little bit. And this has been my no, message I agree with you. I, I agree with you. And I also, hey, guys, for everyone else not named Ben, when was the crossover moment that Ben got a stylist? Because I don't know when it happened, but it was a <laughs> night and day difference. Slappy's revenge? <laughs> no, Ben went, Ben, you know this. You went from, you know, like golf shirts like Gerald here. And whoa, then all of a sudden, whoa, whoa, don't throw me in here. Oh, come on. Yeah, you just, and then all of a sudden you started looking like you were, you know, uh, a Xenia ad, a Hugo Boss, whatever. I didn't want, I was going to say Hugo Boss, but then I realized it was not him. Is 100% true? Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. It was shortly after I wasn't killed at the end of American History X. Yeah. <laughs> Celebrated. You, you were growing a beard for Yeah, a that was yeah, the zigzag that I, I was growing a beard, about. and then you just shaved I it off. I faked y'all out. It was the most important political story of 2020. Yeah. People yeah. were sad. Well, he shaved off the beard because Kanye thought he was a Jewish werewolf, by God. <laughs> 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 How did the moon oh, try and play me for a fool, Dan? <laughs> Where is he? <laughs> Oh, oh, man. Right. This is why we can't have nice things like <laughs> friendships or a company. <laughs> well, look, guys, I think, hey, Andrew, I'm, you don't ever call, Andrew, you never call me anymore. Andrew, you don't call me anymore, I, bro. This one's me. for Candace. You used to call me all the time and say, please get me a job, and now I never hear from you anymore. Right? <laughs> yeah. Once I realized you had no power. Uh, <laughs> I, kept telling you, I kept telling you, I could, no one could place you, Stephen. I'm sorry. <laughs> and all those long nights for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, guys. I appreciate. I think uh, there's a lot. To, do you think? Do you think we'll have any uh, final question? Do you think we'll have any concrete results here tonight? Do you think we'll actually be able to make some calls? I know the media doesn't want us to be able Karine to. Karine Jean Pierre was very clear. It could take months. That's how it's to work. The election, and that means the election is working. So let's all calm down. You know, there, there's only there's only one race I care about, Stephen. You asked for long shots. I my my the old white race. <laughs> well, that goes without saying. Yeah. Continue. That's the New York seventh right? Fourth. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sort it's of. Okay, he can make he can make that joke. He's a yeah. talent, right? He's part Sicilian, the Southern Italian. The Sicilians There's, you know, have always a... occupied an ambiguous racial territory, so, which is very helpful. The, yes. the race that I'm looking at is New York 17. Sean Patrick Maloney is the head of the DCCC campaign committee. And, you know, he could lose. I don't know that he will. If he loses, though, that is a message to 
not just some random Democrat in New York. It's a message to the whole campaign. It's a message right. actually to the entire party in the House. And so there's a very, very good shot. We, we will get those results tonight. That would be extraordinarily satisfying. And then on those crucial races, we're probably going to have to wait until 2027 to figure out what happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think you're right. And I will say this, too. I think this is uh, this is what obviously I don't think this is the most important election of our lifetime. I think it's the precursor to the most important election of our lifetime mm -hmm. in 2024. That's that's how I see it. And that's why I see the gubernatorial races. You know, I, I think you guys would probably agree most indicative of where we would be if you were to hold a national election today, uh, because obviously with the House, obviously with the Senate, less so, but kind of as you veer more towards governorships, uh, you're talking about local politics, which is why local politics are so important. You know, how effective you are, what kind of a campaign, right? You can have red states that have entirely blue races or entirely blue victories. The, the governorships here and the momentum that we're seeing there is, I think, a pretty strong indicator of where we're going in 2024. And I think, uh, you know, the last election that we covered, you know, was a sort of a referendum on legacy media. And last we checked uh, here, we're not on YouTube, we're not on Facebook tonight, but, you know, right. I mean, uh, 350, 400,000 people, something like that on, on Rumble. Uh, this is a sort of a referendum right now on on YouTube. And mm. I think it's a good thing. You guys are building your own platform, obviously, with Daily Wire. Uh, but this is, I think, a tectonic shift to people realizing we all want to be off of these platforms, but there isn't a viable alternative. Tonight, enough people are migrating away that I do think that's a really big win just mm. beyond the politics up. Uh, but I will leave yeah. you guys with with this. Candace, actually, she she brought up a very good point about uh, Jean-Pierre. Then uh, that's how, you know, the election is working. I couldn't hear. I think that was the person you were quoting, right, uh, Candace? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, they could not be a more, you know, that's the most apt person to to be making mm -hmm. that comparison. Because do, do you know why? That Herschel Walker tell you that Jean-Pierre, that is one grown up, grown ass demon baby. Otherwise, thank you so much. We'll be back later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Stephen, for destroying uh, the <laughs> I hope I get that guy in the Secret Santa this year. <laughs> 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 Secret Santa. <laughs> well, you know, folks, if you listened to that, saw that segment with Stephen Crowder, and just wanted to pull the covers up over your head, <laughs> maybe just die a little bit inside. <clears throat> Or maybe you just wanted to go to sleep. Well, you need bowl and brand. Mm. And we're gearing up for a long night here at Daily Wire headquarters. I'm not worried because I slept really well last night on my bowl and branch sheets. I love my bowl and branch sheets. They are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. In fact, Whatever. their signature hem sheets cool. were made with threads so luxurious three U.S. presidents have That's slept in them. Bowl and branch sheets are made free from toxins, pesticides, and other harsh chemicals. They actually soften with every single wash cycle. They come in nine neutral colors, all mattress sizes. Their signature sheets come wrapped in a beautiful holiday gift box. Who would not love the gift of a good night's sleep after tonight? Best of all, Bowl and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders, but you're not going to want to return them. They're amazing. Try the sheets I trust myself to lull me to sleep at night. For a limited time, get 25% off your first set of sheets plus free shipping when you use promo code ELECTION at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com. Bowlandbranch.com, promo code ELECTION. Offer ends November 27th for a pair of covers you want to sleep in and also will shield your eyes from the, from the horrors of a Steven Crowder segment. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that, that's, that, that's, a, that's a dude who says stuff. We've been here long enough now to have stale popcorn. It's just <laughs> like they have to actually refresh our plastic food. Yep. It's unbelievable. 
Uh, and yet, we are no closer but to the answers that we no closer to the answers that we desire. Yeah. Uh, it, Georgia is uh, looks like it's going to head for runoff. If I have to predict things right now, Georgia looks like it's it's headed that way. Right How far now. up? Herschel Walker's in a very very narrow lead over Raphael Warnock. Huh. He's at forty nine point four, and Raphael Warnock's at forty eight point seven. But yeah, you know, again, that Libertarian Party candidate, those Libertarians, man, you can't trust them. Yeah, one point nine percent from the Libertarian Party, huh. drawing away from Herschel Walker, that would put him over the top. So instead, we'll get yet another runoff, which is just riveting, exciting <laughs> stuff. There's nothing I love better than a good Georgia runoff. They work out amazingly well for all of us. Meanwhile, the results have started to come in from Arizona, where all the voting machines are beautifully run. <laughs> and Mark Kelly is right now up against Blake Masters, 56-41, but that's with 38% reporting, so those numbers mean nothing. Obviously, the, the urban areas tend to bring in the numbers first. Meanwhile, over in Pennsylvania, we're starting to see some numbers with 49% reporting. John Fetterman is up 51-47 over Mehmet Oz. Again, the, the mail-in ballots have not been counted, so you'd imagine the numbers are a little bit better for Fetterman than that at this early stage. Again, there's a bit of a blue mirage that happens at the beginning of the night when all of the, the mm-hmm. early towns get, get counted, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Allentown, uh, and then it's a little bit later in the evening when some of the rural areas come in. So... You know, right now, if, if you're ballparking this thing, it's not looking like amazing for Republicans in the Senate. Uh, in the House, it's looking a little bit better. Uh, they, they already called Colorado for the Democrat. So uh, mm. that, that race, which at one point was mm. considered maybe a plausible win for the Republicans, with Michael Bennett running against um, his name O'Brien, uh, that, that, that race has been called like right off the bat. So that is, uh, that is where things stand. There's also right news now. out of Arizona. Uh, Rachel Maddow, my doppelganger, is uh, reporting... And just to let you know that it's not only Republicans who are claiming voter fraud and shenanigans. Uh, Rachel Maddow is reporting that Arizona Republicans are intimidating uh, Democrat voters with guns. I assume this is, you know, these are white supremacist Nigerians in MAGA hats, you know, <laughs> taking Subway sandwiches from every Democrat voter in Arizona. But she is, she is on air reporting that right now. It does look like there has been one reversal. I suggested earlier that the networks were calling Virginia second. For the Democrat, yeah. they've now reversed that. That's right. The Republican state senator, Jen Kiggins, will defeat Elaine Luria in Virginia's second wow. congressional that's, district. That's, that's what I thought was, yeah. That's good news. That yeah. is good news. Yeah. That's a race that I thought was gone. I was yep. gonna, here's my sheet of paper with all the margins on it right now. <laughs> uh, that, that district, the Luria district, was a Biden plus five. Wow. It was a D plus mm. six. So, again, looks like a red tide, not a red wave, is kind of how I would describe if, it. If, I'll take it. If Oz... I'd cut, what'd you call it, a crimson tide? <laughs> if Oz actually loses, if he loses to a guy with brain damage, we talk about accountability. There has to be accountability for the Republicans that got behind Oz in the primary. Like, you're going to actually lose to a guy that can't even speak. But well, unfortunately, you. then, unfortunately, the Republican, most notably, who got behind Oz in the primary is Donald Trump. Well, yeah. And as far yeah. as I can tell, yeah. he did it exclusively on the basis that Dr. Oz was also on TV. Yeah. Uh, you know, listen, I... I, I I think I, I think Oz is. Uh, I'm going to keep my mouth open for the Daily Bean. Uh, listen, I, I think Oz is a terrible candidate. I am infuriated by him. It's just he's just awful. Uh, but David McCormick, who I think was probably better, but he was fairly squishy on a lot of issues. Kathy Barnett was the conservative in that primary. There was a broad consensus. Again, I thought she was great, but there was a broad consensus she wouldn't be strong in a general. So a lot of people in the party came out against her. Uh, you know. But you had, like, Sean Hannity yeah. telling people that they yeah. essentially didn't have a place in the party if they didn't support Yes, no, look, I, thought the, I thought the Oz shilling was disgusting, and I don't like Oz, <laughs> really, at all. Um, but 
the point that you make, Matt, which is that can you believe this guy with brain damage is going to beat Oz? I think if the situation were reversed and I'm up against, let's say the Democrat were this, had this fully functioning brain, such as Democrats have, but, you know, was advocating for you know, abortion on demand and transing the kids and destroy the economy and open borders and all the rest of it, and then you had a Republican who had suffered a stroke, I would gleefully vote for the Republican, knowing that his wife would actually take the seat or they'd just appoint some new guy to take it, or just knowing that his staff would run it. So I, I get why Democrats would do it, because the power of a senator is not what it was 100 years yeah. ago. You know, 100 years ago, senators had many more responsibilities. A lot of that has been outsourced to the bureaucracy. Fetterman was always running to be just a rubber stamp for Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden anyway. So I'm I'm not terribly surprised. I mean, I think yellow dog Democrats are the people who would vote for a yellow dog over any Republican. Same way I feel about Herschel Walker. You know, I feel like, do you want to vote for the guy whose girlfriends have had an abortion or for the guy who will actually make abortion legal until the kid is two years old? I I agree with you, but just the fact, I mean, you're a doctor running against a guy with brain damage. How do you not leverage that in (laughs) in an effective way? Well, he tried. He actually, his campaign went after... uh, uh, Fetterman on the brain damage issue, and it, it read kind of ugly. I yeah. Think. Well, no, that's I what mean, I'm saying. But, he, but that, I think they went after her in the wrong way. Like yeah. Oz, especially in the debate, I thought that was a, a, a missed opportunity for him. He should have been like showing concern, like pity for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. I, I really feel sorry for this guy, and you know, as a so doctor, I, I feel sorry. I think that would have been the better approach, and it would have made him look... Again, and the, the, the health issue was always going to be secondary. And in fact, I think there's a, there's a world, if, if it turns out that the Pennsylvania Senate seat goes to Fetterman, there's a world where the health issue actually took away from the main line of the campaign. Yeah. Meaning that what really should have happened in this campaign is that Fetterman's policy should have been an issue because he is a terrible candidate. Yep. I mean, if you look at his policy positions, this is a guy who has talked openly about cutting fracking in Pennsylvania. This is a guy who is abortion on demand until point of birth. This is he said somebody, his number one priority was freeing murderers from birth. Right, he was going to free one-third of all criminals in the yeah, state of yeah. Pennsylvania. I mean, these are radical policies, but because, almost in the same way the Democrats got distracted by the shiny abortion object, and like, mm-hmm. let's throw a bajillion dollars at abortion while everybody's worried about inflation. In Pennsylvania, it felt like, because it was the low-hanging fruit, not because it was so obvious, and honestly, he felt bad for the guy. Like, I, when I watched that debate, I felt bad for him, because he literally, it was, it was, it's, it was hard to watch. I mean, it's like, what? He's a person who was not fully functional trying in public to do this thing. Everybody got distracted by the fact, this is crazy. We could actually elect a senator who can't speak sentences. Yeah. And they got distracted by the fact that senator who can't speak sentences is going to vote like Bernie Sanders. And it seems like if you're, if you're talking about like what's more relevant to voters, maybe what's more relevant to voters, because how often have you watched a senator speak? Well, I think, I think there's also a cynicism on the right <clears throat> that says, because Donald Trump won an unexpected victory in 2016... We should only run famous people now. That, that they, the cynicism of it is the voters are so dumb, they'll vote for a celebrity. But with Herschel Walker on the ropes tonight, yep. with Dr. Oz on the ropes tonight, mm-hmm. hopefully it disabuses us of this particular cynicism. But it's a longstanding issue. I mean, you think of uh, going back to Sonny Bono. I mean, going yep. back to Jesse Ventura or Arnold Schwarzenegger or all these, you know, celebrities run in politics. Uh, politics is show business for ugly people. But I agree. I don't think it is. You can't just say the guy had a big TV show. He'll be a shoe-in to the race. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. Uh, So our friends over at Election Wire are going to give us an update on some of the races that they've been following throughout the evening. We're we're counting on them to be able to look at their computers while we all stare at (laughs) each other and make Stephen Crowder jokes and (laughs) try not to get canceled. So they're they're tracking the races at a at a much more uh, granular level and they're here to give us an update now.
So we've got a few calls coming in from Decision Desk, which we're using, which we're using this evening. The Oklahoma governor's race we mentioned earlier that had seemed like a toss-up. Republican Governor Kevin Stitt has just come out on top there. Decision Desk also calling the Pennsylvania governor's race for Josh Shapiro. In the Pennsylvania race right now, 53% in. Fetterman is up 51.1 to 46.6. And in that governor's race, Fetterman is trailing Josh Shapiro by about five and a half points. That's generally where he needs to be. Betting markets also now overwhelmingly going for Fetterman after Oz was at about 70% earlier today. There is good news for Republicans, though, in the state of North Carolina. It was very tight earlier. Ted Budd is now pulling ahead of Sherry Beasley, 51.1 to 46.9 with about 90% in right now. And in Ohio, J.D. Vance is up 54 to 46 on Tim Ryan with 75% in. Starting to get early results out of Wisconsin, 50% in. Mandela Barnes up 50.5 over Ron Johnson, the incumbent 49.5. We're still expecting that to tighten as more results come in. And then in Michigan, 23% in. Gretchen Whitmer is up 51.3 on Tudor Dixon, 47.1. So again, kind of a mixed bag. That's what we've been seeing all evening but we're expecting a lot of these races to continue to be tight as more results come in in these more Republican-leaning districts. Cabot Phillips, thank you. And we're being joined now from the Manhattan Institute, yes. I think one of the most yeah, important like journalists in the country off. today, okay. our good friend Chris Rufo. This with you. The, yeah, the, it's great to be with you. Chris, what are you seeing from your vantage? What's happening out there? I'm, look, I think this is undoubtedly a big night for the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. I think his yeah. brand of muscular culture war politics has shown that it is uh, nationally resident. He, resonant. He's outperforming all of his peers. Uh, he's flipped Latinos. He's flipped urban districts. I think he's really uh, riding high tonight, pioneering a new model of conservative politics. And then I think, the, on the other hand, someone like Dr. Oz, as you guys were saying, is running a lackluster campaign. He didn't draw contrasts. He didn't have any crisp policy positions. He didn't take any risks. Uh, and I think that that's really what it comes down to. People want to know that you're a politician willing to stand on principle, to stand on issues, to draw strong, strong contrast. And Dr. Oz, I think, played the role on television of being the doctor that everyone liked. Uh, but in politics, you have to accept that half of the country will not like you. Uh, and there's nobody that leans into that more effectively than Ron DeSantis. Yeah, candidate, it turns out that the quality of the candidate actually matters in these races. And you can't be cynical, uh, is what we were just talking about beforehand. You can't be cynical as a party going into these races about who can win. I, that cynicism can play out in multiple ways. There's a kind of establishment cynicism that maybe you experience some, some degree of with a Dr. Oz. Uh, I think that you experienced with Mitt Romney in the 26. I'm sorry, uh, Jeb Bush in the 2016 primaries, mm -hmm. um, or Mitt Romney even in the 2012 election. Or but McCain. There, or McCain. You know. But there's a, there's a populist version of the cynicism, too, where even as far back as the Tea Party, the grassroots would put up candidates, I think, who were very low-quality candidates, but who kind of had this sort of red meat appeal. It, it turns out in politics, some vetting actually has to happen. Yep. It's not just about people who you sort of constitutionally resonate with. You have to find people who are actually going to be able to go through the rigor of it. I mean, you said that politics, Michael, is uh, showbiz for show, ugly people. Showbiz for ugly people. And uh, that gives me some hope that I might one day <laughs> ascend in public office. But the one thing that I've certainly ob observed in my time dealing with politics is that the kind of person who can endure the rigors of a campaign and actually thrive in it, I mean, this, this is not a quality that the average person has. I, I know for a fact that I do not have it. Uh, and, you know, th these races are grueling. They put these people, they put their families. I mean, oh, it's hell. Ben made the point that, it's that, that he's actually sad seeing Fetterman up there. I feel that way every time I see the president of the United States. I have an actual, an actual sadness, an actual pity that we're, that we're um, 
abusing this human in the way that we are. And you can say, ah, he earns it, ah, he's been a bad... I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not trying to make a defensive yeah. Joe Biden. I'm saying that it's an, it's an ugly thing that we've done. It's an incredibly hard job. Uh, and I think that the party did not have the discipline that it needed, sort of at the establishment or grassroots level. It was kind of interesting, too, with an with a, uh, Oz candidate, because... Trump has been pretty good at picking candidates, and he's changed the Republican Party, and there's this new thing. And you look at a J.D. Vance, he's obviously moving the party in a new direction. But then Oz, as you point out, Chris, Oz was just this old, I mean, the guy was... Oz was on TV. He was, Oz was on TV, but Oz was, you know, he'd go on radio lambasting pro-lifers, and then he goes out, he says, I'm going to vote to redefine marriage in the Senate, and you just think, and all I'm going to do is cut your taxes. By the way, one common thread with low-quality candidates, I'm thinking of Christine O'Donnell mm-hmm. uh, in Delaware during the Tea Party wave, yeah. they have really bad ads. Their media is really bad, and Oz had terrible ads, and Christine O'Donnell had terrible ads, and uh, that that poor woman in California, who I like personally, but she was not a great candidate, forget her name now, uh, she had terrible ads. There's just this odd thing that the the people who are peddling this kind of old, uh, dated uh, politics... They, that is reflected in their media, and I, you saw it instantly with Oz. You think the TV guys should have good TV ads, but they just didn't connect at all. And, and I think, all, by contrast, Fetterman had a really strong communications plan, a strong campaign. Uh, he had people dressing up as vegetables, making fun of Dr. Oz for the crudite. Um, he had a lighthearted campaign, a fun campaign that felt frivolous at times. But also felt like it was something that was on the moment, made Dr. Oz feel a little bit dated. Dr. Mm -hmm. Oz felt like daytime television in 1995, Mm. whereas Fetterman was able to create this buffer zone around him. You have a candidate that can't even fulfill a full sentence, and yet his comms people, I think, were pretty successful. And I think that the digital strategy has to get smarter for all these campaigns. And I think that, again, DeSantis and other candidates in that vein are showing that actual risk-taking is rewarded in the ballot box, provided that you do it in a sophisticated and disciplined way. Yeah. What are the stakes? I'd like to hear your thoughts before we go. I mean, obviously, it se- I shouldn't say obviously, but it, it seems that the Republicans are at least going to take the House. That's going to do something to blunt President Biden's agenda. But really, what, what, are, what are the stakes? What's the difference? If we, if we get that majority in the Senate, if we get more than a simple majority in the Senate, what matters tonight and what doesn't? I think ultimately what matters is what policies start to get formulated, policies start to get developed, and policy programs start to get mapped out for the future. And then I think down ballot, it's really important. All of the actual reforms that are going to affect people in their day-to-day lives are happening in state legislatures. And so I think what we saw with critical race theory, this blitz through the legislative uh, legislative, uh, bodies in 22 states, we're going to see again in Republican-led state legislatures. And so I think people have to focus their fire locally to get things done. And in D.C., it's about who's going to rise to the top, who's going to take control of the Republican apparatus, and what kind of policy items from people like J.D. Vance, the younger generation that is more comfortable with this kind of combative culture war politics, are they going to actually translate those political victories into substantive policy proposals? All right, Chris, well, we appreciate you. Appreciate the good work that you're doing out there on so many important issues, most, most notably CRT and the transing of our kids. I mean, you're just really uh, helping to lead the fight. And I say that even though Matt Walsh is sitting right here. Thank you for having <laughs> us tonight. How dare you. Good to see you. <laughs> see you. And we're joined now by the president of the Judicial Crisis Network, Carrie Se- uh, Severino. Thanks for being with us. Great to be here. So, so 
what happens? We get the Senate. How are we able to block the president on judicial appointments? What what power will we have if we win that we won't have if we lose? Yeah, well, remember the last time that the Senate and the White House splitting made such a huge difference was in 2016. Mm. When you have the Senate and the White House of a different party, that's really the American people tapping the brakes on what's going on with the presidency. Right yep. now, even with the barest majority, majority possible, which is 50 votes, not even a majority with that with the uh, the tiebreaker, we the, basically the Senate's been putting anyone that the president wants to get across the Cape the board across. He has, but he has, Donald Trump made records putting judges on. Biden has broken those records. So there, there, there has been no moderating effect of having any kind of middle ground on this 50 votes because unfortunately, while Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema stand up every once in a while, they don't stand up on judges and they, right. they voted for every single judge. So there'll be a huge change because First of all, you'll, there'll, there'll be a chance that maybe there's actually some of the more radical judges you could actually defeat, but there's also a lot of control of the pace that, um, that the Senate majority leader will have and control of, of the, the uh, committee process. So there'll be an opportunity to really highlight in committee some of the outrageous and radical judges that Biden is putting up. Yeah. The courts are the one thing that we still have, right? I mean, since 2020, almost the only places we've been able to block Biden's agenda have been at the Supreme Court level. Um, if we're able to, to blunt his ability to appoint future judges, does that set us up in, in future elections to be able to do more beyond just the Supreme Court? I mean, do we, have, do we have advantages earlier in that process to put a stop to some of the, I mean, you know, if he loses the House, he loses the Senate, uh, he's gonna start using executive orders in a way that, uh, you know, we've probably never seen before the frequency of executive orders. The courts are really the only bulwark against that, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I think this shows the wisdom of the last administration putting a priority on that because all of his executive orders are just out the window immediately. Yeah. You know, the, the legislature has shifted. They're doing everything they can to undo stuff as fast as possible. So it's the courts are really the 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 backstop, and particularly when Biden feels backed into a corner and just has to do the pen and phone thing that Obama, you know, so popularized. The courts, this is why administrative law, which sounds so boring, has suddenly become really important at the Supreme Court because yeah. it's these administrative agencies and these bureaucrats that, that the, the president is going to be deploying to just, well, we can't get this passed in Congress. We'll just declare an emergency and do it, do it some other way, right? Or, or, or stretch. We'll find a statute that was passed 60 years ago and decide that it means that we can, you know, delay evictions or something. You know, they, they find all these different things. That's what the courts are here to do, is to keep those separations of powers in place. And I think, you know, thank God we have the Supreme Court that we do, and the appellate courts as well. Um, so the, 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 the fewer of the Biden appointees that are going to be the rubber stance for his, his agenda we can have on those courts, the better chance we have of, of keeping those courts. You know, courts one big hobby horse of the conservatives over the last 10 years or so has been on this point of administrative law. On Chevron deference specifically, this idea that the courts just defer to the administrative agencies to interpret their own regulations. Now, conservatives actually, including Scalia, used to be pro-deferring to the administrative state. Then in recent years, they've shifted very much against the administrative state and made this big move against Chevron to overrule Chevron deference. Now we've got a 6-3 technically, but really 5-4 conservative court so, okay, if this is such a big issue, are, is the court going to overrule Chevron? I, I think more likely what you're going to see is they just start 
not applying it in as many cases. So Chevron is the case that says the agency interprets the law. The law is actually passed by Congress. The agency is interpreting the law, sometimes in creative ways, right? And the courts, I think Scalia's idea is the courts are crazy. We don't want the judges doing this. It'll be yeah. better to just defer to the executive agency. So I think he was trying to get the, the, the activism out of it. But of course, we, we know that our agency bureaucrats can be every bit as, as activist as judges, maybe more so. So everything we've realized out of the frying pan into the fire on that. I think the, what you're going to see is the courts just deciding maybe we're not going to, to to use this framework that we have to defer to agencies. There's a lot of questions that have been raised constitutionally about how could that even be legal? How could that be constitutional to let them make decide what the law is? So um, whether they go full overruling it or whether they just decide we're going to stop really applying it, I yeah. think you're going to see Chevron not playing a big role in the way the court's looking at it. Hmm. Do you think, I mean, we, we've talked about this a little bit tonight, but with the, with the Dobbs decision, with the overturning of Roe, with the Democrats going all in uh, on abortion and new focus on the courts, protests, even, still to this day, protests outside uh, of the Republican-appointed jurists on the court, um, how is the role of the court changing in American life right now? And from a political point of view, uh, are the Dem- it seems to me that the Democrats are demonstrating tonight uh, that turning court losses into uh, political gain isn't as easy as it looked when the Republicans were doing it after Roe for 40 years. Exactly. Well, I think at the end of the day, what the American people really want to see is judges that are actually bound by the law. So for a long time, we had a court that was just willing to do whatever the Democrats wanted. And what you're seeing now is a temper tantrum because they finally lost control of that. They're like, wait, wait, we can't just go to the court and ask for something. And they give us, you know, Ronald Reagan said, go back, get a half loaf, go back for the other half. They would just go to the courts for the other half. And the other half, the court would give them the, the other half and then some salami and, and you know, <laughs> some mustard to go with it. Yeah. Now the court's finally saying, actually, you know, you're getting what you what you had. And I think part of, that's part of the reason they're not able to turn it into the victories is because how, how, do you, how can you get upset about the court just doing what the Constitution says? I think that's returning it to the American people. So even if, you know, whether you want a lot of protection for fetal life, whether you want abortion to be legal all nine months, um, now it's in, in the American people's camp, and they can, right. they can make those calls, and they're going to make a lot of different calls across, uh, across the country. Uh, but we are still seeing that temper tantrum in terms of the intimidation, you know, people on their lawns, all, you know, politicians threatening to pack the court, all that kind of thing, hoping that, well, even if we don't have the justice of the court, maybe we can try to strong arm them, maybe we can try to, to threaten and bully them into ruling our so way. So l- let's say we get 51. At least. Hopefully we get 52 senators, 53, but maybe that won't happen. Let's say we get 51. Okay, now if a Supreme Court justice dies or retires, now Biden's got some new nominee. Can the Republicans and will the Republicans in the Senate hold out, pull a cocaine Mitch, say we are not going to confirm a justice until the next presidential election? Well... Yeah, he did it once, he right? Did it once. This is why we ha- this is why we have Justice Gorsuch. Is probably why we had Donald Trump as president was because Leader McConnell made that call and said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna all stick together." And and to in their defense, the, the other Republicans stuck with him. I, I I think you know obviously it depends on the, the specific politics of what happens when, but I I don't think any. Republican senator should vote for a nominee to the court that's not going to be willing to interpret the Constitution as it's written. They take an oath to uphold the Constitution, too, right? Right. So if you're voting for someone who thinks the Constitution means whatever they felt like after, you know, in in the morning, that is not upholding your oath to the Constitution. So I would hope that 
regardless of, you know, I, I hope Joseph Red Biden point. doesn't get any more vacancies. Whenever it is, I would hope that they wouldn't be willing to vote for there, You know, there's a dirty like little that. secret here, too, that you're not allowed to talk about, but uh, it's late and we've been talking nonstop for four hours and we're all getting a little loopy. The Democrats' recent appointments to the Supreme Court are humiliating to the court. I mean, Elena Keegan is a, is a legal mind. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, pretty serious. Yeah, we, we, I, I, would, I disagree with a lot of yeah, our ideas, yeah. but she, she is a legitimate jurist on the court. You can't say the same for Sonia Sotomayor. You can't say... Uh, uh, oh, my goodness. Katanji. Katanji. Thank you. Jackson. Yeah. yeah. If you can't define what a you're, woman is, I, I don't, I don't essentially mean to at this point. The Democrats are essentially at this point putting partisan political actors on the court and not actual, actual legal minds. I mean, what impact is that, is that going to have over time? If, if, the, if the court is only an extension of a sort of what we might think of as like party rule, political party uh, rule, doesn't that weaken the very intentions of the, weaken the court and uh, uh, change the role that the court plays in our society? Uh, well, I think we're, Biden already, we're seeing the consequences of the fact that when he had an option, he had a, several, even within his yeah. must appoint a black woman, he had a lot of different options. He chose the most radical yes. option he had. And I actually think in the long run, that's not going to be helpful to him. And we've seen her so so far on the bench. She's much more along the lines of a Sotomayor. She's she's just w- trying to get in these these rhetorical points, not making the kinds of question, questions and arguments that might be appealing to pull off, peel off, you know, a swing vote. Great. That's that's great in my camp, right? She's not she's not that, that Lena Kagan is doing some stuff like right. that by trying to go with the most radical nominees you can find. You know, sometimes that isn't isn't a strategy if it's not someone who can make a compelling argument. What I think was so great about Trump's nominees, I, I really do think they're people who can make very compelling yeah. arguments. And, you know, it's so, some some justices are immune to to rational discussion, but you're someone who can move intellectually the ball forward is what you really should be looking mm. for. Well, what if, what effect do you think they're going to be in the fact that the Supreme Court decision leaked? We've just moved past that. There's been no accountability whatsoever. Like what what does that mean for the future? It seems like there's never, we're never going to find out who did it. There's never going to be any kind of uh, punishment whatsoever. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that is the worst thing that could have happened after that, right? If they if they had a very short window where everyone is under the same roof, and if they didn't find the person, then they're not going to find him. I think this is horrible for the institution because no one knows who they can trust, and it, time will tell whether we have more leaks. It used to be that was the one institution in D.C. that did not leak, and you knew everyone was going to be professional and it was on both sides of the aisle. That's not the case anymore, and I think it sends a horrible message. You know, as someone who's raised uh, several kids myself, you don't if you reward. Uh, bad behavior. You're just going to get more bad behavior. Do you have a sense, you know? though, Carrie, that be, because there's you know gossip all around DC, I I think I not only know who did it, but I think I actually know the person who did it. But listen, there's all Do gossip. Tell. I'm not going <laughs> to say the name, you know. But yeah, yeah. I but there's a lot of scuttlebutt and all. Do yeah. you think it is the case that the people at the court actually do have a strong hunch of who it is, and for whatever reason, Justice Ro- Chief Justice Roberts doesn't want to. Uh, get involved in all of this? Or do you think legitimately they just don't know at the court and so anyone, you know, to the right or left of you could have been the leaker? Well, you know, my when I was clerking at the court, one of the big messages I got from the chief justice that he gave to all the clerks was, under no circumstances should you ever violate any consequ- confidences or you will be dead to us all. So right. it was really shocking to me that he didn't do more to find the person. Um, if if he knows who it is, then the only the only reason I can think of they wouldn't be you know, disclosing it as it's another justice or it's someone 
in his chambers that's going to be really embarrassing. I don't know. I, but you I think just, if, it, if it were a clerk in another, if it, ju- then you think he would I don't know. I, I think if the other justices had a sense, I think it would be hard for them to sit by and let this person just, I mean, look, that, that clerk is probably out somewhere getting their student loans forgiven, mm-hmm. you know, and, well, while collecting a $400,000 bonus for it, for starting at a, at a law firm somewhere. I mean, that, this, that's outrageous. Is this a new norm? Is this a new norm now? That's, that's, I think that's what we're going to find out. You know, is it the new norm? I, I, I hope it's not because that, that's a huge blow for the court as an institution to, to not be able to. I mean, even think about it. Bush versus Gore, very contentious oh, here. Yeah. I heard that yep. there were like fistfights breaking out and someone got pushed in one of the fountains during a clerk happy hour. Like it was very contentious. There were not leaks, let alone a leak of an entire opinion. The justices weren't even like having very good conversations together for a long time after that, it seems like. So it's just shocking to me. Obviously, it's a really important decision, but that, that it would result in that kind of a leak and then, you know, assassination attempts, all of this stuff. Um, it's just a huge step backwards for what used to be one of the few institutions people could trust. I, I wonder, you know, one of the themes of the night is election denialism, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. of course the Democrats have been denying elections for a very long time. It's really starting in earnest in 2000, right. and Republicans have lots of questions about 2020, I think for good reason. And, uh, but, so it's b- both sides, just, you know, for, for their own reasons, don't really trust the elections. And then the court was this one institution that was supposed to be kind of above this sort of petty uh, squabbling, and then that seems from my vantage to, to be collapsing as well. So is that real or, or is it just, this is the way it always was, you know, stop catastrophizing, nostalgia's history after a few drinks, or are things really getting quite bad? Um, you know, I, I think it, it ebbs and flows. There have definitely been times when the court had horrible you know, uh, in, internal things. You know, one justice wouldn't sit with another justice because he's Jewish. All these different things like that. I mean, really, really uh, intense personal disputes. Yep. So, uh, I don't want to say this is the worst it's, it's ever been by a long shot. Um, it does seem, uh, you know, that, it, it, that relationships are not as close as they were, you know, during the 90s and early early 2000s. Um, but, uh, you know, it, I think but, this is not helping with the, with the league and things. Can we, I thought it was an important point we skipped over. There was a fist fight and someone got pushed into a fountain? <laughs> this, is, this is lore. Uh, you know, there's a weekly a clerk happy hour. And the clerks all, you know, you get along with each other. You're coming from different perspectives. I heard someone got pushed into the fountain during one of these. I wasn't there well, to, uh, to see it. It but, wasn't an actual justice, was it? Not, oh, no, not <laughs> okay. a justice. We're talking no. clerks. The not justice quite the is getting of pushed Sumner, would have been, yeah, right. I, you could really hurt someone. These justices are not young. It's so. kind of ironic that John Roberts is supposed to be the great defender of the court's reputation. The court's reputation is spiraling downward at the same time. I wonder if it gives him any second thoughts. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like the parent trying to be the cool parent by, like, <laughs> buying the wow. kids beer yeah. or something. That's not actually how you gain their respect. It might, you might gain mm. some popularity points over a very short term, but mm. over the long term they don't really respect you and yeah. i think yeah, over the long what, term they want to know the difference between a tax and a penalty like do we really trust that you're going to decide something based on the law or you're just kind of finger to the wind what's going to get what's going to get the best pew you know poll results that's yeah. not going to get maybe in the short term it does in the long term i think we're seeing the court's uh, yeah. integrity tanking and that's yeah. that's because you, it looks like they look at politicians terry thank you so much for coming on and talking to us tonight have a great night Good really to see appreciate you guys. it and we haven't shown off in a little bit. Mm, too so long. while they bring in a chair and get Ben Shapiro back on the set, uh, we're going to show you some more of what's going on over at Daily Wire Plus. What is a woman? Can you tell me that? <laughs> well, you're at the Women's March. You must have some idea. Please, if, if one person could tell me what a woman is. You are not here for women. 
What is that? I'm a husband. I'm a father of four. I host a talk show. I give speeches. I write books. I like to make sense of things. A woman is not anything in particular. There is not one particular thing. It could be many things to many people. Some women have penises, right? Some men have vaginas. I like scented candles. and I've watched Sex and the City. Yeah. How do I know if, if I'm a woman? That's a great like, question. You're not a scientist. You're not a gender studies major. No. How do you know that you're a man? I guess because I got a dick. Can a man become a woman? <laughs> I'm not a woman, so I, I can't really answer that. Women only know what women are. Are you a uh, cat? No. Can you tell me what a cat is? Do you want to tell us what a woman is? I'm a biological woman that medically transitioned to appear like a male. I will never be a man. And so they go on the internet and they're told that all their problems will be solved if they become a man. So you worry that there, there could be a sort of social contagion element of this? A teeny tiny bit, maybe. It got me at 42. Your child doesn't have a chance. And you're affirming it with hormones that have never been used in this way. Puberty blockers, which are completely reversible. Completely reversible. One of the drugs used is Lupron, right? Which mm -hmm. has actually been used to chemically castrate sex offenders. You know what? I'm not sure that we should continue with this interview. So you don't want to talk about the drugs that you give to kids or... How can they be removing the healthy breasts of 15-year-old girls? There are masculine girls. There are feminine boys. What are we going to do about that? Carve them up? How can this whole thing be happening, Matt? I wanted us to have a safe place to be able to talk about this. Part of me wants to ask why you care so much. I, I care about the truth. I care about children. I care about the women who are having their opportunities stolen from them. Is it transphobic to tell the truth. The interview's over. Let's turn off the cameras. Excuse me. They're fair. I just wanted to know what is a woman. And you're not going to find out. Based on what I'm saying, would you ever want to move to America? <laughs> they say no. <laughs> Never. <laughs> We'll see when it comes out. You know who I am. And I have no doubt that God will forgive you. How are we gonna make it out here? I know it's been hard. This is our dream, Hetty. Build a home on land we can call our own. Just gotta have a little grit. I'm heading to town grabbing supplies. Look after your mom now, won't you? We might have found morning to you, ma'am. And to you. Is your husband at home? Get behind the stove with your sister. They came looking for your pa. That's why they're out there taking their time. Just take what you want and go! But what we want is you! Your father's walking into a trap. It's our 
our turn to protect him. She is a sensible woman. Mrs. McAllister ain't cut out for this. Deep down, they're the toughest woman in this territory. Those killers outside are gonna feel God's wrath. Kill them all! Hey, a couple of quick updates from the battleground Senate states. We've got in Ohio, J.D. Vance is pulling ahead 53.8 over uh, Democrat Tim Ryan, 46.2. That's with 75% of the vote in. That's a pretty good position for him. He's about where he's been polling, about 5% above. In the Senate race in North Carolina, Ted Budd is also in good position. That's with 92% of the vote in. He's at 51. Beasley, 50, 47 again about where he's polling that seems like it's going to be uh, called pretty soon john fetterman in pennsylvania is still leading dr oz uh that's a 49.8 percent to 47.9 percent that's with 90 percent of the vote in and again there's a lot of early voting usually uh, favors democrats looks very good for fetterman josh shapiro the race has been called for him as the governor of pennsylvania uh decision desk called that and then finally in Georgia, Warnock is still slightly trailing Walker. So Walker's in decent position, 1%, but that's with 83%. I just got that backwards. Warnock's ahead, 1%. Walker's down 1% now with 83% reporting. Not looking great for Walker, but again, they have to, one of them has to uh, you know, exceed 50%. Will that happen? Uh, not certain, but there are some Democratic heavy counties that aren't fully in, so something like 20 to 30% not reported. That's not great for Walker. That's it. Back to you guys. Thank you, John. And joining us again. Yeah, we're back. Billy Whittle. <laughs> Hi. But Bill, not the, not the blowout that we were expecting tonight or that we, that we had hoped for at any rate. Do you still have hope that we're going to carry this in it? Uh, I do. Um, but part of me is walking around thinking the Beatings will continue until morale improves, you know. Um, so so if, if you get two out of three, there are some things that you can do on offense, you know, instead of just, like, stopping the train. Yeah. I always thought if, if, we had, if we were able to get control of the Senate, I think what we ought to do is we ought to put together a number of bills that are, that are constructed in such a way that when Biden vetoes them, he basically tanks himself by doing so. Mm. The Fair Play for Our Daughters Act, for example, of 2023, which basically says that, you know, the millions and millions and millions of young women that complete, compete in athletics, it's not fair that one or two people whose feelings are hurt are taking that away from our daughters. We're, we, we're empowering women and so on. So Fair Play for Our Daughters, send it to him and have him veto it. And you do the same thing for any of these things. You put them together in such a way, you're still telling the truth, you're not lying. But what, you, what it seems to me that the only offense... The problem is Republicans, if they even had the political sense to put that bill together would call it like the Title IX Restoration and Fair Improvement <laughs> Act or something. <laughs> this is why we're in the trouble we're in, right? Yeah. Because, because our team does not, uh, Evan Sayek called it a, a rhetorical intelligence, and mm -hmm. we're real low on that. But somebody's got to get out there and start, and start giving the Republican Party some ideas about how to actually win hearts. You know, I, we've talked about this before. 
I think that over the course of the last 30, 40 years, the Democrats have been so effective at using emotion to override reason that now conservatives think that anything that has any emotion in it at all mm. is automatically bad, you know? And people don't vote based on how they think. They vote, vote based on how they feel. And we should be going for the feels. And we're not. And we're, we're paying for it. Feelings don't care about your facts. Ben. So we are, um, I mean, along those lines, we should, not to put too fine a point on it, stop running shitty candidates. Um, that is the, the lesson of this evening thus far. If you run a very good candidate in Florida, you win by 20. And if you run a very weak candidate, you lose to a person who has brain malfunction in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And right now, it looks like Fetterman is going to win the seat in Pennsylvania. It looks as though Georgia is going to run off because Walker is an exceedingly weak candidate. And, and a runoff in Georgia is not good for A runoff in Georgia is very bad because you don't have Brian Kemp to drag you up the ticket the way that you did in this particular election because Brian Kemp is a good candidate. You can see in that same race. He took Stacey yeah. Abrams to the woodshed. Stacey Abrams was the darling of the Democratic Party, and Kemp is going to win handily in that race. Meanwhile, Raphael Warnock is a disaster area of a candidate, and Herschel Walker is going to end up in a runoff, which, you know, odds are that he, he may not end up winning that particular race, and so that's another one you can chalk up to, to a bad candidate. You know, the, Lauren Boebert right now is on the rocks in Colorado. That is not a district she should be losing. Right now she is down by four to five points in Colorado. Still time to pull it out? Um, still still some time. Well, we'll see how that goes. Don Baltic getting his ass kicked over in New Hampshire. Uh, that is that is not a close race. That was expected by a lot of pollsters to be yeah. much, much closer than it ended up being. Baldock was the person that the Democrats handpicked to run against Maggie Hassan. They ran a bunch of ads against Baldock's opponents because... The, because they figured that Baldock would be the person easiest to beat. And it turns out that that looks to be correct, that that race has already been called Baldock is done in New Hampshire. So that means that of the races that were on the board at this point, and there are still polls that are open in a lot of these other states, of the races that were on the board at the beginning of the night, Republicans have lost a seat they, they could have held in Pennsylvania or look to be losing that seat. Georgia is at best a toss-up. New Hampshire is gone. And now we're headed out west. And basically you have to bank the Republicans taking the Senate on holding on Nevada, which would be a, a testament to Laxalt's quality as a candidate. He's the strongest of these candidates. Um, and then we'll have to see how Masters does in Arizona, you know, if, if Lake can drag him up the ticket. But we are seeing some ticket splitting, right? In New Hampshire, you saw significant ticket splitting. So Newton won handily, and Baldick got his butt kicked. So what this says, once again, to Republicans, the message is always the same. Don't run shitty candidates and put the onus on the other guys to defend their policies. That's it. That's the whole thing. Don't go crazy. Don't think that, that you can that the the environment is so bad that you can run whomever you please and you're still going to win. Don't spit into the wind and then expect that it's not going to come back say, at you. I'll actually say that the twenty the, the Fetterman Oz uh, situation that's playing out tonight is a lesson that we did not learn in twenty twenty. Everyone said in twenty twenty, Donald Trump can't lose. Joe Biden is a vegetable. They, Joe Biden won't even leave his basement. Joe Biden can't even string a sentence together. And it's like you, you underestimate uh, <laughs> what people are willing to tolerate uh, to see their, their candidate win or see their party win. They're not, yeah. people are not making their decision on the quality of, uh, they're not exclusively making the decision on the quality of the candidate the in such a way that you can run yeah. I mean, Sean Trendy is now predicting that the Republicans don't take the Senate. He says the Democrats are more likely to pick up a seat and end up at 51 than the Republicans are likely to keep it a split, which is not how this night was supposed to go. No. And, and it is certainly not how this night was supposed to go by any of the available metrics historically. The Democrats would pick up a Senate seat in an election year where the president of the United States is running at 43 percent, where 70 plus percent of the American public believes that the economy is moving in the wrong direction. 
yeah. and where you're going to end up picking up, Republicans will end up picking up when this all is said and done, 20, maybe between 20 and 25 seats. Yeah. And the House will end up with a, a fairly solid majority in the House. You're not supposed to lose every single close race. And there are a bunch of toss-up races. There, there are like 25 toss-up races, 24 and 25 toss-up races in the House. And Republicans are only going to pick up maybe seven of those. So this is a, this is a wave that was blunted by, again, lack of enthusiasm in particular. Again, because, and this is the thing, you have the, you have the proof. In a state where Republicans ran strong candidates up and down the ballot, they whomped people. Florida is a great example. They ran a great governor candidate. They ran two very strong senatorial candidates. They ran a bevy of excellent House candidates. And they whomped everybody. And they did the organization. They did the hard work. And they did really, really well. Tonight feels like Tonight feels like uh, 2012 felt to me, mm. you know, where everybody thought, okay, he's going to go in real strong, and Romney's, mm-hmm. you know, he hasn't prepared a, a concession speech, you know, and we're watching all these numbers, and that's closer than it should be, and, and why is that even on the board, you know? Yeah. And expectations w- were, were pretty high, certainly mine were. I think, I think there is some, like, some long-term good news, because, well, our, we're all friends with Andrew Breitbart, the late, great, departed Andrew Breitbart, would, but... When he said politics is downstream of culture, the reason for that is because culture can react much faster than politics. You make mm-hmm. a decision about what TV shows you watch, what movies you go to, you make those decisions on an hourly basis. You make a political decision every two years. And the one thing that I've noticed a lot, not looking downstream, is looking upstream, is that a bunch of like pop culture channels that I would watch, just they talk about Star Trek or, or whatever, Lord of the Rings, these guys haven't become Republicans exactly, although they, m- many of them almost have. But th- the amount of politics has entered these, these pop culture discussions and the, and the hatred, the, just the raw hatred for woke politics, the, just the, the disgust yeah. of it. So, so if you're looking at what young people are doing, they are not buying into this stuff. No one's buying Ray Skywalker action figures. They don't want anything to do with it. The Star Trek is dead. Star Wars is dead. And people say, what difference does that make? Well, the reason they're dead is because they got a healthy injection of left-wing politics and it killed them. And, and non-political people now are talking politically, and they're not so much talking about how much they like conservatives, but they're talking about how much they hate the woke, which brings us, of course, to the main point, in that, and that is, we know what the woke agenda is. What's our agenda? All right, I think Herschel Walker is making, uh, is making some live remarks, and we're going to try to join those in just a moment. Then we're going to kick it over to the Election Wire guys. Uh, our friends at Trafalgar are doing some polling. Uh, and their results are a little a little different than what we're seeing kind of in, in a lot of the reporting that's happening right now. So it'll be nice to hear a different perspective uh, as we go. And then hopefully we'll be joined by Megan Kelly shortly after that. So we have still a lot of great voices coming to you tonight. We know it's been a long night. We appreciate you sticking with us. Um, in, the old, in the olden days, back in the, the heady bygone days of 2016, we all drank heavily yeah. when we did this show. And it made for some... Uh, really funny moments, but we're certainly not doing that tonight. Uh, looks like we're going to go over right now to Cabot Phillips and the Election Wire team uh, and hear about the polling that the Trafalgar Group is doing. Poll analysis. Desk call in the Senate. Uh, Don Bolduc has been defeated by incumbent Democrat Maggie Hassan, uh, a race that, that we obviously a lot of people were hoping was going to be closer. It looks like it's already been called by decision desk. Um, so we're going to keep an eye on that one. A couple few uh, few more updates. We mentioned earlier Pennsylvania. Uh, we had a mistake in the error. It was not 90 percent, 73 percent reporting right now in Pennsylvania, and it's getting a lot tighter. It's Fetterman right now, 49.3 percent. Dr. Oz at 48.3 percent. So Pennsylvania very much in play. 
Uh, same with Georgia, we're gonna get some more data coming in there, but right now 86% uh, reporting. We've got 49.4 for Walker, Warnock is at 48.5%. Now again, Fulton County, we still need 15% of their vote. Gwinnett, we're still waiting on 44% of their vote. DeKalb, 32%. So there are some populous counties around Atlanta that do go, uh, tend to go overwhelmingly Democrat. So expect things to tighten in Georgia. And if it does in fact tighten, you're probably not gonna see any of the candidates getting uh, to 50 tonight if, if the trends continue that way. Um, but Robert Haley from Trafalgar Group. Robert, um, what is a state where you've seen uh, kind of a surprise and then a state that's playing out kind of how we expect it from polls? Yeah, I, I think um, New Hampshire and Ohio are perfect examples. Ohio is one that everybody was saying was gonna be very competitive. We never really believed it would be competitive. I think the margin's eight now. It's probably gonna grow to more than that. Uh, New Hampshire is a state where everybody had within two or three percent on either side and it looks like it's a blowout. And now New Hampshire people are very clever and uh, not always forthcoming with their opinions, but yeah, there's perfect examples of two that are just completely in line with what it looked like it was gonna be and then way off. And as the guys were talking about earlier, how kind of the eyes of the Republicans are now shifting out west, looking at Arizona and Nevada as two spots that they're gonna need to, to get to 51. As those results start coming in, where should we be watching in Arizona and Nevada? Well, I think you should, I mean, obviously, we've always thought Nevada was going to be a win, uh, just like we thought Ohio was gonna be a win, just like we thought North Carolina was gonna be a win. We didn't really see those as the ones that were toss-ups for tonight. So I think affirming that that turns out the way we expected in Nevada, it's gonna really go to Arizona and seeing how far behind Masters is from Lake. If Master stays within four or five points of Lake, I think he makes it. If he sinks a little wider, he's not going to. So, but it looks like right now he is going. He is, he is that close. And what we also know about Nevada, I mean, excuse me, about Arizona, is those votes that are going to be favoring Lake and Masters were going to come in at the end and not the beginning. And it's kind of where it's supposed to be. One final question for you on Pennsylvania. We mentioned candidates trailing governors. Right now, Fetterman is about five and a half points behind Shapiro, about uh, you know, north or south of there. Do you think in the end, if he stays within five and a half points of where Shapiro was, that it'll be enough to put him ahead? Fetterman, no. I think Fetterman's gonna be a little more competitive than that. Uh, because where Shapiro is, you've, you've got a situation that Fetterman has people who might actually agree with his philosophy more, but just don't think he's competent and he's losing a lot of those. I mean, and the only thing Oz is really suffering from, the real problem is the out-of-town guy. I mean, if he wasn't, didn't have that copper bagger thing on his back, he would already be there. But I think that that margin is separate enough that it is easily a, a split, can be a split decision in Pennsylvania. All right, well, the night is young. We're going to be talking to you a lot some more. We're going to keep digging into all these numbers. Back to you guys. You know, Ben, you were talking about the quality of the candidates, and it just reminded me of like the the the, the hockey win. You know, in 1980, they're they've got professionals on the team, and we have hopeful chipper amateurs. They, yeah. they, they play professional politics. It's their religion. It's their job. It's their it's their hobby. It's everything. And 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 it's tough, you know, because if your if your entire political persuasion is we need less politics you're not gonna draw people who are really good at that conversion. I, I think this is the thing with the Republicans, though. I think they, they are in this shift and they have not found their feet. I mean, I just believe that this is, I, I, think, the, I think the Democrats ultimately are dooming themselves, even though- I agree. You know, but 
but I think that the Republicans have a chance to renew. They have a chance to change. You know, one, one thing you might think would happen in a democratic republic is you might listen to the people a little bit. <laughs> I, we were talking about this a minute ago. I think the people repeatedly in the last 20 years of elections have been saying, move it back somewhere in the middle. Move it back. To, you know, they keep they keep overcorrecting. The, the politicians keep overcorrecting. They elected Joe Biden for normalcy. And instead, he's turned into, you know, like, uh, he thinks he's FDR. He's a lot more like, like a bad Stalin or something like this, you know. But, but no, he's, he's, over, he's gone all the way to the left. The people never voted for that. They don't want it. On the other hand, we do the same thing. We don't speak to the, the social issues that people care about, that move people emotionally. You're talking about the fact that we're emotionally stunted uh, on, on this. The Republicans are emotionally stunted on this. They will not listen to the things that matter. They didn't, you didn't hear a lot of big campaigning on the, uh, the, ch- the teacher issue, on the, the stuff no, but, that's been going to... But all of this requires a baseline level of competence. I, I agree, I agree with you, Ben. No, I'm not... Because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, not, I'm not we're not arguing. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when you look at... Here's the thing. Some of the more radical candidates, the people like Baldick, right, they were talking about some of this stuff. The problem is there wasn't a baseline level of understanding that they could even do the job in a competent fashion. The same thing is true for Herschel Walker in Georgia. If you look at the exit polls, people are saying this is not a person who I trust to actually be able to do the job. You can do the culture war stuff, and it's the icing on the cake. But the cake has to be competent governance. And this is what you're seeing. Again, I'm going to use DeSantis as the best example because he's the only one who's winning a huge victory now, like an overwhelming victory. He and Kemp, actually. We can talk Kemp, too. Kemp ran directly in the teeth of a lot of what Trump was saying about him. Trump didn't want him to be the the gubernatorial candidate. He ripped on him for a solid year and a half Mm -hmm. after the election of 2020. He suggested that it was Kemp's fault that he had lost Georgia. And Kemp said, listen, I've done a good job in this state. I've made sure the state stayed open. I was competent. And on top of that, will there be some icing on culture war issues and we can do all that? And people are like, okay, this guy's competent. I trust this guy with his job. And the same thing with DeSantis, except even more so. And then you look at sort of, so when we talk culture war, because that's what we, because that's what we do for a living, and when we talk about the issues that are really important to America, and I think the cultural issues are in many ways more important than the day-to-day in terms of the direction of the country over the long haul, when it comes to actually voting, in the same way that people will, will be polled and they'll say, I hate Congress, Congress is terrible, it's really bad, and then just keep voting for the same congressperson because they understand that the, the person, or they believe the person has a baseline level of competence, the Republicans have to stop putting up candidates who is appealing to the the kind of most passionate side of them, as opposed to the candidate who they believe can actually convince people that they're going to be somewhat decent at the job. And this is something that Yuval Levin over at AEI, he's made this point, he's correct, that Congress for Republicans, and for Democrats too, for everyone, it used to be that the institutions shaped the people coming into them. The idea was that you went into Congress to become a congressperson. And then when you were a congressperson, you did the things that congresspeople do. And now you go into the institution and you don't use it as an, it doesn't shape you, you shape it. You are supposed to use it as a platform. Now you're going to grow your Instagram following. You're going to have Fox News. You're going to make sure that, that everybody hears what you have to say about a particular given topic. Well, that may be a great way of building your following. It is not a particularly great way of winning elections, as it turns out. And we, I think everybody, I think in 2008, and particularly in, 20, in 2012, Democrats got high on their own supply. And I think in 2016, Republicans got high on their own supply and they still haven't come down yet. And the lesson that Democrats learned from 2012 is there is a forever coalition of minority voters that we can cobble together who will continue to vote for us no matter how stupid and crazy and woke we are. And they got smacked in the face by Donald Trump in 2016 on that basis and then smacked in the face in terms of the House over the course of the subsequent years. Republicans in 2016 ran Donald Trump and they got high in their own supply, which was we can be as bombastic and break all the rules as we want. They don't understand. Obama was a unique candidate. Trump was a unique candidate. There are no more Obamas. There are no more Trumps. Kerry Lake is a unique talent, but it's hard to find unique talents. You know what it's actually a lot easier to do? 
finding steady, competent people <laughs> no, but, who are not but, who are not going to blow it out of the water. Not everybody needs to run for president. We need 400 people who aren't going to run for president. I, I think I think it needs to be a little bit more holistic than this. I don't think you can divide it. First of all, first of all, I completely agree. We were talking about this of a guy coming in and asking for a job and saying my, my values are the same, but I am going to bankrupt your company. No, the first thing he's got to do the job, and that's absolutely true. But if you look at Glenn Youngkin, I think he's the perfect example. He's a, a kind of a typical Chamber of Commerce Republican, but he, it wasn't until he picked up on the uh, education issue that he really started to move forward. It's, it's not that, oh, you, yes, you know, he should have hammered that more. Uh, you know, Gorka was uh, ragging on him for not being more Trumpy. And I was thinking, no, you know, there's a purple state. But it's, it's a holistic approach. It's a way of looking at the world that Young can finally at least imitate it, uh, that put him over the top. And I think that it, it, you're right it begins with competence, and you're right it begins with political competence, and you're also right that Obama and Trump were uh, outliers. But, but also, you know, it is part of a, a way of life. It's, you know, you, you think about prosperity and freedom because you also think that children should learn certain things and not other things. It's all one uh, point of view. And I think that Republicans have just been too shy in the old British sense of cowardice, of cowardly, uh, in, in talking about their whole vision and, and in talking about a vision in and of itself. Yeah, so, the, so like the two breakout uh, candidates of this election are Kerry Lake and DeSantis, right? I mean... DeSantis is already there, but just performance out of the park. And to me, the, the one thing that they both have in common immediately and obviously is not just the conviction of their beliefs, but they have, they have rhetorical dexterity. When somebody comes at them with an attack question, they don't, they don't just take it. And not only do they not just take it, they come back with an answer that backfoots the person who's asking the questions. Mm -hmm. I remember when, uh, just a couple days ago, when uh, Kerry was asked a question about uh, the woman whose uh, son was uh, died of a heart attack the next day, and, and I thought, okay, is she gonna is she gonna go after this woman? She said, Look, you've just lost your child. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna come down on you. That's 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 dexterity. Mm. That's the ability to think on your feet and the ability to to maintain a, a, a positive image of yourself. But the bigger problem is, you know, wh what is it that we stand for? If if you're if you're trying to conserve something, you are essentially saying no all the time. It's just a logical conclusion, right? Everybody wants to change this. We like it the way it is, so we say no, 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 no. But that's not winning. The people, right. the biggest, the biggest Hispanic drift, and all this other stuff. It's not so much that people are coming to the Republicans as they're running away from the that's Democrats. Correct. So, so how do you hold on to these people? What do you, you, we're doing all stick and no carrot, right? And and we got a great carrot, and we're not able to 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 basically formulate it in a way that people can connect. This is, my, this is my problem with the philosophy that people vote against something. I, I think that's a half-truth. I understand that, of course, you know, when the economy is bad, when prices are going nuts and all this stuff, that they're going to vote against that. But you do have to give them something to vote for. You really do. You have, sure. to, you have to stand for something. But, and and, and it, isn't, it isn't enough. Conservatism that is purely no, 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 we don't want to change is not enough to move people forward because the world changes and things have to change. I mean, you and I have talked about this a million times. We don't, we don't actually want to go back to the 50s. We want to have some of those values move into this new world that we're in. And, and I just think that Republicans have been bad at this. And, and Trump, was, Trump was good at it. Trump was good at visionary politics, you know? He, he wasn't good at actually governing, I don't think. He wasn't as good at governing as, as we wish he had been. But, but he was good at, like, visionary politics. And you can say anything you want about him. But I understood what he represented when he was on stage. And a lot of times with these guys, I just don't. And I think that... Uh, just reactionary gestures and um, 
reactionary gestures and basic, uh, you know, ca all capitalism all the time are not winning ideas. No, nobody said that all capitalism all the time is going to win. Uh, and, and I agree with you that, that yeah. Republicans should engage on social issues, particularly the stuff about kids. And that, that's what Glenn Youngkin showed. At the core of Glenn Youngkin was a guy who was not scary. Yep. Democrats tried to make him scary, and they couldn't make him scary. Right. And Democrats are trying to make a bunch of candidates scary, and they're succeeding in making them scary because they're not good candidates. You know, I'm looking at these Ohio results. J.D. Vance won. He, that is a red state. He did not win a double-digit victory. He should be winning a double-digit victory in Ohio. That is an underperformance by J.D. Vance, even if, he hold, even if he wins the seat, which he did. Ohio 13, that was a Biden plus three seat. Trump endorsed a beauty queen over there. And Amelia Sykes held the seat. That's a Biden plus three. Biden's at 43% approval in a blood red state like Ohio now. Macy Kaptur is in Ohio nine. That is a Trump seat. That's a, that's a seat Trump won. She's a Democrat. She held the seat against another Trump candidate. Okay, the, the, this is not just a... Well, Trump... The, this is, this is a, the three scenarios I laid out at the front. Red trickle, red tide, red wave. This is a red trickle. Yeah. This is not a red tide. This is not a red wave. This is at best a red trickle. So I want to go to our friend Megan Kelly, who's joining us right now to get a little bit of insight. We've all been talking... Megan, for the last five hours, nonstop, <laughs> none of us have gotten up from our seats. We're loopy. Uh, we're inarticulate. There's actually slurred speech happening. Please save us. Give us a... <laughs> inject new life into us. Well, I have to tell you, I haven't listened to the whole thing, but um, I, I feel like people got themselves all wound up that it was going to be the tsunami, mm. and now they're failing to see that this is a big night, okay? Can we just remember that just about four weeks ago, it looked like absolute devastation compared to where we were a couple months before that. The Democrats yep. had the wind at their back after Dobbs. Trump dominated August with Mar-a-Lago. The Republicans' numbers were free-falling from astronomical heights back down to really dire numbers and then like a miracle uh in mid-september things started to change and their fortunes started to look better again and let's say they don't win another seat in the house or in in, in the senate that they they don't win the senate tonight which i still think they will but if they don't and they only win the house it's huge it it's obstruction it stops the agenda there will be no more Inflation Reduction Act nonsense. January 6th distractions are over. Their primetime show is done. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they needed to be stopped. They were out of control. And at a minimum, it appears that the American people have said, and seen on the <laughs> nonsense that we've been witness to for the past two years. So that is cause for celebration. I'm with Elon Musk. I like divided government, too. Um, whether they win the Senate or not, I don't know. But I, I'll tell you what, I could make a good case if I wanted a Republican president in 2024 that it is better for the GOP to not be in control of both branches of Congress. The more they control, the more they're going to get blamed. The more I've watched this for many years now from the anchor's desk, the yep. more they control, the more the Democrats have their foil to say we were going to do all these amazing things for you, except for that evil Mitch McConnell, you know, and that evil Kevin McCarthy. It's going to be a lot tougher if they control the Senate and the GOP controls the House. Right now, I'm feeling good because I think we're getting divided government. I don't really care that much about whether the Republicans control both houses of Congress. I think you're right about candidate quality, um, but I think we're also learning that the Democrats are truly deeply ideological on some of these crazy issues. That's right. And uh, the Republicans are just going to have to get real. They're going to have to get in there and get dirty and fight those battles where the Dems are. And it was always a bad map for us in the Senate. We've known that for the last two years. We knew that this would be the hard one and that things are Things are more advantageous for us just from a straight map point of view two years from now. There, is a, there is a real opportunity 
uh, for Republicans to have a great 2024. And to your point, if we stop their agenda in the House, if we stop the Biden agenda in the House, just that alone will be cause uh, to continue drinking well into <laughs> whatever ultimate date they finally stop counting votes. The, the only the big future. thing, you know, the biggest thing that would be looming if the Dems controlled the Senate would be a Supreme Court retirement or death, right? right. A Supreme Court vacancy of some kind, because obviously um, the Democrats would control that. Uh, I don't know. Not I don't know of one that is pending on the GOP side. Um, I don't think Clarence Thomas has any plans of retiring under Joe Biden. Now, God forbid uh, something worse happened to him. Yeah, but still, it's 6-3 right now. So, I mean, forgive me for just being all about the numbers and not the humanity, but there's a little cushion. Very little, right? right? Because John Roberts isn't exactly (laughs) the most reliable. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, the downside to the GOP not winning the Senate is really not that large. I realize it's a disappointment for people who wanted the tsunami, but look, remember how you felt September 1st. Listen, you're exactly right that Republicans should certainly be relieved if they end up with the House because anything that stops Biden's agenda is is great. I I do wonder what what you think about the, the sort of big winner of the night is going to be on the Republican side, DeSantis, who just crushed it in Florida. He's winning by 20 points in Florida and dragging the entire Republican Party to victory across Florida. Meanwhile, I just want to read you. This is Donald Trump's only tweet since the election on Truth Social. You ready for this? Here it is. This is Donald Trump's response to the election so far. Joe O'Day lost big, capital B-I-G. Make America great again. Joe O'Day is the Republican candidate in Colorado who was not sufficiently pro-Trump. That is his only comment so far on the election, is that Joe O'Day lost big in Colorado, make America great again by keeping Michael Bennett in the Senate. I just, I don't know how this is going to play. Like, at a certain point, aren't people tired of this? I'm mm, sorry. Like, it's a really good question. It's, like, that's, well, that's what's on my mind. Like, it's, like th- I'm, I'm sorry, this is extraordinarily exhausting. He spent the last two days and a half attacking Ron DeSantis, who's the only big winner of the election, and who expended actual resources trying to get other senators elected. And then his first statement during the election is ripping on Joe O'Day. That's his move. Okay, yeah. can I tell you what you sound like to me, Ben? You sound like there's no way the Republican Party is going to stand by him after that attack on John. Oh, McCain. no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Like, I'm not crazy. This, I'm not crazy. I'm not, yeah. Right? It's just another. No, they, 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 they are not going to get sick of it. No, they, were, they are not going to abandon him over this. No, the hardcore Trump faithful is not mad about any of that. And they don't really love Ron DeSantis anywhere near as much as they love Trump. So he can get away with it. You don't think that they're going to hold Trump responsible for... Uh, Picking candidates by whether or not they think he was truly elected or not. You, you no, think they're, they're I no? Don't. I think that's. <laughs> I don't this is the most depressing thing you've said all yeah, that, that's pretty like, depressing. You're, you're, you're encouraging me that we, we kept the house, and now you're depressing me that that <laughs> it, the former president who's lost <laughs> again, Senate I, teaching I, I Georgia it, nominated Dr. Oz, that's right. Herschel Walker, yeah. Blake yeah. Masters, I said it and earlier. Don Balduck. I said it earlier. Senate. If I just you I'm should not be, drink. you should not be. <laughs> he should be disqualified from leading the Republican Party because he went out of his way to cost us the Senate when he lost the election yes, in 2020. Yes. He went out of his way to make sure the Republicans did not control the Senate. He told people for a month, "Do not vote." He was not disqualified on that basis. Mm-hmm. Why? Why on a night that's going to be framed? Listen, the Republicans are going to frame tonight as a victory, no matter what. If we get the House, that's enough. We'll frame it as a victory. In a victory, we're certainly not going to blame Donald Trump for things that we wouldn't even blame him for when it, caught, when it ended in our defeat. I think you're absolutely well, not, right. Let's not forget, it's not just Blake Masters and Don Bulldog. It's also Carrie Lake and J.D. Vance. Yeah. And they'll have enough, you know, on there. Definitely. And we don't know about Herschel Walker. Uh, you know, 
He's complicated. But anyway, he's got enough <laughs> in the wind column, you know, to spin it. And let's face it, his his ardent fans don't really need to be spun anyway. They're already with him. Like, whatever you say, we, we're grateful. We owe it all to you. DeSantis owes it all to you. You know, you just proceed as you want. The only way forward is for Trump to decide he doesn't want to run. There's no one who can take him down. Man. I mean, I I hate to disagree with you, and I hope that I hope that you're wrong. Obviously, I, I think that you know that because Trump can't hold himself back, he will take a pot shot at DeSantis within the next 48 hours. Oh yeah, 100. I mean, just with, yep. with, with without a doubt. And I'm sorry, but the only thing that I mean, I, maybe I'm too online, or maybe I have too many Republican friends, but the only thing Republicans feel good about tonight is Florida. Mm-hmm. It's like the only thing that Republicans feel like really good. Not just like okay, no. we can console ourselves. We'll we'll do the the New York Times calming ourselves by putting our face in cold water thing, <laughs> and then we'll realize that we have the house. The only thing that people are truly pumped up about is the fact that that Florida was great for Republicans tonight. When Trump goes out there within the next week because he's declaring for the presidency and he starts just ripping on the only state that did well for Republicans while celebrating Joe O'Day losing in Colorado to a Democrat, like I, I, all right, I'm gonna make you feel better about that. Will someone? Like be saying, like that. for five um, seconds. And they, uh, here, here's I got you. I got you, Ben. Here, so I <laughs> believe it or not, I recognize all of Donald Trump's flaws. I do, <laughs> but I he's polling better and better in these hypothetical matchups against Joe Biden or some hypothetical Democrat. I am not convinced that he cannot beat a Democrat, that he might not, that he's not the best choice to take on that role. He is the 800-pound gorilla. He knows even better than DeSantis how to fight. He's got a way bigger name recognition and some brand loyalty. The GOP will get on board with him. And unlike somebody like DeSantis, if if there's a fight, his core faithful will be out there for him. They will get to the polls for Donald Trump. That is fair. And, And the rest of the Republicans will come home the way they did the last time. And I know that he's a little untethered. <laughs> but <laughs> if I could refer you back to the actual policies that he put in place, most of us really liked them. So yeah. it may be like one of these again, like, oh, what happened? <laughs> but, you know, there's there's something to wrap around yourself when you go to bed tonight, like a Supreme it is Court not justice and taxes right. and somebody there's- who fights the woke wars that we're all in. There's also just understanding whose movie it is. It is Donald Trump's movie. We are all but bit bit parts, right? In the That's in the right. movie that is Donald Trump's movie. His name is right there at the beginning. It said Trump across the screen. And it their narrative is an actual power that exists in the universe. It's as much a I don't think that narrative is just something that we create to help us understand the world. I think it's something that exists because the world is the way that it is. And it is Donald Trump's story right up until it isn't. Mm-hmm. There's, it's, it's never, you, there are things that have happened in my lifetime in politics that you simply could not have scripted. They would have told you it was too on the nose. You couldn't have made up that on the eve of the election in 2004, literal Osama bin Laden would endorse John Kerry from a cave somewhere oh in Pakistan. <laughs> that, 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 our cartoon character president, George W. Bush, would be running against a cartoon adversary, John Kerry, <laughs> and the supervillain from season one would show back up to endorse John Kerry. You can't make that up. And Donald Trump's entire life in American politics is just that moment stretched out across now what will be 
eight years. This goes to what yes. Drew was saying earlier. So if you look at the last series of presidential elections, you could, you could basically divide them into elections that got people to come out to vote for or elections that got people to come out for, to vote against, right? George Bush was never the kind of guy that people were like waving flags. Trump is a vote for candidate. Bobby Kennedy was a vote for candidate. Ronald Reagan was a vote for candidate. Barack Obama was a vote for candidate, right? These are, these are political presidential candidates who people are excited about getting into office. But if you look at the 2004 election, right, it's like, which one of these guys do I like less? And, and I think, I think that the ability to have a vote for president is, is the most important thing. Yeah. He's not on the ballot tonight, and he's he's the only person I've seen that gets people to vote. You well, you've seen his rallies, right? Now the question is, how wide does that go? And a little discipline would help. But nevertheless, he's a he's a vote for guy. There are people who, millions of people who are like, I'm in. Yeah. And and Biden is a vote against guy. Right. He was elected mm -hmm. to the degree that he was elected in 2020 it was it was a vote against Trump is what got. But nobody nobody gets up in the morning and goes, I think I'm going to go out and look at pictures of Joe Biden again today because he's not a vote for guy. He's a vote against guy. Yeah. And and so you kind of have to hold on to your strengths. When you got him. So here you've got this vote for guy in Donald Trump. Can we can we do something to turn down the negatives a little bit? You know, can we can we just kind of no no no? <laughs> yeah. DeSantis is proving that he's a vote for guy also. But DeSantis is ad in, in Florida, Ben. The the one ad that was making all the headway for him was was the ad of all of these regular people saying yeah. he did this, he did this, he, did, he he governed right. He was competent. He produced a he produced a, a clearly operating functional American state, and and so you got to have got to have the ability to deliver on that too. Yeah, well, I totally agree with that. Just going to note a couple more results since um, I'm in a depressive mood. Uh, okay. The, uh, the Republicans have have lost Steve Chabot in the in Ohio District One, so Democrats actually flipped a Republican district in Ohio. So that's not going amazing. Uh, I, I think that we're a little bit early on the like. Well, we're all you know. I want to keep an eye on Carrie Lake's election in Arizona. It's still very early. That was a very tight race. We're treating that as a foregone conclusion that she gets elected over there. You know, there's, it, it's way too early to announce whether she's going to get actually elected governor in Arizona. The polls were all over the place. There were some that were showing her up really big against Hobbs, and there were ones that were showing her up like very, very narrow against Hobbs. So I'll be curious to see how, how that one works out as well. Because then, I, I will acknowledge there are people who love Donald Trump with the fiery passion of a thousand sons. Also... There's not a single human being in the United States who doesn't have an opinion about Donald Trump. That's right. Everyone has an opinion. There are no independents when it comes to Donald Trump. There's no one who's flipping on Donald Trump. The hardest thing in politics is to flip somebody, not from one party to the other, but from a candidate they've already voted not for to that candidate. That is an explicit admission that you did it wrong. And you never see that. It doesn't happen. right? It just doesn't happen in politics. The people are like, you know, that, that Trump, I didn't vote for him in 2020, but gosh darn it, you know, now I've, just, I've changed my mind. I've decided it's a completely new ball game, and I'm wrong. How many Republicans, I mean, this is exactly what you're seeing inside the Republican Party now. How many Republicans are looking at Trump and they're like, I love that guy. And then they're like, man, I, I just can't, I can't stand it. Like people make up yeah. their mind and then their mind is made up. People, and, people love him because, because no one could tell him what to do. And people hate him because no one could tell him <laughs> what to do. And, and that's the dichotomy of the guy. That's the, that's yeah. the, the. Uh, all I want. And, uh, and we can, and because we cannot look away. We're sitting here talking about Donald Trump. He is not even running in any of the races that are actually up but for he, grabs but he tonight. Is. But this is the thing. He is. 
Well, sorry, he's running, I'm, he I'm, is running for president. I'm sorry, he is. He's, I mean, he's running for president across this entire race. He handpicked a bunch of candidates, and they all are underperforming so far. You cannot name a Donald Trump candidate who has overperformed so far. Maybe Kerry Lake will. We don't know yet. Maybe Blake Masters will. We don't know yet. But those are the only two left. And there are no rocket ships anyway. You know. they, that's, that's exactly right. Every other candidate that he has picked is either going to lose or is going to end up in a runoff. I like Megan better. I like Megan better than I like any of you. Megan, leave us with a nice thought before, <laughs> before we have to let you get back to your evening. Well, I'm thinking about you know Barack Obama, who had no coattails. Barack Obama was very good at getting himself elected, but not yeah. so much at getting other people elected. And Trump may be kind of in the same boat. Hmm. But the thing about Donald Trump is, look at America right now. I know you guys, you're into policy. You like what Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida, and I get it. You know, and I, I get it too. But let's not kid ourselves. Ron DeSantis does not have anywhere near the personality that mm -hmm. Donald Trump does. No one does. No one. Right. No, not any political candidate. And his ability to use humor, to disarm people, to make fun of himself occasionally, you know, the, the, to just make people laugh. Don't underestimate that. That is one of the things that made Donald Trump charming in the eyes of millions of Americans who weren't even ready to vote for him. And I will say that this is one area in which he does outshine DeSantis. DeSantis is not Absolutely. like, I saw him smile tonight for like the first time. And, you know, as a woman, I'm kind of out here and I like his policy. And I know all my friends love DeSantis, don't get me wrong. And they would definitely vote for him. But he, he's not, like, exactly charming. Trump has got this yeah. ability to sort of charm you and make you want to, like, have dinner with him and get to know him better and, like, have a beer with him, even though he doesn't drink, and spend time with him. And, I, and the people who know DeSantis well have told me this is his weakness. Like, this is the thing that the GOP is going to have to work on with him to make him a little bit more sticky, you know, so that people feel they have something to connect to. So, look, the Republican Party, America, they'll be done with Donald Trump when they're done with Donald Trump. And it is very possible... They're not done with Donald Trump. And it's also very possible he's the only man who can beat Joe Biden, who, believe it or not, may still be the next nominee for yeah. the Democrats. So anyway, it's going to work out the way it should. And if, if I'll give you one last thing, referring back to my earlier point. If all hell breaks loose and the Democrats wind up losing the House and losing the Senate tonight, Whoever the GOP nominee is uh, on the G on the Republican side will 100% win. It'll be so much easier if the Dems maintain power for the next two years <laughs> in a uniform way. That's awesome. Megan Kelly, thank you very much for spending <laughs> time with us. <laughs> See you guys. Okay, I got a drink now. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so M Mike, uh, Mike Cernovich, okay, who I've had disagreements with Mike Cernovich. He tweeted out 11 minutes ago, Trump has zero shot at 2024 general after tonight. This isn't up for debate. Cernovich, by the way, is like, Oh, we're yeah. talking about people who are very on the Trump train. Mike was very on the Trump train. I was around in 2015 when he had no chance and accurately said he'd win. Through biggest inauguration event in 2017, times change or he changed or whatever. DeSantis in 2024 except total defeat. Like, you're seeing there, there is a cadre of Trump supporters who are just, I, they would like to win. I, and, they're I, not, and they're not seeing the winning. Trump's entire brand was I win. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. Since 2016, he has not won. I think I, you're, I, and I, he's I, he's I sort not of, been a good ex-president. I, I disagree with the idea that uh, Trump... What makes him appealing is that he's charming and you want to spend time with him. I think it's more, <laughs> I, think, I think it's exactly that, that he, that he wins and he gets stuff done. And right. That, that's the brand. And if DeSantis can demonstrate that he's better at that than Trump. Then, I mean, I, I know this isn't scientific, but I put a Twitter poll up a couple days ago. Who would make a better general election candidate? 150,000 votes. And DeSantis was ahead 76 to 24%. No, no, it's not a scientific poll. But I mean, if I had done that same Twitter poll in 2016 on any other yeah. Trump versus any other candidate, it would have been I, the reverse. I know. I, I can't tell whether this is because 
I've purified my audience of people who only want to hear about how great Donald Trump is. But it, it used to be I couldn't say anything negative about Trump without people uh, coming down, you know, just you're dead coming to down me. my, yeah, you're dead to me. Now, it's, it's just not true anymore, especially when I've said that he's not, you know, he was, he was for three years a great president, a terrific president. He's not a good ex-president. And this thing where he picks candidates according to whether they support his steel narrative, I don't know how widespread you so, know, that is. So and the I, answer is to take Ron DeSantis, bronze him up, yeah. <laughs> give him kind of a, a, a blonde wig, have him tie his tie a little long in the front, and then run him as Trump, but then govern as DeSantis. Because that's really it, right? It's almost like you want Trump to campaign for DeSantis. That's what you really want. It's like the ideal world. Because DeSantis is clearly a, a, a very, very capable governor. Also, I would like to put forward the uh, just minority idea that it's, it's entirely possible that he is not going to announce that he's running uh, whenever he said his new... On thing. the 15th? Yeah. I, I, I think that there's a, an above average chance that he doesn't announce. Yeah. I think what he's going to do on November 15th, more likely, is say everything short of I'm running. Yeah. It'll be like, he will essentially just give a campaign speech... Here's what we're going to do, you know. The, we're gonna it, we're gonna win. It's gonna be all, but he won't actually say I'm running. And I think that it's because, up until he legally declares for the presidency, he raises money through his leadership pack. Right. And his leadership pack, he can spend. Yep. It's that money's very fungible. He can spend it on himself. He can spend it on his airplane. He can spend it on his clothes. <laughs> the reason you've never seen anyone declare for the presidency within two weeks of the of right. the midterm, you know, right. two years out. No one does it. The reason Why is, would he? Yeah. once you declare, all of the regulations come in on what you can do with money, mm -hmm. on what you can do with media. I mean, there's a real question about is the existence of Truth Social an in-kind contribution? <laughs> to like once These are all considerations yeah. he has to make when he declares. It is not, it would not be in anyone's interest to declare this early. Least of all, Donald Trump, who's <coughs> fundraising prowess at this stage is so enormous, whose lifestyle is so expensive. Now, what he wants to do is clear the field right from the beginning. He thinks if he, if he doesn't declare now, people, other people are going to start getting in. That's the thing that he wants to avoid. But I don't know that he wants that more than he wants the money for the next 12 you know, months. I have, to say, showman, I, I have to just point out for me. Yeah. And the showman, the showman in him, any showman knows that ultimately the key to this is the tease, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what that's what showmen are really selling. Yeah. They're selling this kind of ambiguity. It's like you think I might, you think I'm going to do this, probably I, a little I bit. I might not, and and it keeps people interested. He's got a credible sense of, of that kind of. He does have a good sense of timing, and I think that if he has any brains at all when it comes to timing, which we know he does, he's got to imagine <laughs> that people are not going to be in love with him at this very instant. Yeah. Like if he announces next week, people are going to. There's going to be a, a widespread yawning and kind of an annoyance. After Republicans are not going to be in a good mood after tonight. Not the way this election is going. And so the idea that what's going to put them in a good mood is Donald Trump declaring seems quite flawed at best. By the way, single best election analysis I've seen is it looks like Republicans ran a bunch of good candidates. This is from a guy named Galen Orsic. Uh, he says, uh, it seems like Republicans ran a bunch of good candidates in a lot of Biden double-digit seats and came up just short and ran crap candidates in many single-digit seats and came up short likewise. Meaning, like, when they thought that it was close, they thought, no problem, we got this. They ran a bunch of weak candidates. When they thought that it was outside the margin of error, they were like, we better run a super strong candidate in this district. And then because it was outside margin of error, they came up just short. That seems about accurate to me. You know, that reminds me of stamps. 
Wow. With, <laughs> that, wasn't even a, that wasn't even an attempt at a segue. <laughs> That's what, what yes. I'm thinking about, stamps. You know, with widespread mail, mail-in voting, you'd think election season would be the most important time for postage. But in the coming weeks, it's about to be even more critical. If you're a small business owner, you know how important it is to prepare for the holiday season. If you haven't started preparing for the chaos of holiday mailing and shipping, you're already behind. Luckily, Stamps.com has everything you need to make your life much easier. Sign up now, and you'll be printing your own postage in minutes. Stamps.com is a one-stop shop for all your shipping and mailing needs. It's a 24-7 post office that you can access from anywhere. No lines, no traffic, no hassle. For 20 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Get access to the USPS and UPS services that you need to run your business right from your computer. Even save up to 86% on USPS and UPS shipping rates. Use Stamps.com to print postage wherever you do business. All you need is a computer and a printer. If you need a package picked up, you can easily schedule it through your Stamps.com dashboard. Rates are constantly changing, but with Stamps.com's switch and save feature, you can easily compare carriers and rates so you know you're getting the best deal every time. If you're running an online store, Stamps.com works seamlessly with all the major shopping carts and marketplaces. Get ahead of the holiday chaos this year. Get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code ELECTION for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code ELECTION. Drew, you and I have known each other for 10 years, and I had no idea that you knew that much about stamps. <laughs> That's amazing. What I know about stamps... It's unbelievable. Is, uh, almost put all of it, it is in stamp. that... You put it on a stamp, yeah. <laughs> a big stamp. Which I Gentlemen, it's good to join you again. <laughs> I think I'm here now as the cherub prince. I'm not the god king, but I am the cherub prince. <laughs> the cherub and I, I've been gone now for whatever, 20, 30 minutes. It was pleasurable. It was... Yeah. Yeah. Did, See, did, I did it was you kind miss? of peaceful here. Yeah. Did we... Has the tsunami had, taken place since I've been gone? Uh, not, not only quite. has the tsunami not taken place, my friend, yeah. it turns out that Republicans are poised to lose another seat in uh, North Carolina. It was an open seat, and um, it looks like Republican Bo Hines was favored there, and it looks like he's is about Bode, to Bo uh, is actually a friend of mine. Well... Doesn't look like he's going to be a congressman. Ah, and, like, and Lauren is having trouble? Lauren Boebert? Lauren Boebert is also in serious trouble in Colorado. Gosh. There is actually a not insignificant possibility that Republicans do not take the House, which would just be unbelievable. Right now, the, the, the famed New York Times needle still says that the Republicans have a 75% <laughs> shot at retaining control of the House. The chance of winning Senate control is starting to lean toward the Democrats. Um, that was a 93% shot at the beginning of the night. So all these elections, there, there are a lot of elections that should not be going in the Democrat direction that are going in the Democrat direction. I'm also seeing reported by Daily Wire, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> but I just saw on Twitter that Dr. Oz plans to address supporters momentarily. I did see that. And so it, he's down right now. He's down. It's not, he's not down by a ton, but he's down by a significant margin with a lot, with 77%, I think, of the votes in now. Uh, that's going to be the talk of the town tomorrow, I assume, if Dr. Oz loses to a man with brain damage. I mean, that will be the headline, right? Uh, what about Tudor Dixon versus Gretchen Whitmer? I haven't seen any results there yet. I do have one piece of good news, because since I've been like Debbie Downer all night, <laughs> yeah. uh, it started off real positive, and then it just has been, been all one direction since. Uh, one piece of good news is that the Republicans flipped New York 17, 18, 19. 
Say take 17, take. baby. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good night. I'm, I'm just, so, I'm yeah. so happy. I worked that race where Sean Maloney beat, kicked out my good Republican friend, Nan Hayworth, and then he just took it over, and he's just this slimy Clinton Democrat. <laughs> ah, and then he took over the Democrat Congressional Committee, and he's out. The guy who planned the Democrats' House strategy, boom, lost his own seat. So That's a huge win. Uh, they, they flipped New York 17, 18, 19. Awesome. And they flipped Iowa 3. Democrats flipped Ohio one, and they won that open North Carolina seat. I was just talking about Zeldin is done against Hochul. But, yeah. but, but, uh, Zeldin, so. but Zeldin's performance did lift those. Yes, he did. Yeah. He did. That was that, that was sort of the. Um, that was kind of the idea. Yeah. That, that, that's exactly right. So you can win almost anywhere if you've got a good candidate, good ground game, discipline on the message, good messaging. You know, we were talking earlier about the uh, about the media, how how every candidate who who was kind of a shaky candidate in the Tea Party days put together real shaky ads. You know, you have to you have to be able to. Tell people what you're what you're about. You know? I think I think one thing that's worth noting here is is that also, you know, th- there have been a lot of elections where a bunch of crap Republicans kind of got swept into the House on these giant waves. Right? Here I'm thinking about 2010, where Republicans pick up 63 seats famously. The baseline of them winning the 63 seats before that is that they had like 170 seats in the House. Right? They they, they ended up with a majority of about 230 after that 63 seat swing, and so what that meant is that necessarily. It was, almost, it was almost regression to the mean for the Democrats. It was, the Democrats had an oversized majority, and so when the Republicans came in and they took 60 seats, they ended up with 230-odd seats. If Republicans end up with a, a bare majority, is what I was saying at the beginning of the night, as far as the red trickle, when Republicans end up winning 15, 20 seats, they still end up with the majority. What that means is that they're actually in territory where it's a little harder to win those yeah, seats, it's, it's meaning the, the regression doesn't exist as much, yeah, yeah. right? You're not, you're not talking about Democrats existing in R plus 10 districts. You're talking about Democrats existing in Z plus 3 districts or, 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 or R plus 3 districts. And it's harder to win in those districts. You have to run better candidates. And so Republicans were running as though it was going to be an easy election because of the size of the wave. But simple stats would suggest that it actually wasn't that. They weren't going to get 40 seats. They weren't going to get 50 seats even at the outside. Like a great night would have been them getting 30 seats. I don't think they're going to hit that. They may not hit 20 at this rate. I mean, there wasn't so, a single, I don't think there was a single Democrat <coughs> Senate candidate running in a uh, place where Trump won. I, I think they had all of, they were all in their own, on their home territory. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Well, we have that. 14, 14 of the Republicans were running in uh, Biden's but, states. But big Latino shifts and, and some black shifts. So the, we, we've said earlier that those appear to be people who are running from the Democratic Party, not so much running toward the Republican Party, but certainly significant numbers of people tonight voted Republican either for the first time in their lives or for the first time in a long time. So how do you hold on to those people? You know, if if they're running away from from what the Democratic Party has become, that's nice, but it would be especially nice if if we had something to to present to to them that would... You know, it would be a mistake, by the way. DeSantis... No doubt, a competent, you know, highly competent uh, governor. But he did some very bold social moves. I mean, this Disney thing. Right. Yeah, man. You right. know, and, and 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 when he did that thing with Disney, the Republicans were whining about it. I don't oh, know. Oh man, no. And I thought, no, yeah, this, I love this it. is a good move. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 agree, I yeah. agreed that it was a good move. The thing about DeSantis is that he had established such unbelievable credibility with the public in Florida that they were willing to go along with him in picking social issues. It didn't look like a distraction from his governance. It looked like an addition to his governance. Very right. often what you'll it's see holistic. from politicians... That's what I'm saying. Yeah, very, very often you'll see from politicians, like, I'm doing a crap job governing, therefore, here's a red meat issue. And they just throw it out there. You see it from Democrats with abortion. You see it from Republicans sometimes yeah. on sort of fringe... It, things that are considered fringe social issues. For, for DeSantis, it was part and parcel of his, his broader agenda, which is, 
I stand with parents. And that was built on top of the, I'm not going to force you to mask your kids. I'm not going to take your kids out of school. Yep. Yep. I'm going to make sure that your kids aren't forced to get a vax. Right? I'm going to do all of these things for you. And on top of that, I'm going to make sure your kids aren't indoctrinated. And he did. Right? And, and, and he did. And, and that's why, again, they would do these polls in Florida, and the national Democrats would be like, this is so crazy, it's so radical. And then they'd pull these issues in Florida, and they'd find these were actually real popular issues in Florida. But it's a different thing when Ron DeSantis, very competent governor who's able to handle a hurricane, does it, versus when Doug Mastriano, quasi-crazy person, apparently, does it in Pennsylvania. When, when Doug Mastriano campaigns on that, people are like, well, yeah, but that's also attached to like all this other stuff that you're saying over here. It's an adjunct to to sort of the main the main event. But and to, so, but to Bill's point, you know, the, the press, whatever you do as a Republican, the press are going to ask you, well, what about a you know a twelve year old girl who gets pregnant when she's raped by her father? Right. You know, and they're going to ask you those questions. And I think that those are the, those are the things every Republican who gets that question. You, anybody could have told me he was going to get that question. They're all like, uh, uh, yeah, you know. And you, you have to have a holistic approach. You have to, you're absolutely right about this, Ben. We have no argument about the competence issue. And, and I think it's, it's everything with a politician. These guys are supposed to be executives. They're supposed to run things. You know, they're supposed to run the, the thing that they're given. But you have to have a holistic, uh, a visionary kind of approach. This is, this is and, where I think that the, the, I keep coming back to the same theme of competence. Because I think that, the Democrats' pitch on democracy doesn't hold, and it wasn't going to. It wasn't going to hold. Yeah. But the one thing it did is it made some people in the Republican Party look clownish. Mm. And when you, when you're able to make the other party look clownish, it's always good. Yeah. It's a, it's a it's a very positive thing for your own party, right? The, the whole art of politics is make it very difficult to vote for your opponent, and make it very easy to vote for you. Yeah. And the Democrats did not make it easy to vote for themselves, but they did make it kind of hard to vote for some of the Republicans, right? They did a fairly good job at labeling some of the Republicans, and the Republicans did a good job of falling right into those boxes sometimes uh, in, in competitive House races, in, in a lot of these Senate races. And Republicans need to understand that it's, it's easy to, to make it hard to vote for the Democrats. That part's the easy part, because what they're doing is so crazy and so nutty. But you actually have to make it really easy to vote for you. And what makes it easy to vote for you is that you appear as though you can do the job. You don't appear as though your chief mechanism is is attention getting and or I must mean. be on TV. Or mean like or when, mean. when Carrie Lake when Carrie Lake deferred to that woman whose whose who, son had died. So I'm not I'm not gonna I agree. You can you can yeah. even outlast some of the sort of more fringy positions that are perceived, like the election stuff from Carrie Lake. You can outlive that if you are perceived as not mean. If you're perceived as baseline Ronald competent. Reagan, Ronald Reagan, you, you, you could hate everything Reagan stood for, but it's virtually impossible to hate the guy because he just didn't carry any venom with him. You know, it just it was just clearly a, a, a good-natured guy. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the Oz campaign. So the, the Oz campaign is not about anything other than he just appeared feckless. Yeah. He appeared incompetent, right? He, he was getting hit with crudité and, and, and your houses in Pennsylvania. And, and, he, and he wasn't super well-versed on the issues. And, and Fetterman's a, a cl- I mean, just... Put aside his physical condition. The dude's a clown. He's a lifelong clown. I mean, like, his, he, he's, he's been, as I've said before, a career useless person who's been living on his parents' money while being mayor of a city that has 1,800 people in it. Okay, literally my HOA has, has more people than John Fetterman's city that he was mayor of. If I were mayor of my HOA, so I would have... I would have doesn't, but, that, doesn't that con- conflict with your point, though? I mean, why are they able to run a clown and win? Oz had no. no... He also had... What was his campaign about? It had no message. Well, I mean, That's it, the answer. But, yeah. he, a lot of these Republicans, that's the question. What is your campaign actually about? What's the national message of the Republican Party? 
Well, so this this ties into this question of leadership, and we all know tomorrow. Well, we we know that we're going to get one presidential candidate next week. But the question is, who is the kingmaker? So, just before I came on, I overheard the chatter about you know Trump as kingmaker seems to be weakening because some of his candidates didn't do very well. Then that raises the question: Is DeSantis the kingmaker? DeSantis's pick in Colorado, who Trump snubbed. He lost. Joe Odea. Ode- I don't even know how to pronounce the guy's name. Doesn't DeSantis bad? But, we're, I mean, we're De- all, but he endorsed him, and Trump wouldn't endorse him. We're all talking. Wait. About- so, so DeSantis. So your your case in favor of Donald Trump being good at endorsing people? No, no, no. I'm not De- making that case at all. Celebrated the loss of a Democrat uh, no, of a no, Republican. No, 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 no. But I'm not making that case at all. I'm just I'm just saying that we've said here on the show Donald Trump is kingmaker. He's done. So then the question is, who's the kingmaker? The n- next natural person would be Ron DeSantis, but one of, the, one of the picks where Ron DeSantis diverged from Donald Trump was this race in Colorado. That guy lost, too. So is DeSantis the kingmaker? Is someone else the kingmaker? He's the governor Ron of a state. I think in his state, he cleaned the hell up. I think the fact that we're having this conversation is an indication for why we don't win as much as we should, because we're talking about candidates, and we're not talking about the message. We're talking about which person, what person, without questioning your points about about you have to have effective candidates, yes. But ultimately, if you think about it, if you look at the Democratic Party, you have Fetterman, who's, who's got serious brain impairment. So does Diane Feinstein. So does Nancy Pelosi. So does Joe Biden. Kamala Harris was just born stupid. <laughs> but, but people continue to vote for them because they're not voting for them. They're voting for the message. They're voting for what that thing is. Yeah. They, they, they know what it is, and they vote for it. And they vote for it despite the fact that... Th- they're voting for Joe Biden. There's nobody out there thinking Joe Biden's awesome. They, they're voting for Biden because, because of what his message is. I happen to disagree with that message, but I know what it is. Right? If you say woke policy to me, I know exactly what that means. What, what, how would you describe Republican policy? Yeah. What, what, would you, what would you say? I, I yeah, well, different, different races are different, but I guess that, that's why I'm asking this What's question. What's the about- national message? Well, it, it diverges, and you're seeing that play out in different races, but that's why I'm asking the question about leadership. So looking, forget about even the presidential contest, just who is, who is leading the Republican Party? You remember after, uh, after George Bush, the, the Democrats had this line, they said, Rush Limbaugh is the de facto leader of the Republican Party. And, you know, Rush was fabulous, but that was just a campaign line from Democrats. So I'm just, that is my question. Well, DeSantis doesn't have to be kingmaker because right. he's the governor of a, I mean, that should be Trump because he's not currently in office. That's t- typically he'd be fulfilling that role. But if, he, I, I if think, he's not, then who is? Well, maybe there isn't one. But I, yeah. I think one of the problems the Republicans have is that, uh, right, to, to your point, I mean, with, with a lot of these Democrats, at least from the public perception side of it, uh, they know what, they, what their candidates are about. And even if they seem to be kind of crazy, they sort of believe what they're saying. I think with Republicans, the public perception is that there are more Republican politicians or candidates who are just kind of out there saying stuff. Yes. And, and they're just, they're, that's all they're doing. Like, like Oz is a perfect example of that. Just a guy out there just saying whatever. And um, I think the Republicans have more of that. At least the oh. public perceives the Republican oh, Party has more of that. Also, I, I, there, there was also a timing issue. So in the Oz race, if you actually watch the dynamics of the Oz race, Fetterman opened this massive lead early. Huge lead on Oz, like right out of the gate. And the reason is because he spent a, sh- a lot of money attacking Oz and wrecking him right out the gate, right? Like the, the, the campaign opened and he was like, I'm going to label Oz. You watched Oz's unfavorables go just sky high almost immediately. And so then Oz spends the rest of the race trying to drag himself back into the race. So the question is, 
you know, why, why are people voting for Fetterman? The answer is they weren't. They were voting against Oz because this is a mistake that Republicans routinely make, by the way. Trump doesn't make this. This is the one thing where, like, Trump actually, he'll never let anybody wreck him before he wrecks them. Like, he's a, he's, he plays bumper cars really well. And so if, some, if he feels even the threat of somebody, this is why he's preempting DeSantis right now. He, he, he immediately goes out there and he hits them first. But Republicans have a nasty habit of thinking, don't worry, people don't pay attention until the last month of the election. And that's when I'll claw my way back in. Yeah. And by that point, you're, you're trying to recharacterize your own candidacy. Yeah. And if you're a bad candidate, it's impossible to recharacterize your own candidacy. I, I maintain that this entire discussion is tactics. And I'm talking strategy. That's fair. Tens of millions of people voted for Joe Biden because they love Bobby Kennedy. <laughs> right? That's the answer. Yeah. They're voting for Joe Biden because of the love that they had for Bobby Kennedy. And, and mm. that message has been consistent. It's it's diverged, but it's been consistent. You said, well, the messaging is kind of varying depending on the candidate. Well, yep. it shouldn't, right? It shouldn't. There, there, there is a cause that we all believe in that, we're, that the reason we're but sitting there, in these chairs. But there's chairs. a big difference between, you know, uh, Oz runs a chamber of commerce race. I'm going to lower your taxes and sell the culture down the river. And, and J.D. Vance and Blake Masters run these extremely cultural uh, nationally-minded, pro-family campaigns. And who knows, Blake right now doesn't seem to be doing very well. J.D. obviously won the race. So th but those messages are quite divergent. Yeah, but morning in America with Ronald Reagan for, in 84, you, you're 5,000 votes, of a, a complete sweep, every, everything. Yeah. And you've got uh, Make America Great Again in 2016. These are positive yeah. messages, and they're clear. We know what it means. They're, they're not policy messages. They're, they're virtually spiritual messages, right? This is, this, is the, this is the key to victory, and all you have to do is just look at the scoreboard. You look at, you look at the electoral map for Reagan's two wins, right? It's, it's unbelievable, and it's because he came out here, he came into the race with very few negatives compared to Trump. He wasn't nearly as annoying as, as Trump yeah. can be, but mostly he came out with, with I have a vision for, for America that's a better place. He didn't come out running against uh, Hubert Humphrey or, or Johnson or Carter. He didn't even run against right. he, he Basically, Carter wasn't even there. It's like, you've had your chance. He came out with this, it's morning in America. We can always renew this nation. It's not, our, it's not the end of our days. It's not our finest hour. We're just getting started. And that resonated with everybody, everybody. And so there are people who are still voting Republican because of how much they love Ronald Reagan. And... The, the, the thing about Donald Trump is he, 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 has, he has the ability to generate tremendous excitement because people believe he's not beholden to anybody, and I believe that too, certainly. But, there's, but the, the one thing that seems to be missing is that kind of, almost like that happy warrior commitment to the sunrise instead of this, this kind of, you know, sniping at people. Well, I mean, sort of the locus of his attention is, is not the principle. The locus of attention is him. This and in, in 2016, it seemed like it was more to principle because he actually got caught up in it. And I think that, that since then, since 2020 particularly, because of the election, I think that the locus of attention has been inward focused and, and it's, been, it. it's, been a real, it's been a real problem for him. Well, you know, if tonight is not something that you necessarily want to remember, there are still things in life <laughs> that you do want to remember. Fond memories of the past, like that time you thought there was going to be a red wave. Mm -hmm. Like the days when inflation wasn't breaking records on a monthly basis when we weren't depleting our strategic oil reserves, when our president could occasionally form a coherent sentence. No doubt you'll want to relive those halcyon chapters as you get together with your friends and family this holiday season. But if you recorded any of those favorite memories on an old media mechanism like a photo, VHS tape, Super 8 film, or slide, they're at risk from water damage, fire, or just plain old photo decay. 
You need to digitally preserve those moments so they can be safe forever. You need to send them into Legacy Box. Trusted by over one million families, Legacy Box is the simplest and safest way to digitize all your aging tapes, film reels, and photos. Send everything in, they'll send everything back on a thumb drive, a DVD, or the cloud, digitally preserving your memories forever. To kickstart this holiday season, Legacy Box is giving our viewers early access to their Black Friday sale. Relive your most important memories this holiday. For a limited time only, take advantage of early access to Legacy Box's best sale of the year. Visit LegacyBox.com election. Shop Legacy Box's Black Friday sale. Indeed, that's LegacyBox.com slash election for 65% off. That's an amazing deal. So if the election isn't making you happy, maybe this deal will. LegacyBox.com slash election. Go check it out right now and preserve those family members. Actually, a pretty important thing. Did it for my own family. It's very cool. LegacyBox.com slash election. So um, that, That's a great thing to do online. Another great thing to do online, uh, peruse social media, though sometimes it makes us pull our hair out. So fortunately, we have two lovely ladies doing it for us. Ladies, what's going on on the Twitters, etc.? Okay, guys, obviously this red wave is not necessarily going exactly as we thought it would, but I can't say that the Dems, like, are all that happy about it online. No, because as we know, you can never please the left. They will always be angry about something. You can never please the mob. So this Twitter account, I'm not sure if it's a troll or not, but this just caught my attention, says, As a gender-fluid lesbian, I do not feel safe living in the U.S. This is why I always carry a knife with me. I still can't decide whether or not to move to Canada or Sweden, but at least those two are better than here. Which, okay, again, this could be a troll, but the fact that... The fact that we don't know is the scary part. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. There's also something else that I found that was sort of appalling, but it was interesting. At a polling station, this is what it looked like. And if you see this picture, it's just a bunch of rainbow flags. And I feel like there's one, I don't know, there's one flag that seems to be missing from this photo. And it's just crazy thinking about the Georgia voting laws and the fact that, like, campaigns couldn't give people, you know, water, and yet this is allowed. Yes. And speaking of Georgia... There was something funny that Stacey Abrams posted, which is this, Little Miss, future governor of the great state of Georgia. R.I.P. And then, swipe, seems kind of reminiscent of something else we saw a couple years ago. Happy birthday to this future president. Both Uh, of which didn't end up turning out in their favor. So tough. So tough. (laughs) But I feel like there was one thing that we really need to talk about tonight. This stood out um, above them all. Thankfully, comfortably smug, made us aware of it. LOL, New York Times telling Dems to literally breathe like a baby to cope. To cope. And we should walk through a few of these quick steps because we find it incredibly interesting. Thank you, New York Times, also, just for helping me through this evening. So their first tip is to try five-finger breathing. Trace the outside of your hand with your pointer finger. When you trace up, breathe in. When you trace down, (laughs) breathe out. You can't make this stuff up. They also said, cool down. Plunge your face into a bowl with ice water for 15 to 30 seconds. You should get a bowl of ice. You do, I, <laughs> Guys, remember the ice bucket challenge? That's what New York Times is asking you to do. They're telling us to move, to walk around. This is my favorite one. Breathe like a baby. What does that mean? Is, they, they elaborate. Focus on expanding your belly as you breathe, which can send more oxygen to your brain. See, this is the difference between the left and the right, is that things might go our way or might not go exactly you know, as we planned, and yet I can still breathe. Yeah, we don't need a step-by-step on how to, how to function. And then it says, limit your scrolling. Consider plotting out specific times when you will look for election updates. Yes. So apparently spending too much time on Twitter is not necessarily a good thing, according to New York Times. Apparently not. (laughs) Which is good for us. We should probably step away from our screens for a little bit. And we'll send it back to you guys after a short commercial. Last night. 
We're fighting for people who cannot fight for themselves and shouldn't have to. Public schools covered up the rape of a 14-year-old girl at the hands of a boy wearing a skirt. They arrested the father of the victim. Students are being exposed to pornography in schools. One book describes a fourth grade boy performing oral sex on an adult male. The transgender stuff, it's just demonic. We are talking about things they don't want to talk about. A man cannot become a woman. A woman cannot become a man. Gender-affirming health care is a euphemism. It's taking your sex and it is denying it. It's pretending your sex does not exist. It was about four years ago when I first posed the question, what is a woman? What is a woman? What is a woman? That's a great question. We have exposed Vanderbilt's child mutilation practices. We're going to pass this bill and it's going to be illegal in this state. That's going to happen. We have made sexual indoctrination of children and medical child abuse enormous national issues. We're not going to rest until every child is protected from this madness. I think there were a lot of different things that President Trump did for the country that will be long remembered, making America energy independent um, and putting pressure on other countries to step up. He said some crazy stuff during the campaign. I thought there's no way in hell this guy's going to be president of the United States. People did not know what to expect. Because remember, you're the first president in U.S. history to have zero political experience. Serve, protect, and defend. ...in American energy that's helping make our economy the envy of the world. President Trump represented an existential threat to the corrupt political class. This is the moment. This is a major turning point moment. Why do you keep calling this the Chinese virus? It comes from China. These are acts of domestic terror. He was the most consequential presidency. Stay loose. Be cool. Watch what's going to happen. And we're back. We're happy to be here joining you for our 2022 election coverage here at the Daily Wire. That's an overstatement. It goes on and on and on and on. Uh, Here where we are in Middle Tennessee, it's after 11 o'clock, I think, and uh, we're trying to decide how long do we go. Some of these votes may not be counted tonight. But I haven't given you all the bad news. Yeah, but you like more bad news? (laughs) I got plenty of it. Ben has lots of dour news for us, but uh, I do want to say, you know, we're playing uh, all these trailers for great content at Daily Wire Plus. We're really proud of the offering that we've put together this year. And, you know, it's because of our Daily Wire members that we're able to be here. We have great supporters uh, in the advertising space. We've brought you some ads from some of our top advertisers, good ranchers, Stamps.com, Legacy Box, who I think is maybe our OG uh, advertiser uh, at this stage. We're, we're, we're happy. For ExpressVPN, all of our best advertisers really weighed in tonight, and we're grateful to them. But at the end of the day, uh, it's our Daily Wire Plus members who make it possible for us to do all the work that we do and make all of this content that we're bringing. You, know, you put out great content like What is a Woman or The Greatest Lie Ever Sold, this unbelievable Trump documentary, My Dinner with Trump, which if you haven't seen it yet, truly must be seen to be believed. Yeah. Uh, no, I think no uh, ex-president in the history of the country has ever given such unfettered access uh, to a meal between he and his advisors. It really is a remarkable thing. Uh, how are we able to produce that kind of content? Some people will see it and say, oh, well, if you, if you really wanted to save the country, you'd put the content out for free so everyone could see it. <laughs> but I think it's precisely the opposite. That's the end of the content. Too. That's the end of the <laughs> content. Uh, if you really want to save the country, I would say you have to build 
uh, an institution capable of self-sustaining and creating more and more and better and better content. And you do that with market mechanisms. You don't do it with charity. You do, you know, there's a reason that Daily Wire can spend $100 million on kids' content over the next three years, and Disney during that same period of time will spend, I don't know, $60 billion on content. Uh, we have to build. We have to have a vision for the future. We have to go out and build on that vision for the future, and our Daily Wire members make it possible for us to do that. So if you aren't one, head over to dailywireplus.com. Uh, Hit that subscribe button for us. Join us. We're doing, I think, the best work of anybody in the in the country today. I think I would stack up what we're doing at Daily Wire against anyone. I think the, the biggest conservative nonprofits are less effective. I think uh, the conservative media companies, I think there's some great ones out there who merit your support, but I think we've left them behind, uh, and, and we're only just getting started. So, again, dailywire.com uh, or dailywireplus.com. Hit that subscribe button. Join us. It's an important mission. And it's a mission that will trade you value for value. We're going to create more and more excellent content that does have a huge impact in the country. You've seen it with the work Matt's been doing, uh, even at the State House a month ago uh, with his Stop the Mutilation rally. I mean, we're, we are, there's teeth to what we're doing. It's not just vanity, although some of it is just my own vanity. <laughs> I, I will confess that every now and then you start a razor company just so you can feel like a really cool guy <laughs> and fight back against the SOBs over at Harry's. Uh, tonight's not going exactly the way that we had all hoped. We're, you know, we thought maybe at the beginning of the it night sucks, that could be... Man. It just sucks. It sucks. You know, to, to be... I, I don't, I'm not going to be the voice <laughs> of optimism. But, but, you know, if we, if we do take the house, even if it's by if three seats... And I know the fact that we have to say if We're is crazy. If about yeah, that's crazy. This is and, nuts. And I don't think, I mean, the Senate, we could still take the Senate. Mm. Uh, and if, even if we take them both by one seat, that is a big win, and that actually does impede Joe Biden. And it's not what we wanted, but. Some. So what if we lose? Yeah, is that also no, no. a big win? Like, yeah. <laughs> Losing is not winning. I would like to push back in, in a negative direction for a change. <laughs> you know, because I was listening to Megan, and she, she's really smart lady. She really is incisive when she's talking about these things. But, you know, these guys, the Democrats need to be rebuked. And yes. they're not going to be rebuked in the way they should have been. And I, and I don't really know. I think, I, yeah, part of that is badly picked, uh, some badly picked candidates. But I don't know if that's the whole story. I, I think that there is just, just a confusion and a division in the Republican Party that is not re ready for the fight at hand. Uh, these guys, everything the Democrats touch turns to crap. Every single thing they put their fingers on get worse. This has been true for 60, 70 years. They, you know, uh, who's a Jason... Uh, Riley wrote that book about blacks saying, please stop helping us. You know, I, I think we could all say that to the Democrats. Please stop helping us. You know, just leave us alone because you make everything worse. And yet, and yet the electorate has not rebuked them in the manner uh, they've deserved. And I, and I think that that's a bad thing. I mean, I think that, like, I, I think we're still going to take the House. Uh, I think we have a chance at the Senate. It's going to be a lot less in the House than it's probably going to be your trickle numbers. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like right now, yeah. we're talking like... They're forecasting seven seats. Maybe, yeah. Seven seats, less than ten I think, seats. That's, I think that's it's, I think it's gonna, I think it's going to be more well, than that. Well, it's the job of the Republicans to articulate what that rebuke is supposed I, to be I, exactly. I agree with you. I and they, and, they, and yeah. they didn't do that. And to go back with what we were saying before, it, it, it really comes down to what, what is your message? What's the Republican Party's message? What does it stand for? These candidates, what do they stand for? And I, I just, the curse of the Republican Party has been this way for years now. 
is these these candidates who you listen to them talk and I just don't I don't they're just saying things I don't believe that they believe anything they're mm -hmm. saying they're just sort of talking at random and uh, you know picking up talking points whatever works and they say it and of course that's all politicians do it to a certain yeah, extent. Yeah, Biden, but, Schumer, Pelosi. I mean, that's true of them too. I think. No, it's worse. It's worse with the Republicans. And, and I think. you know, I, I go back. I always go back to the fact that you know they hate the, the GOP hated Reagan. They didn't want him. Yeah. The minute he was gone, I mean, obviously Bush was vice president, but they kind of pushed Bush on him to begin with. And you got this mediocrity. I mean, the, the Bushes, both Bushes, were good people. I, I like yeah. them personally, but they were not conservatives, uh, as as uh, Buckley said. They were. Conservative, but they were not a conservative. Yeah, right. Uh, and that and that made all the difference. And I think that the, you know, the, when you think about the, the Mitt Romneys, the John McCain's, and the Jeb Bushes, who they would have run if they could have, <clears throat> this is a party without a vision, without any real uh, any real goal that they're they're trying. It's to, like the Tories in England. They're just I playing. Push, I want to push back. Good, yeah. I want to push back a tiny bit with a question. There is a question that we haven't asked since the mood turned dour, <laughs> uh, and that is. <clears throat> What role, if any, was played by, in the last week of this campaign, Donald Trump reasserted himself yeah. in a major way well, into the national <coughs> conversation. He, he started attacking Ron DeSantis. He held a, a giant rally last night, which you know, everyone from Benny Johnson to Seb Gorka was intimating would be him announcing for the presidency on the eve uh, of the election, which in, in makes a voter... And he Maybe it's one of these young... He leaked to Axios a week ago that he's going to announce. So we know he's, That's he right. know he's announcing. It's just a question of, like, which day he's doing it. He, yeah. he thrust himself back into the conversation at a time when this election should not have in any way been by him. Did that, did that ha have an impact on so what's I, well, actually happening of course, it, it, of course it does. And I think that... I, I don't know. I think he might, might pay a price for that. I think that uh, he is... You know, I thought I thought for three years he was one of the best presidents of my lifetime. I really did. Yep. Uh, I thought he did wonderful things. If he'd only overturned, uh, appointed the justices who overturned uh, Roe, he would have been in the Hall of Fame for me. Yep. But even so, he was better than that. He did really good things. Uh, he, he did. He was could be incredibly annoying, but he was really terrific, and I celebrated him. After he lost that election, and you're right, that it seems to drive people crazy. I mean, you know, Al, Al Gore started to think the world was going to end and sold, sold that. I met Mike Dukakis once in college. This yeah. was, what, decades after yeah. he lost? With, and we weren't even going to ask him about that race yeah. that he, in 92. Within five minutes, he brought it up. He yeah. was angry as though it happened the day before. And Jimmy Carter is still an angry man. You can see it in yeah. his eyes, that rage. Uh, you know, it's obviously a tough thing, but with a guy with his ego, with uh, Trump's ego, I think it's just absolutely transformative and has transformed him from an egotist to an utter egotist, you know? I mean, he was always about himself, but now he's not about yeah. anything else. I think, and I, I think it's... Okay, so bad. this football team sucks. Okay, let's just put it this way. And some coaches need to be fired. Yeah. So are we going to fire some coaches or not? I mean, that's really what the Republican Party is going to have to ask itself. And I don't just mean Trump here. I mean, like, where's the House leadership? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Kevin McCarthy led a House that had 212 seats into an election with a historically unpopular president and, a, and an economy that's in the middle of an incipient recession and 40 year high in inflation. And he's going to pick up less than 10 seats. Does he need to get like... Where, where's the leadership class of the Republican Party? It does not exist. And the one place it does exist, the Republicans did really, really well. Hmm. Right? And so the question is, where's the leadership class, uh, class of, of the National Republican Party? Donald Trump is not the leader of the National Republican Party because he, the only thing that he leads is Donald Trump. He's not leading the Republican Party because he's not interested in the Republican Party. He's literally tweeting out 
against mm-hmm. a candidate in his own party who lost and attacking members of his own party in the middle of election cycles yeah. who are not sufficiently bending the knee to him. So he's clearly not the leader of the Republican Party in any real sense, in the sense that a coach is a person who leads the team onto the fields so that they achieve victory as a team. That's not something that Trump is interested in. He's interested in him. And if there's, in a, if there's some sort of ancillary victory that the, the team achieves, great. But, but and it, he can take care the of it. The other thing but, to remember is Donald Trump in 2016 was not a Republican in any... Again, I mean, he, I, I, he took, it was a hostile takeover this of the This party. is not a moral it, critique of Donald Trump. This, yeah. is a, this is a simple description of the situation. He is not the leader of the Republican But that's what team. I'm saying. He so, never was a uh, Republican. That's fine. I, I, I agree with you. It, all of that's true. And none of this is, to dis- again, to you know, sort of ignore all the good things that he did while he was president of the United States. But he's not the leader of anything other than Donald Trump. This has always been true of Donald Trump. If there was ancillary crossover, it was ancillary. Yeah. Okay, so he's not the leader. McCarthy clearly is not a leader because he presented no agenda at all. And not only that, he was unable to dissociate from Trump to the extent that the election was not about Trump. Yeah. Right? You would figure that he would do what he would have to do in order to make sure that his own House members could win. Namely, do whatever he had to do to take the hit from Trump. He's in a safe district, McCarthy. You know, take, the, yeah. take the hit from Trump and create room between the other House candidates and Trump sufficient that they could win. He, he didn't. So where exactly is the House leadership in, in all of this? You know, McConnell, I, I will say he did his best to intervene in, again, I, this is not me standing for Mitch McConnell. I got a lot of problems with Mitch McConnell. McConnell tried to intervene in a bunch of Senate races where Donald Trump basically overruled him in the primaries and he got none of his favorite candidates. He wanted Dave McCormick in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. He, did, he, he, he did not want Herschel Walker in Georgia. He did not want Blake Masters in Arizona. But then is that not to say that Trump is the leader of the Republican Party in that he overrules the rest of the leaders? Well, I mean, no. So, they, so he's the leader in the Republican Party in the sense that he can, he can put his thumb on the scale, but he's not a leader in the sense that he actually gives a crap whether the team wins or not. I mean, he proved that in Georgia last time around. Trump, so the, Trump, Trump definitely hasn't helped, but this is, like you've been saying all night, this is really candidate quality. I agree with you. And, and you know, I, I was saying before about uh, these Republican candidates who are just saying things they don't believe what they're saying, and you said, what about Schumer and Pelosi and that sort of... And yeah, that, that's true on the Democrat side of it, but at the same time, how many conservatives are in the Democrat Party masquerading as liberals? So, like, it doesn't right, exist. Right, right. Whereas yep. in the Republican Party, you, you've, you've got Dr. Oz is a far-left... Yeah, He's yeah. a far leftist. I mean, he yeah, was yeah. shilling for transing the kids in 2011. Yeah. And, and, and they, abortion and they, and, months ago. Right. And they <laughs> nominate him for the, they, they give him the nomination. And, and then voters are saying, why the hell would we go with this guy? We, 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 you know, we could, if we want a liberal Democrat, we just, we got the real deal here. Why would we go with this guy? That's, the Republicans do that. They take, you take leftists yeah. that don't yeah. believe any of this they, stuff. They may, they may hold up Manchin, but I think it would be a week. I think their argument would be, would be the, the one possible example. The exception that proves uh, the rule. I'd like to invite on now our good friend Dennis Prager from PragerU, among other things. Note, noteworthy author, noteworthy radio host, uh, but I think that PragerU uh, will outlive almost anything on the internet today as far as just being an amazing, lasting legacy of unbelievable intellectual content for particularly young people, but I think anyone uh, to really understand the world in which they live. Dennis, thank you so much for coming. Listen, it's late in the evening. We're slurring our words. I've already said, like, munja, munja, fuzzy sushi. I don't know. We, we really need the help of a seasoned and professional broadcaster. So thank you. Well, first of all, I'm on Danish time. I just came in from Denmark. Oh, my God. Oh, so wow. I, I, don't even know, I don't know what time it is. I am theoretically three hours behind you, two hours behind you, and uh, and uh, seven hours ahead of you. So it's a non-issue. I just, I just want to tell you guys, uh, I have never 
joined a conversation, and this is rare for me to speak like this, where I have nothing brilliant to add. <laughs> you guys, I, I'm telling you, you guys have covered this so well. I will only say in my own words what a bunch of you have said. And I have said this, though, longer than you, because I'm older than all of you, uh, and I think. And uh, I will tell you, I have said to every Republican that I have ever met, every Republican candidate, every Republican in office, you have no message. Your message has to be what the left is doing to the United States, and the Democratic Party is the party of the left. That is it. That is your raison d'etre, to stop the damage that they are doing. Most Americans, even now, would believe that most of those things are damaging. Keeping kids out of school for two years, rendering our schools to be sexualized objects, to make kids aware of their sexuality when they don't even have one, to have mm. uh, drag queen story hours uh, in, in kindergarten. The, these are the issues, and, and you can win on these, but you're right. They don't. I don't know what Kevin McCarthy stands for. You're entirely right, and and all these other candidates. You've said it beautifully. If if you don't have a compelling message that you believe in, then you won't win. So, Dennis, I, I do want to ask you about you know the the you know, questions have quickly turned from 2022 to 2024 as it becomes clear that Republican the the wave just does not exist. It's not even a tide. It may not even be a trickle. It may be a reverse trickle, depending on how this evening goes by the end of it. Uh, the, the question is quickly turned to 2024, because one silver lining to me that, you know, since I've been Debbie Downer literally all night, that Democrats will have learned nothing. In fact, they will continue to double down on this. So they will continue to double down on the woke. They'll continue to double down yep. on the transing of the kids. They'll continue to double down on the spending, all of it. They're going to take this as a repudiation of any critique of any of their agenda. They're doing an amazing job is the takeaway here. And so they're just going to continue to do exactly what they've been doing this whole time. At the same time, hopefully Republicans can learn some valuable lessons like stop running shitty candidates. Also, it would be good if Republicans would, would start actually moving toward people who are practically good at their jobs and capable of mobilizing serious numbers of votes in favor of, in other words, get professional about 2024 and start treating it like it's a serious topic as opposed to we can screw around for two years in the hopes that the pure failure of the Democrats will somehow land a bunch of us in confidence in power. Maybe the, so maybe that's the silver lining is that Repu everybody, all the Republicans get smacked for being incompetent and the Democrats don't any, learn any of the lessons that would save them going forward to 2024. That's the only possible silver lining for me on this one. Yeah, I'll, I'll call that a silver lining if we hold the House. Yeah, uh, agreed. You're, you're right. It'll be a silver lining if, if we win the House. It, it's, it's beyond belief. Uh, I'm, the reason that I'm hesitating is I don't like to convey uh, sadness it's it's sort of like uh, it's it's sort of forbidden in my profession as a talk show host, uh, but I I I built a reputation for being honest. It look whatever one makes of it, it is sad that half of this country is not scared of the left. That's it. Yeah. That, what what is there to say? They have ruined everything they have touched. What they have done to the medical profession that has it's one of the few things that I, I haven't heard them mention. It may well have been I, I didn't hear everything. I was on an airplane, but uh, just what they the American Medical Association announces a few years ago that birth certificates should not list gender slash sex because we don't know what it is. 
the American Medical Association, that the children's hospitals of the country are now united in one voice in saying that it is a good thing for girls who say they're boys to get mastectomies at the age of 18. If we can't win on those things, if we can't become, as was just suggested to me, the party of parents, yeah. that, that worked in Virginia, it's certainly a big deal in Florida, just say that. We care about parental authority. Without it, society crumbles. I mean, they, they have given us a Grand Canyon-esque size of things to run on, and we don't. Yeah, Sh Shapiro in Pennsylvania said, freedom isn't telling your children what books they can read. N no, that is freedom. Freedom, <laughs> freedom is telling your children what books they can and can't read. I, I want to know, being of Sicilian extraction, who I can blame. You know, I want to point, because, you know, I, I'm more open than uh, most people to suggestions of voter shenanigans and the late counts that drag on. But, and, and maybe that's, some of that's going on in Arizona. I guess that remains to be seen. But that's not what's going on in a lot of the country. I don't think that's what's, I don't, I don't think Republicans can point to voter fraud or rigging or things to account for at least the vast majority of these laws. Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Fetterman, I'm not, I'm not blaming, you know, ballots coming in in the middle of the night. That's not what happened there. And so I don't think Republicans can credibly, in most places, blame that. And so what do we blame? Do we blame the rhinos, the House leadership, Trump, the, the voters? The, what, what, who, the who do we blame? Well, if, you, if it was posed in any way to me, uh, I, I thought Ben's idea of firing coaches when, when, you should, when you should win the game and you lose, uh, then most people would look for a new coach or a, a bunch of new coaches. However, it's, it's so much larger than any one individual. That if you, if, why do all of you and I and, and, and we're not alone. Why do we understand what is at stake with Democrats and the left winning and that is not conveyed by the Republican Party as a rule? Tell me. I just, uh, that's, that's the riddle. Why do we understand uh, and I, they don't? I, I can take a stab at an answer to that, Dennis. It's because Washington, D.C. is on the East Coast. It's because the kinds of people who can afford, generally speaking, to make a run for public office, have already had success in their life. And most of them in that success have moved to urban settings, they've moved to coastal settings, and their own children don't share the values uh, that the party purports to represent. And so you, you end up in this very interesting situation where, you know, Drew and I talk about this sometimes, it's true for everyone here except Matt, uh, but we're we're coastal guys. You know, we we've, we've all spent 20 years in LA, or been Ben spent his entire life in Southern California. You've spent your entire professional life in Southern California. We are not rural Texans. We're not rural Tennesseans. We're not rural Panhandle of Florida Florida Floridians. We, I think, part of what distinguishes us, perhaps living in the environments that we've had is that we have some sort of character trait which has allowed us to be uh, perhaps we're, we're contrarians and so in the environment of living in LA if it radicalized us it radicalized us even further to the right but I think that that isn't the reaction that most people in those environments have I think the, lo the longer you serve in DC the longer you're in party leadership 
the more removed you become from the sensibilities of the people that you represent, the more removed you become from the sort of conser traditional conservatism. We might argue about some of the disagreements, but the general things that we're all uh, trying to promote. And the more your kids go to very nice schools and your kids have very liberal educations and they're just your you're surrounded, your friends, your young staff, in all of these ways, you're being pulled leftward. And what you're, what you're left with is either you're still a conservative, but your suit doesn't fit very well. <laughs> it's uncomfortable when you put it on. You're a little bit embarrassed in front of your friends. You're a little bit embarrassed in front of your kids. Your kids are either themselves questioning their sexuality, your kids are questioning their uh, gender identity, or their friend who they're in school, who you've known since they were a little kid and they come over. You're just, you're just immersed in the world of the left. And because you're so immersed in the world of the left, it's not necessarily that you don't believe your own values anymore. It's just that they don't, they don't form well. You're not, you're not proud, proud of them. Of them. That's, that's exactly right. I, I really do think that for my entire life, I mean, Mitt Romney was ashamed of conservatives. Mm -hmm. I, I don't hate Mitt Romney the way others hate Mitt Romney. Most people hate Mitt Romney because Donald Trump hated Mitt Romney. I never let Donald Trump tell me what to hate. Other people hate Mitt Romney because he lost. But if you're going to hate losers, you wouldn't have any friends in the Republican Party. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never wanted Mitt Romney to be our nominee. Yeah. I opposed him in the primaries in 2012. I never believed yeah. that he could win. It's not because of a hatred of Mitt Romney. Who, who he's I think a big is, lib. <laughs> I think he's a good man. Yeah. He's just a big lib. Yeah. He was, he was, Mitt Romney wasn't proud of my dad. Yeah. I think actually part of what people like about Donald Trump, who's also not a conservative in any sort of constitutional way, but Donald Trump kind of is proud of my dad. Mm -hmm. He really communicates. Hugs the American flag. Yeah, he hugged the American flag. He likes the country. He likes people who work with their hands. Now, is some of that showbiz? I, I don't know. I don't know Donald Trump. He certainly communicates that, and in communicating that, he was able to build a coalition that a lot of these Republicans aren't able to put together. Yes, it's that he fights, but I don't think it's just that he fights. I think that it's that... It's, 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 it's that he chased after a Marine's hat when it blew off his head. He yeah. didn't even think about it. He, that's that right. was not posed. That was something he just did. He just that's picked exactly it up, and I think right. any one of us would have done it, but he did it, and I don't think Barack Obama would have done it. Right. You know? right. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. You know, he wasn't a big you, lip. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you mentioned uh, the... The people who, they, they don't wear the jacket uh, comfortably. I totally agree with that. But I, 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 I tend to focus on, on the forest more than trees. It's not mm. here or there. It's just my nature. So I will never forget. I, I began lecturing at the age of 21. I, it's a very odd life. It's not important to get into it, but I did. And in my 20s, I would look at audiences. And, of course, they were my parents' age. And I would say to them, you know, you all said you wanted to give my generation, the baby boomers, you wanted to give us everything you didn't have. Yeah. And that was generally uh, uh, material benefits and, and freedom. And you did. You gave us everything you didn't have. And you never gave us what you did have. Mm -hmm. I said that when I was 25 to, to parents. This is very, very old, this problem, yeah. that, uh, uh, as I have often put it, Christians didn't know how to explain Christianity, Jews didn't know how to explain Judaism, Americans didn't know how to explain America, conservatives didn't know how to explain conservatism. And, and we are suffering to this day from, from those lapses. 
I, I think that the, there, there's a combo uh, a little bit. One is that we're certainly suffering from the inability to convey that traditional wisdom is just commonsensical and it's not threatening, it's just common sense. And, and a lot of conservatives have no capacity to, to just convey that in not embarrassed fashion the way that you're talking about, Jeremy. And, and at the same time, there are a lot of conservatives, because they're uncomfortable in their own skin, who are not willing to stand up and say uncomfortable things to, for example, Trump. And it puts them in an uncomfortable position. And you see this. I mean, the, the Republicans are going to dramatically underperform, I promise you again, with suburban women tonight. They will. I mean, you, you, when you see the results come in, you will see that they dramatically underperformed with suburban women again. Hmm. Um, and, the, and I think one of the reasons that you will see that is because, again, if you are going to create in a lab what a good Republican looks like, it looks like somebody who's extremely strong in traditional values, somebody who looks like a protector, somebody who looks like they are not beholden to whatever sort of weird conspiracy theory of the week is out there because they're so afraid of either their own base or what Donald Trump is going to tweet about them and a person who is baseline competent. If you get all four of those things, you end up with Ron DeSantis or Brian Kemp. And if you get only a few of those things, you end up with the vast majority of the Republican Party. And people are not going to trust you. I mean, like, I, I don't know what a lot of these Republicans believe on any of those things. I don't know if they believe in traditional values. I don't know if they believe the stuff that they're saying about elections or if they're saying it just because they feel like they're pressured to say it. I don't know if they, I don't, I don't know if they, you know, are, are competent in their jobs because they've never had a job to do. I mean, they literally sit in Congress all day and don't govern. So I don't, I don't even know what exactly they do. So they don't have any of those elements that make me desperate to, like, I think a lot of Republicans today came out because they were desperate to vote against the Democrats. But I don't think that there were a lot of Republicans who came out today because they were desperate to vote in favor of the Republicans, except in Florida, where they were desperate to vote for the Republicans. Right, like Charlie Crist is not a candidate. That wasn't a competitive race in the first place. Yeah. I showed up to vote. My wife showed up to vote. Everyone I know showed up to vote in Florida simply to say this agenda requires support. It requires support because this agenda is worth exploring and it's a good agenda. And the Democrats need to be stopped. And this is a signal to the rest of the Democrats that they need to be but stopped. I think but one of the things that, that Dennis is noticing, because I've noticed it too, and it may be generational that, that we notice it. I, I think a certain madness is crossing, uh, uh, blowing across the, the country. I think it has to, I personally think it has to do with a lot of epochs that are ending in a new internet age that is still only beginning. But whatever it has to do with, when you talk to people, for instance, about transgenderism, same pe- you know, people who should be sane, people who should be sensible, and you say what is obvious, that you can say anything you want about a transgender woman, for instance, one thing you can't say about him is that he's a woman. That's just not true. I mean, it's, and, and when you say that to people, their eyes kind of glaze over, and I, I kind of feel that a, uh, a certain level of sanity has just, is just not present at, at this moment, and we have to hope it's going to come back. I believe it's going to come back. It always does come back. That's kind of the Yankee sensibility. But when it comes back, things Things are not going to be the same. Things are changing. Uh, some some tremendous change is going on that we haven't quite parsed yet. Guys like, to me, guys like Obama and Donald Trump at the end of something, they're not the beginning of anything. Uh, but but what is about to begin hasn't really shown its head yet. And it's in it's in moments like this when we lose just our common sense, a kind of a kind of craziness, just uh, the madness of crowds takes place. And I think we're going through it. I, I have conversations with people that I think should be down to earth, that I think should be sane, where I say things that are so obviously true. They're not a question of values. They're not a question of uh, uh, of anything but the truth. So true. Right, let, and they don't Drew, understand it. Yeah. Let me ask you, if we had a referendum in the country, do you think that men who say they are women should be allowed to compete against women in women's sports, what do you think the vote would be? I think if it were a secret vote, the vote would be completely no. 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 They should yeah, not be allowed. 100 to, to zero. 
Right. Why don't we? Why Why don't Republicans then uh, race uh, run races on, on that issue, for example? Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think I think that is a, a good issue. I, I agree with that with Ben that there has to be a base level of competence. You also have to be able to say this is what I'm going to do with the economy. This is how I'm going to handle crime and inflation. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Why don't they? They're afraid. They're wrapped up in a, in a media bubble. They're wrapped up in a social media uh, bubble right. of their own making that tells they them they fear. They fear the New York Times more they than the they New York fear Times. God. But look at that is the way I that is the way I, a religious person. I'm not sure they can yeah, the, tell the, the difference. The media, yeah. the media message after this is going to be that those kinds of issues, the trans issue, it's a loser right. for, for conservatives. But the, but the, but most Republicans didn't really go anywhere near it during their campaign. That's right. That's they right. maybe mentioned it like as a peripheral thing. But the few, I mean, I'm trying to think of an example. Who's DeSantis, the Republican? DeSantis was bold. Right, a Republican that, that that made a credible case on that issue and for parental rights. And lost. Is there an example oh, of that? Yeah. I mean, DeSantis is the, the perfect example of someone yeah. who did that and won. So I think that... Yeah. Dennis, I mean, uh, so I'm going to ask you what, what has been kind of the running question of the night. So what does this say for you about moving forward to 2024, given the fact that DeSantis wildly overperformed uh, and, uh, and that a lot of Trump candidates look like they're in trouble? What, what, what does this say to you about leadership of the Republican Party going forward? So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have come to the conclusion that there really is such a thing as Trump derangement syndrome. <laughs> I never used the term for four years of his presidency. I thought it was a little wild. I now am convinced it exists, but I am now also convinced that the opposite exists. Trump preoccupation syndrome, <laughs> or whatever, whatever term one would like to use. Not suffering from either. Uh, uh, I don't think, let's put it this way. If Donald Trump were to say, I am not running because I don't think I should be the issue, rather the damage the left and the Democrats are doing should be the issue, the man would be regarded by most people on our side as a saint. Yes. Yes. But, but Dennis, if my grandma had wheels, she'd be a wagon. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> correct. That is correct. Now, Ben could tell you the original Yiddish version of that. I don't know if it goes over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it, it does make me think it's time for the Republican Party to wake up. And when I need to wake up, you know what I, I do? I get a nice big mug of Black Rifle coffee. I do. It's been a long night here, folks, over at the Daily Wire headquarters. And on nights like this, I am so glad that I've got Black Rifle coffee to keep me going. While today's coffee often comes with hints of soy, you can taste just that note of social justice on top. Black Rifle delivers an entirely different experience. It's bold, it's strong, it's delicious. It won't lose a major election that you're supposed to win going into it with a tidal wave. Black Rifle Coffee is the coffee that I choose to get through the day. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran founded and operated. Their mission is to help service members successfully transition from the military into entrepreneurship. They provide assistance to veterans who seek to launch businesses of their own with the end goal of helping more companies like Black Rifle become a reality. Black Rifle is committed to hiring 10,000 veterans in total, and they are well on their way. As for the coffee itself, which is frankly, I love the work they do with veterans and to help the country, but for me, when I pick a product, I just... You know, product first, good. okay? I want it to be a good product. Black Rifle's very selective about where they source their coffee beans. They're very disciplined when it comes to ensuring the freshness of every bag. We keep Black Rifle coffee stocked here at the office. Our team absolutely loves it. Go to blackriflecoffee.com. Use promo code ELECTION 
you'll get 15% off your first order or when you sign up for a new Coffee Club subscription. The subscription gives you free shipping on all Coffee Club orders, early access to club deals and promotions, and special discounts from their partner brands. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com, promo code ELECTION. You get 15% off your first order or when you sign up to become a Coffee Club member. Black Rifle Coffee, supporting veterans and America's coffee. That was your best ad, ad rate of the night. Thank you. I, I felt, you know, I really roused it for the end. <laughs> We're going to go hear from our team over at Election Wire for one last check-in on what's happening at the polls. Uh, so here to help us out with that is John Bickley. Hey. All right. Going to me. Hey, guys. So I'm joined with joined by Robert Kahaley here. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the things that we're looking at at the end of the night as we're kind of coming close to the end. Uh, a lot to unpack uh, in terms of the Senate. So we've got a couple of things still hanging around. We've got some uh, races confirmed. The I can give a quick rundown right of those before you get to Robert. Let's do it. Just to give you guys a feel for where we're at right now. Uh, in the House, a couple races we've been keeping our eyes on. Lauren Boebert, it does look like she's going to be defeated. She's down 51-48 right now. She spoke to the crowd, said it's too close to call, but that she will not be making any more statements tonight. This one's from Michael Knowles. Sean Patrick Maloney, barring a miracle, is going to lose. He's down 53-46 right now with over 90% reporting. And we talked about Florida, how it's been a lot of good news there. It's not all good news from Florida, though. In the 10th Congressional District, we're looking at the first Gen Zer in Congress who just won Maxwell Frost. He is a avowed socialist and a Bernie Sanders supporter, so the new youngest member of Congress. Now to the Senate in Georgia, the race that is still the closest one that we're seeing around the country. Warnock is up 49.3 to 48.6. It looks like the best case right now for Republicans is that Warnock does not get to 50 and that it goes to a runoff. One more point, kind of to what you guys have been talking about all night. The two candidates that Trump went after, that's uh, Brian Kemp, the governor, and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, both won tonight. Walker, the only one uh, at the statewide level that has not won for Republicans. In Arizona, it's not looking good for Republicans again. Mark Kelly, 57.8. Blake Masters, 40. Katie Hobbs with a 56-43 lead uh, over Kerry Lake. Pennsylvania, also not looking good. Uh, 49.4 for Fetterman to 48.2 for Oz with about 88% of the vote in. New York Times has given it over a 95% chance for John Fetterman uh, there in Pennsylvania. Some of the races that are close for Republicans that look good, Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer holds just a 50.1 to 48.2 lead over Tudor Dixon, very close there. And in Wisconsin, Senator Ron Johnson, incumbent, is up 51.5 to 48.5 over Mandela Barnes. John, to and Robert. Yeah, so we're looking at a, sort of a mixed bag there. Some of the races... Um, we thought would go Republicans the way it did in the Senate. So we had, you know, J.D. Vance did quite well. Ted Budd pulled it off, right? But Wisconsin is pretty close. Ron Johnson's now leading by about four. There's 81% in. How do you feel about that race? I still, you know, in the end, a lot of this was about incumbency. And so a lot of incumbents had a hard time. And so we were always worried that Johnson might have a little bit of a hard time as compared to some of the other, you know, some of the other races with more popular candidates. But it's amazing because the Democrats were sure that North Carolina and Ohio were going to be places they had a real shot and they didn't. And then they were less confident about places like places like Pennsylvania early on after the debate and Arizona as it started to change. So a lot of what's happening tonight is kind of topsy-turvy. Uh, we look really to what's going to... It's hard to predict here. There's, there's not a clear pattern. 
No, absolutely. And it really is very much state to state. And one of the, some of the points they made over there is this idea about message. I mean, message does matter because without message, you're down to personalities and personality traits can be things that are immeasurable that people just determine. And one of the things we did early on this year was uh, we kept asking about how they feel about the Democrats' messages and they were rejecting it. And then just recently we said, have the Republicans made the case to win your votes? And the answer was no. Hmm. And so it was, it was, you have to have more than just rejecting Democrats. You have to get, get people to give them a reason to vote for you. And some of the more controversial issues that the Republicans were hesitant to touch that, for example, uh, the governor in Florida was not hesitant to touch. These are the hot button issues that did move and we had, had a better, very big victory there. So it, you know, we look toward what's gonna happen in Nevada uh, and then the possible runoff in Georgia, which stinks because there goes vacation. <laughs> but you know, the Senate could still be in balance and we could have a replay right. of two years ago where the entire Senate raced on what happens in the Georgia runoff. Right, so it comes down to really Georgia, Nevada at this point. Arizona, how do you feel about that race? Arizona bad look, looks bad, but remembering that the early vote is predominantly all that's in now. So it might get tighter in Arizona. It certainly can. I mean, for example, Michigan looked a lot worse an hour ago than it does now. So yeah, that's tight. That, that remains to be seen. But in Georgia, traditionally, if you are a, a, an incumbent and you go to runoff, that's bad news. Incumbents don't tend to win runoffs. And with Kerry Lake underperforming, at this point, it's about 50% in. We were kind of hoping she would pull Blake Masters across the finish line. Maybe not. Gonna She's leading Masters. Yeah. Uh, she has a higher percentage of the vote, but not enough to, to guarantee that both of them will get there, depending yeah. upon what's left and how it comes in. More work to do. Thank you. Back to you guys. Hideously terrible news, all. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, this is um, not an exciting evening. You know, kind of like many of my dates before I met my wife. <laughs> Start off optimistic. Quinn uses the term many. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no, no. You went on three. You're right. Many of Several. Several. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, again, I'll, I'm just going to go back to the, the simple fact that if you are getting state-by-state -state results, this means you did not run a national race, one, which is the messaging issue. And two, the candidates differ race by race. So we're, we keep coming back to the same message over and over. The only way that changes is if you actually have a non-empty shell leadership at the top of the party mm -hmm. that is willing to f put forward a program. And Newt Gingrich won a bajillion seats in 1994 because he put forward an actual program. Yep. There was no actual yep. program that was put forward by the Republican House. That's a good point. And yep. Kevin McCarthy is not an inspiring figure in any way, shape, or form. I know Kevin McCarthy, and he's a very nice person, but I, I don't see how you can underperform to this extent and still hope to be seen as sort of the durable leader of the Republican Party mm. in, in the House. I, uh, and I will say this, there's, you know, again, I sound like the routine Mitch McConnell defender here. He spent $234 million from the Senate, from the Senate fund. Yeah. Yeah. Donald Trump spent about 27 cents and yeah. picked three-quarters of the candidates. He had $100 million. No, I'm not anti-cocaine, Mitch. Though uh, by the way, I'm just, and I will also mention that if you actually watched, the, one of the most ridiculous things in this, in this entire race was Donald Trump sent out a fundraising letter, I believe it was for Blake Masters, from his listserv, and it showed what the division of the money was that you gave. It was 99 cents to Donald Trump's PAC and one cent to Blake Masters. <laughs> okay, that, that, is, that is not raising money for Blake Masters, as it turns out. 
If the Republic, listen, if the Republican Party is going to be foolish enough that there are no recriminations for the people who actually picked the worst candidates in the race, refused to fund them, and then left them out to dry while celebrating Joe O'Day losing in Colorado, yeah. then the, you the, get what you, I'm, I'm sorry, you get what you deserve. But you, Again, I'll vote for that guy if he's the nominee because the Democrats are worse. But, but you, you don't have to do that. You, you could, like, theoretically have a thought about maybe this isn't the best idea. How many times are we going to run this same play over and over and over? Well, at on least that? one more. <laughs> you men- you mention Blake Masters, though, and we'll see what happens with Blake. But it's an interesting test case because Blake Masters and J.D. Vance were basically the same candidate with the same background, with the same backers, with the same platform, with the same actually kind of interesting departure from the old GOP stuff. And J.D. wins, and Blake is in trouble right now, and who knows when we'll find out if he wins or loses. Well, I mean, I will give you a very very easy answer for that, and that is that Donald Trump won Ohio with 53% of the vote, while Biden received 45% of the vote in Ohio, and Donald Trump lost Arizona. All they're doing is mirroring Trump's exact results in those states. By the way, Dr. Oz mirrored Trump's exact results in Pennsylvania. By the way, Herschel Walker is mirroring Trump's exact results in Georgia, almost as though if Donald Trump picks a candidate and then that person gets exactly the same percentage of the vote in those states, there is a correlation. Isn't that strange? There is worth also pointing out the role of spoilers, which we haven't really talked about. Oh, the libertarians. The libertarians, because if you look right now at, at the Fetterman-Oz race, the libertarians got 1.4% of the vote. If Oz got that 1.4%, it puts them over Fetterman, and it, it actually... Uh, well, we'll see how the vote shakes out for the rest of the night. It actually, theoretically, could push him up to 50. But st- nevertheless, it would put him over Fetterman. And then you look at uh, yep. Warnock and Herschel Walker. The Libertarian gets 2% of the vote. That that puts uh, Herschel over yeah, but, 50%. But you, you, don't want, you don't want to be yelling at Jill Stewart because your own party is... I right, right. Competent, certainly right? do. I definitely <laughs> want to... No, I mean, no, you got to be... By the way, they, they called the race for Fetterman. That, that one's yeah. over. That is yeah. over, yeah. No, did did there's Oz one, concede? There's yeah. one other piece that we haven't really talked much about, which is... The demographics in the country, from an age point of view, are changing. You know, such a peculiar thing that we elected Barack Obama and then ascended another boomer, and then ascended Joe Biden, who's not even a boomer. He's older than the boomers. I mean, it's a very peculiar moment in history when you're getting older and older, generationally older and older and older, three presidents in a row. At the same time that boomers are no longer the largest voting age demographic in the country. That now belongs to the millennials. Republicans like to say, well, but they don't vote. But over time, they do. They get, uh, the millennials aren't... When we think of millennials, everybody thinks about the 20-year-old who works at your office. I mean, I have bad news for you. The 20-year-old who works at your office is not a millennial. The millennials are well into adulthood now. They're, they are beginning to move into the age where you actually do cast votes. It's early to see. I mean, we're going to have to see some numbers over the next 72 hours probably before we can really make any kind of claim about this. But it may, it may be that part of what we're experiencing right now is an actual generational shift within the electorate that our, that our pollsters do not yet know how to measure because they've been measuring the same group of people for the last 40 years. I agree. I agree. I think it's, I think it's a big deal. I, I think this is, this is the whole deal. I mean, yeah. you know, this is, you, you are getting a generation coming up who were born into an internet world. We don't even know what the, you know, we, this whole group, I hate to say it, but we're all too old to understand what it, what it is to be born into an internet world. It is, it's a changing of the guard, and it, and it really is. And I just don't think the furniture, I don't think the gravity has come back into the room yet and the furniture has fallen down and we know what the room looks like yet. It's still early. Yeah. These things happen slower than the speed of podcasting. But you know what we haven't celebrated tonight? For the first time since <laughs> 1993, Guam will be sending a Republican <laughs> delegate to Washington, D.C. They did, in fact, tip 
Guam, not quite into the ocean, <laughs> but in the... Re- the man was a prophet. He was a prophet. Yeah, the man was no a prophet. No one knew. Dennis, when you go on the air tomorrow, what are you going to say? I'll talk about Denmark. that will be my temptation (laughs) i've been taking notes to to tell you the truth i've been taking notes while you guys have uh, been uh, been talking you know it's very interesting Uh, all of you have experienced this at some time being away for five days in europe Mm. obviously they're talking about other things although i will tell you the knowledge of American politics yeah. and American life among Europeans, at least Europeans who care about issues, is is astonishing. Yep. The people that I spoke to, the Free Press Society in Denmark, the, these people could be on your panel and talk about Arizona and and Wisconsin. It, it's mm. it's eerie, but yeah. I'll tell you this. Uh, I'll tell you what uh, I'll leave you with, uh, and uh, since. You don't you don't embarrass people who give dour news. Uh, I I will just tell you for the first time in my life, a long life. Uh, America is now seen as exporting bad ideas. Th- this is a first in American history. When you when you when the when in Hong Kong they marched for freedom, they marched with an American flag. Th- there was no greater sight than an American flag for people who loved liberty. And now, you know, they've shut down in Europe. They have shut down virtually every single uh, children's hospital that was uh, doing the things that we do. The affirmation of trans that takes place routinely in American children's hospitals is not happening in Europe, including in socialist, quote unquote, socialist countries. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a it's a perilous time. And I'll just say to Drew, who said, you know, uh, I think you said the pendulum swings or something to that effect, or Yankee sensibility will return. Whenever I hear that, you know, in the long run, truth wins out, or in the long run, the good (laughs) prevails, (laughs) I I always think about what happens during the long run. (laughs) How many lives are ruined during that run? I, it's so it's absolutely it's not true for me. Yeah. A consolation. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. no, but God, I, I, God wins is a good recommendation of God. But yeah. it's a sorry, recommendation <laughs> of say the next forty years of American politics. Oh. Dennis, thank you for joining us, and uh, everyone, go over and listen to the Dennis Prager Show tomorrow. All these guys will have podcasts tomorrow. The good news is I'll be sleeping soundly <laughs> in my bed. Uh, but we're going to take a break now so that these guys can get a little rest. We'll have results for you. Uh, by the first shows tomorrow, a lot more will be known than is known tonight. Uh, it's an easy evening to be dour, and we should, you know, it's not wrong to mourn uh, with others while they mourn. It's not wrong to face reality. This is not the night that Republicans had hoped for. Uh, at the same time, we have a lot of fight left in us. We have a lot of fight left in us as a country. We have a lot of fight left in us as conservatives. have a lot of fight left in us at Daily Wire. Uh, come back tomorrow, and we'll see what we can mobilize, and we'll get back to work.